You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The engines are primed and coordinates for the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on all things Star Wars. But you know what it is for this episode. Long have you waited. And now, a review for the final installment in the story of Skywalker is here! Uh, yeah, we're here to review Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, and Paul with me. How's it going, guys? Ooh, what an introduction, yeah. <laughs> Man, I am ready. We made it. This is the culmination of the sequel trilogy, and as we talked about on our previous episode when we first got that, announcement that disney was buying star wars and it was coming back and we're at the end the first phase of that i believe because obviously episode nine is the end of the skywalker saga movies are going to be taking a break for a while but man what an ending it was and i just cannot wait to go full-blown into it like we always do for our review episodes when it comes to the movies this is going to be a fun one i am ecstatic to be here talking to you guys about it I think this is my first official saga film uh, review, new new film review, correct? Because I think we did solo. Yeah. That was my yeah. first one, but that is, I mean, it counts. But it's this is this is a big deal because this is ultimately what brought us together was the saga films. It was the Disney purchase. It was all those things together, and 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 that's what brought me and Tim as good friends was is our anticipation for the sequel trilogy. And now that it's coming to an end, and I've join the show and we've all gotten even closer it's just it's a i'm so happy to be here and i know you guys had that crazy six hour review of the last jedi and i i to be honest i don't think i listened to that episode because i was just so mad about the last jedi at the time <laughs> i think I, no i take it back i think i re- listened to a good portion of it i only listened to the whole thing but a good portion of it but anyway i'm just i'm ecstatic to talk about this i've talked about it on a couple of their podcasts but as we all know, we're long-winded on the saga continues, which is perfect for me because I can't shut up. So we got a lot to talk about. So I'm going to throw it back to Kyle. Kyle, let's get this started. Yeah, so here's how this is going to go down. Um, first of all, to give you guys a little peek behind the curtain, I may have mentioned this before, um, but but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, let the cat out of the bag here. When we did our six-hour Last Jedi review, we actually recorded that over two nights. Because Tim and I were talking about it, and we got halfway through the movie, and I just ran out of steam, and it was probably 11 or 12 at night, and I went, dude, like, yep. I just can't keep going all night, and we still got so much more of this movie to talk about. Um, so we broke it up over two nights, 
and uh, I just stitched it together. And you know, we didn't do a part one, part two. We basically re- recorded two three-hour podcasts, but I just edited together as seamlessly as I could um, and put it out as one six-hour one. I don't think we're going to be able to do that with this one just because, you know, we've got the holidays coming up and everything and uh, the Rise of Skywalker, I think is this is the latest release date that we've had for a Star Wars movie so far. So I think um, with all the previous movies, we were recording like the week before Christmas and stuff like that. Um, So we are we are recording a little bit earlier than normal. So we're going to get through as much of this as we can. Um go for as long as we can. I mean, you know, this is not going to be a short little one or two hour review. We're, we're going through everything. Um, I apologize if we don't get to the listener responses and emails and stuff in this episode. Um, if we, I mean, if we manage to get everything in and we're at a reasonable amount of time, we'll do that at the end. But if not, we might just save that for like a, a listener mailbag episode, uh, probably after the new year. And then maybe some continued thoughts from the rise of Skywalker from us. Um, as we've had more time to process it. Um, but of course, you know, we're going to go through the entire story, just kind of go through the plot and break down all the scenes, all the characters, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. But before we get into that, I want to kind of start off by just briefly recapping, you know, each of us talk about like, what was your experience like opening night? Um, and what were your initial reactions to the movie? Uh, so I don't know, Tim, you want to go ahead and start with that? Yeah, sure. I'm obviously excited to say the least. Just anticipating that Thursday night, it was. I just could not wait for that time to come. <laughs> and it was a little different experience for me because I've said before this is the first time I didn't have to wait online all day at the theater because my movie theater finally got assigned seating. And it felt a little strange because I just walked right in. I went like about a half hour before the movie started, and the theater was empty because everyone's kind of shows up late now once they have the assigned seating the, the first screening was sold out so i wasn't worried about oh man no one bought tickets <laughs> no one showing up that wasn't the case i just knew everyone would show up as late as possible but it was just like a different vibe because when you're at the theater for so long you just that excitement just builds and builds when you're in line with other fans for most of the day and then once the room goes dark and those coming attractions start and there's just a general excitement in the theater room and it was there once the movie started, but like I said, it wasn't building up because of everyone being in the theater all day. So it felt a little different, but I was no less excited for it going in. And when it was over, my initial reaction was that I was just extremely satisfied with what the movie gave me as far as plot points. The story it took for pretty much most of the characters, um, as we talked about and we'll get into in this episode, obviously, a lot of it was what I was hoping for and I thought it made sense in the overall grand scheme of the saga. And so that was, that was what was most important to me. And I really felt it delivered on that for what I was looking for. But then it was just a very entertaining movie as well with some cool action sequences, the banter and the, the characters being all together in this film was such a great thing that, the uh, one of the negatives about this being the last one was that we're not going to get any more of that with Ray, Finn, and Poe because this is the first time we really saw them working together for a good portion of the movie, and they just had great chemistry throughout, and I love that. So it was just an overall a great experience. But as always with most Star Wars movies, after seeing it for the first time, still got to process it and think about certain elements because a lot of big things went down in this movie. So it wasn't that 
immediate oh man i love it and this is where i rank it it's my automatic favorite or it's in my top three like there's no way i could do that after the first viewings but i was just glad i walked out of there being very satisfied with how things ended for the final chapter of the skywalker saga so it was a great opening night experience like i said it was just a different atmosphere and buzz in the theater going into it as late as i did where that excitement just wasn't building amongst a crowd waiting in line all day but they were into it felt for the course of the movie and just got a great reaction for um, the crowd that night too when it was over so it was a lot of fun and i like i said just walked away extremely satisfied yeah what about you paul well for me as as you all know i've or who, who the, those who have listened to the show and and follow me on twitter i've avoided spoilers for this movie and in pretty much every tv spot anything that would tell me anything about this movie i avoided like crazy and i tried to save myself as to be as pure as possible i only saw the three trailers the first trailer the d23 trailer and the last the the main uh, theatrical trailer and i saw those all very limited amount of times not because i thought they were bad but i wanted to try to like save as much as i could for the movie and so and because of that i had no idea what i was walking into and i was anticipating a lot and I just I, I started getting really excited, and and those are those know who know me know that I wasn't exactly a huge lover of the Last Jedi. I don't hate the Last Jedi, but I'm very critical of it. Really, when have you said that before, Paul? That's a <laughs> yeah. revelation. I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry, but but the thing is, I but I I just started getting really excited for the movie, and and we talked about how. And I have been predicting this for a long time that Star Wars' future is in television. And I was thinking that maybe the films will be really like, will they even do films anymore? But after the lead up and, and everyone getting excited and, and, and getting they're talking about getting tickets and all the planning, I'm like, I don't ever want this to disappear. And, you know, so it was just it was just kind of reminding me how exciting it is to sit down and watch a Star Wars film in the theater. And so I, I um I sat down and got you know just was amped up, saw the movie and I, I, I liked it. I, I I didn't like I wasn't like over the moon about it at that first viewing, but I knew I liked it. There's a lot of surprises we know that I had, was not expecting that I could not believe they the direction they went in, but in the end, it was very satisfying and uh, it was. It was yeah. I I really enjoyed it. I mean, I I was I was very very happy with the outcome initially coming out of the theater, and and just like it, it's a good sign when I I could not wait to see it the next day, uh, bright and early at eight a.m. with my good friend Chris and uh, for, who was our, my co-host for the binge comic podcast. So, yeah, that was a, it was it was a great. I don't even call it an ending. I don't believe it's an ending at all like i just i i just laugh at this i'm like yeah yeah i don't believe it sorry so even though they've the the advertising and the marketing and jj and everyone's like this is the last one blah blah also the soccer the soccer films as we all know from watching this movie that's not necessarily the case and i don't think it should be the case and i think if anything they should wait and, and 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 give it some time, but yeah, I, just seeing the crawl, seeing everything it was so special. I don't I don't think they should ever stop doing that, and I don't know how they can go going forward with everything, um, with the ending they have by going by doing that in three years necessarily. But I don't think this is the last of the Skywalker saga, in my opinion. 
And as we know, if you look on my Blu-ray case from 2011 with Anakin on the front, little Anakin <laughs> being shadowed by Darth Vader, it says the complete saga. We all know that's bullcrap. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I don't think for a second this is the end for, for the Skywalker saga. I think it will continue again down the line. So, but yeah. I, I liked it a lot. Um, are we going to get into or after we're we going to talk about our other viewings after this or what are our initial reactions, Kyle? I want to make sure I don't want to go out of Well, just start with initial reactions. Yeah, I'll just say I, I, I left the theater very, very satisfied. And but as I've said before, I need more viewings to know if I loved it. So mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. At, the, at, at this point, leave you on a cliffhanger. I, I can tell you right now, I liked it a lot leaving the theater the first time. Yeah. Um, and for me, and and I'll talk about my initial reactions and then kind of add, we'll get into multiple viewing or, or second viewing thoughts after that. But um, yeah, I, I went opening night, obviously I went with uh, my sister and my wife and her sister and her husband. Um, and kind of like you, Tim, I mean, we got there, I like I had to work that day. I left a little bit early. Um, we got there maybe a half hour before and we stood outside waiting to meet up with everybody. And, um, I mean, it was fun though. Like, even though people were getting there kind of right at the last minute, um, at least the theater that I went to, like, there did kind of seem to be like a buzz of excitement. There were a lot of people wearing Star Wars shirts, a lot of people in costumes. Um, they even had like a Stormtrooper and a Kylo Ren that I'm pretty sure were probably from the 501st because they looked pretty legit and they were standing outside taking pictures with people and stuff. Um, we got into our theater, which was packed. Um, and there is like, you know, like you said, even though there wasn't sort of that buzz of like, okay, we've been waiting in line all day. And finally it's here. Like after each preview, there was kind of that anticipation of like, okay, is there going to be another preview or is the movie finally going to start? And then, you know, you could just kind of feel that buzz in the room as the, the movie was starting. And then of course people were cheering during the Lucasfilm logo and the opening crawl and, there were a lot of moments during the movie where people, you know, laughed and cheered and whatever. And so, um, I mean, for me, at least it was a great crowd and just a really fun audience experience, which is interesting because I've heard some people say that, um, that in their theater, like people were laughing or groaning at certain moments that were supposed to be serious. And they're like, Oh, my whole theater hated it. And other people are like, Oh, my whole theater loved it. And it's weird to see. I mean, I know people have wildly differing opinions about this movie, but to see just the difference from theater to theater and hear people's different like audience reactions and stuff is pretty interesting. Um, But as far as just my initial thoughts, I was pretty conflicted. I got to be honest. Like, I think, uh, and I know, obviously, I texted you guys afterwards and we were all talking about it. And uh, I think of the three of us, I was the most critical of it. I didn't hate it. Um, you know, I wasn't like you, Paul, when you uh, when you said you watched The Last Jedi for the first time. We're just like, what the heck was that? Um, I, like, overall, I liked it. Or there was I didn't at least... say heck. Oh, I know, I know. I'm keeping it family friendly. I know, I know, I know. Um, I've never heard you swear before, so I would not. I was, I was paraphrasing. Um, I do, but yeah, I. And it was weird because I didn't. I definitely didn't hate the movie. I liked a lot of it, but like I wanted to like it, and my like I said, my theater really seemed to love it. Um, my wife, Allison, she loved it. Her sister and her husband loved it. And, you know, a lot of people, everybody was uh, clapping and cheering at the end. And my sister, Kayla, and I, who, I mean, she's a huge Star Wars fan, too. She grew up playing with all my toys and stuff. Um, and we, 
sat there just looking at each other like, I don't know about that. Like, there were just certain moments that we were like, mm. um, and obviously I'll get into that as we get into the story. Um, there are still some things that I, I have big issues with, so I will probably be the most critical of the three of us of the movie in this review. Um, but I will say, I mean, like you said, Paul, I'm the same way where I got to digest it over multiple viewings. I got to see it multiple times to kind of get used to certain things. And, you know, it's like once you've gotten your expectations and just the, the hype out of the way of the first viewing and there's, especially in this movie, like whether you loved it or hated it, there's so much to process. There's so much to process the first time you see any Star Wars movie, but especially this movie, there's just a lot going on. Um, and so I went home really just feeling like I I don't even know how to feel about this, but I know I need to see it again. Um, I saw it again a second time and still kind of felt the same way, to be honest, but I could kind of feel my my opinion of it lifting up a little bit. And I was like, I still didn't love it, but I think on a third viewing, it'll click for me. And I saw it a third time, which, by the way, I think this is the first time that I've ever seen a new Star Wars movie three times in three consecutive days. And it wasn't because I loved it and was like, oh, my gosh, I got to see that again. It was like I'm still processing and I don't know about this and I need to watch it again to just revisit and reprocess everything. But after the third time, I did really enjoy it. Um, and I left the theater the third time just with a huge smile on my face and still having issues with it. And, you know, even after that third viewing, when I go back and think about certain things, I'm like, oh, yeah, I still don't really like that or that still could have been done better. But at least that third experience was just I I didn't feel like I was being so analytical or so critical of it. I was able to just sort of enjoy the Star Wars experience. And I walked out just feeling sort of the sense of relief because I want to love a new Star Wars movie, obviously. Like, I didn't like feeling conflicted about it. And so walking out and being like, you know what? I can accept its flaws and I'm sort of okay with not loving everything about it. But I also am just glad that I really enjoyed it and just sort of had this overall feeling of like, man, I love Star Wars. Um, Mm. And so that's where I'm kind of at on it now. But um, I don't know. Have you guys both seen it three times now? I've only seen it twice, yeah. Yeah, I've only seen it twice. We've we've all seen it multiple viewings. So where where are your thoughts kind of at now after seeing it a a couple more times? Well, well, Tim, or or Kyle, really fast, I kind of want to ask you really quick, without going into like super detail, what exactly changed on that third viewing? I'm just, I guess my question is, did the things you like about it become even greater? Is that what happened? I honestly don't know. Like, okay, and you know what? Like, I'll get into that throughout the review. Um, and, and talk about certain things that I liked or didn't like. It was all, it really was more just sort of the overall experience of it. It was, and I think the things that bothered me, like, didn't bother me as much because I was more used to it by now. Um, and I think I did enjoy some things more on that third viewing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to put a finger on it. Um, and, and I think you just got, Go ahead, sorry. Uh, well, I was just going to say, I've already, I mean, I've been talking to my wife about this for, we've been talking about it nonstop for the past three days. Like, she loved it, and she, you know, wants to talk about it all the time, so we've been talking about it. And I've, I've been texting friends about it, I've been texting you guys about it, I've been reading stuff about it online, and so I, I feel like my thoughts about it are still kind of all over the place, but I'm hoping that, you know, in the next 
however many hours we spend talking about this, that it'll, you know, kind of even more help me get some of my thoughts in order and exactly why I feel certain ways about certain things. But, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I think you, part you of sound the... exactly like me two years ago, Kyle. With the last <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> so and it's weird. Like, and, and so I'm even hoping because I remember doing our review of Last Jedi, and you were like, "I didn't really like that," and I kind of helped you see a different side of some certain things. So mm-hmm. maybe you guys you can did. do that for me on this one. I don't know. I'll do my best. Yeah, same here. But yeah, for my second viewing and going into the second viewing, I just. New Alpha, I'm going to enjoy it even more. That's just usually the case with a Star Wars movie or other movies I really liked and know I'm going to see multiple times because you just don't know what you're going to get on that first experience. And once you do, and whether you like it or hate it, you know what to expect going in the second time. And maybe things will flow better for you now knowing what to expect. And um, with this one, seeing it again was even better. I It only took two viewings for me to say that I love this movie after seeing it the second time. It, everything I liked about it, seeing it the first time, it was just cemented even more so that I love a lot of what they did in this movie and just the flow of it. It just felt really good. And it was cool because I got to see it with um, my, I saw it with my brother on opening night, then he went again that night, but I got to see it with my dad and his best friend who just recently they got reconnected. And, but they both saw a new hope together for the first time back in 1977 and they haven't seen a Star Wars movie together since. So for the last time, or for the last one of the Skywalker saga, the fact that they were able to see it together for this time was really cool, just culminating in 42 years of you know them being friends and that connection over Star Wars. Well, first, their big connections over music, like they were huge Beatle fans, but Star Wars, my dad's friend became like a diehard Star Wars fan after seeing A, a New Hope for the first time. And while my dad had necessarily become a diehard fan, I'm still thankful he introduced it to me. So I became a diehard fan. So <laughs> just kind of that multiple generations being there to see it was really cool. And um, my dad's friend got really emotional during the movie. You know, he had tears coming down by the end when it was all over, just absorbing everything. He absolutely loved it. And it was just cool getting to experience that for someone who has been there from the very beginning of the saga and just seeing how much he enjoyed it and thought, it was wrapped up in such a satisfying way for him. It was cool to see from a first-generation Star Wars fan. So it was just a great overall experience seeing it again the second time with more family and friends there. And like I said, just knowing going into what to expect and just loving what I saw even more. I just came out up there thinking, man, I just love Star Wars. It's just the greatest story ever for me. (laughs) Nothing's ever going to change that. Even if Episode Nine didn't work for me as well as I was hoping it would, I don't think it would have changed me ever thinking Star Wars is the greatest story that I've ever experienced. But the fact that I really did enjoy it and really loved how they wrap things up, it just fortifies that even more so for me. So, yeah, I loved it the second time, and I just can't wait to see it again. It's I think it's going to get better and better for me the more I see it. The second time um, I saw it with, with Chris um, in the next morning, bright and early. So I didn't really have any time to really process the movie, you know, I took a walk in the morning and then I uh, drove over to, or no, I didn't take a walk. I went straight there. I woke up and then went pretty much straight there. I didn't really have much time to process anything, but uh, yeah, watched the movie again. And I just, and it was his first time watching the movie and everything that I liked in the movie, I ended up pretty much loving. And it confirmed me that I love this movie and this movie is basically easily my favorite 
of the sequel trilogy. I mean, it's not even close. I really love this movie. It, I don't know, because you all know how much I love Solo. I don't know if I love it more than Solo, but it, I might. I don't know yet, because Solo is just such a surprise for me, and it feels like a love letter to Star Wars, whereas this really is, I feel, it pushes Star Wars in a direction that it a lot of the mythological things we'll get into shortly. Uh, it pushes the, the 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 mythology forward a little bit, and also wraps up the sequel trilogy that I think that just was kind of, to be honest, struggling a little bit to kind of find itself, and it was so disorganized. I feel that this was probably the most, the best accurate outcome I think, in my opinion, that you could do without it just being even more ridiculous than what it is already. And, and the movie already is kind of ridiculous and I've, I've said this before in other podcasts and on twitter and and everywhere that this movie is so weird and i love it for that and i'm, I'm really i really love the fact that this star wars movie has embraced kind of a ridiculousness that i think is somewhat needed in star wars and i think it's it should be embraced by people and all those things that I just, you know, that I liked initially, and I again, I had no idea walking into it what I was getting myself into. I ended up loving. I love every decision. I think for the most part um, that they went with, and when we break it down, I'll explain why. But it really reinforced everything. There's definitely things about this movie that are, are aren't great, but this is what the analogy I used for the Fandalorians when I was on our, our show with my other partners in crime, uh, Sean Gerber. Um, on their Star Wars podcast. So here's my analogy, okay? I think this I think the Rise of Skywalker is like a delicious giant like double cheeseburger or think about the best cheeseburger you ever had. But think about that cheeseburger probably breaks down cuz it's so soggy from grease so the bread's like <laughs> kind of breaking <laughs> apart and it might be like, you know, maybe the whatever sauces you put on it, like mustard or ketchup or God forbid mayonnaise or a special sauce. That stuff is disgusting. But anyway, you put that on there and it's like dripping on your hand. And then like maybe they forgot to take the pickle off and the, you take the pickle off and it tastes a little bit like pickle in the middle, if you know what I mean. And it's not quite 100 percent perfect. There's things about it like are kind of messy and you're like, ah, it sucks when it does this or whatever. But in the end, it's so good and it's so fulfilling. You're like, oh, that's so good. That's exactly what the Rise of Skywalker is for me. <laughs> I that's, like that analogy. <laughs> yeah, that, that that really is what this movie is because yes, it's not it's not perfect in places. It's gonna break apart. It's gonna spill over a little bit. And you're like, ah, god darn it, I gotta like wipe my hands off now. No, no, now. But then when you're done, you're like, oh, that was so good though. That was so worth it. And so for me, I can deal with some of the bad decisions that were made in the movie. I can deal with some of those things, and and just kind of forgive them. Because in the end, it was a very satisfying thing that I just ended up loving. And I loved a lot of the decisions that they made. Maybe not every little detailed decision, but I'd say I, I liked 90% of the decisions they made. And there are a couple eye rolls where I'm like, oh, my Lord, you know, which we'll get into. But this movie, to me, justified, I think, the sequel trilogy. Maybe not completely, but I feel that it really justifies it for existing. And I'm... Yeah, I'm really glad that it, it, it exists now, and and I it may it may take over solo, but it definitely is. It's not on the lower end of the films, and like I said, it's my favorite of the sequel trilogy by far. Yeah, you know, I made a similar analogy earlier today when I was uh, texting with my buddy Caleb, and he said uh, he he said you know that this whole movie is like a giant love letter to Star Wars, 
And I said, yeah, it's just a love letter that has some sloppy handwriting and some bad grammar at points. But the overall (laughs) message of the letter is still very, you know, heartfelt and, you know, overall it's it's satisfying. But um, yeah, well, let's you know what? Let's just get into it and start breaking down the story. Um, And, you know, I just want to say, like, I probably will be. If I come across as, like, really critical or nitpicky or whatever, it's just, you know, there's certain things that I have frustrations with that I want to get out or just, uh, you know, expressing my views on, like, certain things that could be better. I mean, like you said, Paul, it's not perfect. There, I'm sure there's things that we are, are all going to agree could have been done better, but um, I might end up being the most critical of the three of us. And it's not that I hate the movie or that I'm trying to be nitpicky or whatever, um, and I might sound like I dislike more of it than I actually do. It's just the things that I don't like stand out to me and I'm going to want to talk about those things, but there is a lot that I love about it as well. Um, but I guess let's start with the, the opening crawl and you know, the, the first line is the dead speak. And it talks about how Palpatine has broadcast this message across the galaxy. And so we start off with Kylo Ren investigating the source of it. And we don't know if Palpatine is actually back, but it's just there, there's been this transmission of a message in Emperor Palpatine's voice talking about the return of the Sith and all that. Um, and Kylo Ren, who's supreme leader now, is uh, trying to investigate the source of it because he doesn't want anybody threatening his power. Um, and we start uh, seeing him traveling to what I guess is Mustafar, according to the Visual Dictionary. Yes, it and is. And he's, he's on there... Uh, fighting against the local natives or whatever. He kills a bunch of people and then finds this Sith Wayfinder that is supposed to point the way to Exegol, uh, which is the, the, I guess, this ancient Sith planet. Um, And then, so, you know, he, he gets this artifact, which I love the fact that it's on Mustafar, but it's a shame that he didn't, like, go get that from Vader's castle. Like... The fact that we're on Mustafar and he's retrieving a Sith artifact and we didn't get to see the castle again felt like a little bit of a missed opportunity. But, I mean, it was still a cool scene. Um, and then he uses it to to travel to Exegol. So before we get to that part, I just, I mean, I love this initial setup of, like, I've heard some people complaining about, oh, it's a MacGuffin and they're chasing down all these items and stuff. But if you guys know me and my love of the Old Republic, like anything involving ancient Sith artifacts that point the way to... Sith homeworlds in the unknown regions. I'm all about that stuff. So I thought that was a really cool premise. I think that it was, it was so cool because originally I thought the opening planet, I'm like, okay, that's either Mustafar or Moraband. And I didn't know. And I thought it might've been Moraband because it was, he was getting the Sith artifact. And so that's the first thing that I thought of because I had just watched the Yoda trilogy um, Mm. on for Clone Wars (laughs) the other day. Yeah. You kind of inspired me for that, by the way, Tim. And it was that red tint. I'm like, that looks like Moraband. And he's getting a Sith artifact, so that would make sense, right? But I'm like, who are these people there? And then it, it, everyone I'm, – I'm staying away from the visual dictionary and waiting for it to get for uh, get it for Christmas. And so I, I, I everyone's like you know, putting things out there. And the Mustafar thing, I couldn't escape. But it is really cool that – it is Mustafar, but like like you said, uh, guys, uh, it should have been, been better if it was, he went to Vader's castle itself. But, but yeah, it was it was interesting that that crawl, and I've I've said it on Twitter and everything. That crawl is one of the best crawls in Star Wars ever. It is phenomenal. I agree. <laughs> it was so good, and my favorite all time crawl is probably Revenge of the Sith. Mm. That that, but I think this might be 
either second or maybe third. I've, I haven't read them all, like broken them all down. I think I should probably do that eventually, or we should do that on the show maybe <laughs> at one point. But uh, but no, it's up there. It's definitely top two, three, four at least. And I I loved it, and it, I loved how it immediately brought you into the action. Yeah. Like, I, I know it's a crawl is meant to do that, but I feel like most of the time there's a crawl and it, and it kind of has a slow build a lot of times, even with the force awakens, you kind of, you get in and then they kind of talk to Loris and take her for a little bit and then they kind of drop down and, uh, and whatever. But this, it's like, Nope, Kylo Ren's mowing people down, trying to look for the Sith artifacts. I'm like, man, and he's snuffing out, um, what's his name? Uh, Palpatine, because he's, he's not happy that Palpatine's back. Like you figured, Oh, the fact that we've revealed that Palpatine, everyone, or pretty much Palpatine announces to the world he's back or the universe he's back, not just to Kylo Ren. Cause that's what I assumed that it, maybe he announced himself to Kylo Ren and no, 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 it's, it's the exact opposite. He announces himself pretty much to everyone for the most part, or there's rumors about this him doing this. And then Kylo Ren is like, uh, uh-uh, I ain't dealing with that. I'm going to get, I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to take him out. And I'm like, well, man, this is not what I exactly expected. And, the whole Exitol, uh, is, is that right? Is it, is it how, how you say it? Um, it's Exegol. Exegol. Exitol, I think, is a Christian heavy metal band. Um, <laughs> Exegol. Uh, Exegol. And I, and I love that it's a Sith homeworld. And again, I, I, I remember telling my friend the other day that more, I wish it was more band. And he's like, no, man, there's, there's, there's going to be other like Sith homeworlds besides one. I'm like, you know, there's going to be many secret Sith homeworlds. And, and, like, and I said to myself, you know, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know you don't want to be spoiled on the visual guide stuff, but they do go into that, and I think it makes sense why it's not more Ben and it is Exegol. That's There's, great. Yeah. Oh, I so can't it, wait to. It, I I can't wait to check that visual dictionary out. By the way, like, I, I've it's seen a couple. Too, I've awesome. seen yeah. a couple <laughs> things from it online, but yeah, I want to get that for Christmas too. Because I mean, again, there's so much to unpack in this movie, and so many things that I really feel need additional information to be expanded on. Um, that, you know, I, I, like just from the, the couple things I've seen, I feel like there's going to be a lot of good stuff in there that'll actually like expand your understanding of the movie beyond just like, oh, this is what model blaster this is. But, yeah. And I, but I think this introduction is just so, so good. And I, I love how it brings you right into it. And, and, and again, the crawl, it really sets you up beautifully. So where, when you can get into the action with Palpatine right away. And I love how they waste no time explaining who Snoke is. And I, I'm curious, did you guys, were you guys one surprised or two, were you satisfied with the reveal of Snoke? Yeah, I, for one, was like, I knew Palpatine was going to be behind him one way or another, but mm-hmm. I was a little surprised just in what way. But at the same time, I think it worked for the most part, but that's something that we're going to need more explanation for as far as what exactly Snoke was pretty much. Was he just a straight up creation for Palpatine? Was he someone real, but he cloned him or whatnot. But so that's one of those areas where we know we're going to find out at some point, but it just wasn't fully given to us in this movie. But um, just to go back a little bit, when you're saying about the opening crawl, I agree 100% with you, Paul, this how it was great. And I just love how it just immediately put you into what's going on and what this movie is going to be about. I just had a smile on my face with that opening sentence, the dead speak, because you know exactly <laughs> what it's referring to and just getting that information of what Palpatine's doing. That was all a surprise to me. Just seeing that he broadcasts a message to let the galaxy know, Hey, I'm back. It wasn't this 
just a secret he wanted to reveal to Kylo Ren. And seeing Kylo on that planet when I first saw it, I really didn't realize it was Mustafar. I mean, maybe I'm dumb for not <laughs> realizing it, but when I saw that in the visual guide, like, oh man, this sequence just got even cooler to me. It was just a different type of opening for a Star Wars movie, but one that I thought worked really well because it wasn't usually when a Star Wars movie it opens up, you get a pretty long scene to play out before you transition into the next one or the story moves forward. But this one, you're just immediately thrown into a battle with not too much context and it's just moving quick. There's no dialogue. You're just seeing Kylo mow down uh, these inhabitants guarding the Wayfinder. And I love how it it is Vader and Palpatine that the only ones who have these <laughs> Wayfinders right here and then Kylo's after after Vader's. But the way it is transitions from that to what we see Kylo, Kylo go down to Exegol, I just felt it moved in such a quick pace, but yet it worked. And I just think out of everything, what I loved about this opening sequence is the tone it set for the movie. After We're going to get into this confrontation with Palpatine, I'm sure, in a few minutes. But after that sequence, I was just like, oh boy, I am into this. I am ready to go. I mean, just mm-hmm. give me more because I am loving what they're setting up so far. It was just great. It set the perfect tone for what this movie was going to be. And I just loved it. It was, it was a dark tone too, just how it mm-hmm. opened up. And I just loved every bit of it. So yeah, I'm with you on the crawl being great. And just as far as a star Wars opening, it's different, but I find it to be one of the better ones. Yeah, really fast. I, I, the regarding the opening and it was, it was strange. It opened with slow motion and it was a great stylistical like decision in my opinion. Don't get me wrong, but it, it's so funny when you compare it to the previous six films, these three films are so stylistically different from what George Lucas did. And, and even with uh, the other, you know, or yeah, his four films or the other films, um, Oh my gosh, uh, Kirshner and, uh, um, Oh my gosh, Mark one. Uh, uh, and it's just, it's just really interesting to kind of, it's so different. So, so stylistically different that, that you know that George would never do it that way kind of a thing. And, but you know, it, but it's still, it's so, it's a little jarring at first, but I, I love it also, if that makes any sense. So, uh, but yeah, I, I it was interesting in slow motion because that's kind of a slow motion like that. It's kind of a not real, it's not really a, a, a thing we see very much these days, I would say. like Not like Zack Snyder or something like that, but because I don't think it was like that at all. It was very much a stylistical, like just kind of thing to have it start where they're, they're going slow the whole time and kind of showing you the drama and everything. I, I thought it was a really good decision. Yeah, I guess I didn't even really think about that much, but... Um, yeah, for whatever reason, I think, it's, it, I think it served to sort of just highlight Kylo Ren in the middle of it. And like the whole focus was on him and you're not really worried about like, Oh, why are they on this planet? And what's this whole battle? And who are the people that they fighting? It was just all him cutting people down in slow motion. And I think it really served to um, just sort of focus in on him and, you know, his quest for, uh, you know, holding on to his power and finding on or finding out about Palpatine. We'll see in a minute, but um, yeah, I guess that was a pretty cool choice to start out with. I actually was a little worried that because, you know, with The Force Awakens, how much stuff was cut from the trailers <laughs> in the <laughs> actual movie. This one, it just seems so we only saw that one shot of Kylo knocking down 
that one enemy he's fighting in, in any of his spots or trailers. I was like, is this the sequence that's going to be cut in the movie when it's all said and done? But I was relieved it was one of the first things we saw, and there was more to it than just that one shot. Yeah. But then, of course, he goes from there. He gets the Wayfinder. We see him in his awesome TIE fighter that I love uh, yeah. navigating through these, you know, this, like, dark, nebulous uh Finally, you know, we get nebulas in live action. I've been clamoring for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and not just a nebula, but like again, this you know a very sithy looking nebula. Like it's yeah. dark and red, and there's you know these they're not just clouds, but like dangerous looking kind of shapeless masses that he has to navigate around and stuff. And you definitely get the feeling that this is like uncharted territory and dangerous space. Um, and he's traveling to the unknown regions. Which is really cool because, again, that's one of those things that's, like, constantly referenced in Star Wars, but we've never really seen that in the movies. Um, and you see why they're so hard to get to and are unexplored for the most part because of yeah. things like that. It's really cool. Yeah, and so he gets through all that. He lands on Exegol. Um, and then we get, you know, the really cool scene that Tim and I were freaking out about on the last episode. And I know, Paul, you didn't watch this clip, but um, they released this ahead of time. But that scene of him landing on Exegol, taking that lift down into the the catacombs or whatever that is you know this just this big hall with statues of ancient sith lords and everything that is just visually stunning yeah um, <laughs> and you hear palpatine's voice talking to him as he's heading down and saying you know welcome my boy i've waited for you and snoke trained you well and all that kind of stuff um and then yeah so he's he's walking through and uh he yeah he says snoke trained you well and he goes uh, I killed Snoke and I'll kill you too. And he says, uh, you know, oh, you're foolish or whatever. I made Snoke. And you see those Snoke bodies floating in the tank. And yeah. I, I, I'm kind of not sure how to feel about it. All I know is that when I saw it opening night, I was sitting up on the edge of my seat with my mouth hanging open. And like people sitting next to me were laughing at me for like how just, aghast I was um <laughs> I was hoping we would get some sort of explanation of the relationship between Palpatine and Snoke and I was surprised that we got it that early on and to see the Snoke bodies like you know just floating in the tank I mean I loved it it's one of those things that I loved it at first like just sort of taking the movie at face value and then the more I think about it the more I'm like I don't know if that really makes sense. And I know, like you said, Tim, I want more information there about like, oh, because also Palpatine says, I've been every voice you've ever heard inside your head. And it tra it flows from Palpatine's voice to Snoke's voice to Vader's voice as he's saying that. And so I'm like, does that mean that Palpatine was Snoke? Because also later in the movie, he talks about him dying and inhabiting different bodies and stuff that's like straight out of the EU. And so I'm like, yeah. was Palpatine, like, was Snoke, like, Palpatine in a different body? Or was he, like, a puppet of Palpatine? And if Palpatine really created him, like, was Snoke, like, an independent, free-thinking being? And Palpatine was just, like, his master? Or was he controlling him somehow? Or was he, like, directly possessing Snoke? So there's a lot of questions there. And again, that's one of the things that I know a lot of people thought was stupid and were laughing at and whatever. But I don't know. I thought it was cool. It's like, OK, I'm going to need some more answers on that. But just as an overall concept, you know, I mean, they're really establishing here how powerful Palpatine is in the dark side. Um, 
And then I also love that. I forget exactly what, what Kylo Ren says, but he's like, you know, how is all this possible? And, and the first time that we see actually Palpatine in the flesh, it's him saying the dark side oh, of the man. force is a pathway to many abilities. Some consider to be unnatural. And I was freaking out hearing him yeah, say that man, again. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. <laughs> and plus it's, they've got this whole Gothic horror vibe going on where it almost feels like you're in like Dracula's castle or something like that. Yeah. Where it's all very dark and blue tones and there's like lightning flashing in the background lightning that makes this very unnatural shrieking sound um and then you know you see like this dark shadow of palpatine and only get brief glimpses of his face as the lightning is flashing on him it was very cool very well done um and again the kind of stuff that i love because this felt like something straight out of Knights of the Old Republic or something like that. Like, it almost felt like a video game. And even, I will say, like, on some of my early viewings, some of the stuff on Exegol, especially some of the stuff we'll get to later, like, when you're seeing the full power of Palpatine and everything, some of it almost felt too over the top to me. And I was like, man, I would love this if if it was in a video game, but I don't know if this is working for me in a movie. Um, But again, it's one of those things that the more I've watched it, I think I'm at the point now where I'm like, you know what, this is just cool and fun and like something that we've never mm-hmm. seen before in a movie. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I think that with, with, with this whole thing with, with Palpatine is there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to, to talk about and, and I don't want to get into all the super details of it. Um, but one of the things I will say that I loved about this and that this opening with, with, with Palpatine and, and what they set up with everything is that like you said, Kyle, it, it felt it felt like the Knights of the Old Republic, but I think the key with that is it's very fantasy, very, yeah. very, very fantasy heavy, and that is my favorite um, aspect of Star Wars when it leans heavily on the fantasy aspect because we all know that Star Wars is at its core space fantasy mythology or the Star- Skywalker saga, but Star Wars as a whole, regardless, is space fantasy and it all obviously obviously takes in multiple influences from other things but at its core that's what it is and when it i feel that star wars is at its best when it is fully embracing the fantasy elements and that's what you get right off the bat you get the science fiction elements because that's what space fantasy is also it has it takes place in science fiction but it's ultimately fantasy and you and it's those things combined that we get together here that is just beautiful. And I think that JJ really, again, this is where the weird kind of comes in and it immediately transports you into a different world. You're not just watching a fan made thing. They're actually pushing the mythology. Exegol, what, what's going on with Palpatine, Snoke, they are building way more of the mythology now than ever. And now I know they don't explain everything verbatim. And I'll get into uh, a little bit of why I think I'll get in a little bit of that later. But anyway, I love that what they're establishing, that these are the things that are possible with, with the Sith. And then the, all these acolytes, all these people that are there, these loyal loyalists or whatever, they exist. And it's not just a rule of two. And what does that mean going forward? There's so many implications from this, just from this opening alone, that it's amazing. Not to mention, like, how did Palpatine get, you know, to his physical form after he was thrown down a shaft and how did Snoke, how, was he controlling Snoke? Was he, cause I don't think he was controlling Snoke. I think, I think Snoke was a independent person, but I think that ultimately he was being trained. He was channeling probably dark side energy through him in some ways. Um, but 
but yeah, th- this opening I feel just is such a set. It sets the table so well that it really gets you a different feel than than all the previous films together for uh, the mm. sequel trilogy. And I think that's what's important. It's all Star here. Wars films. Well, right, but I, even then I would say, but you're right, Tim. Actually, you're right. It just, this really leans heavily in that fantasy element and gets you in the weird right away. So it sets a table like no other Star Wars film before it. And I think. Honestly, I think that really helped me get into like the mood of this film right away and maybe helped buy into a lot of things they sold they sold to me because of how well it brought me into that world. So, yeah, I, I was immediately loving the fact of all the mythology they were building because they do a lot in the first five minutes, man. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Yeah, this I loved everything about Kylo's introduction to Palpatine and seeing Exegol and the reveal of Palpatine, like you guys said, it was this perfect. The mood of it was so horror-like, and the dialogue, like you said, Kyle, how perfect was it to recite that line from Revenge of the Sith? It was just amazing. And I got to say, Ian McDermott, the way he spoke and delivered his lines in this movie felt a little different and just a more darker version of Palpatine, which fit to how mm-hmm. he looked as well. And I just loved how he portrayed Palpatine in this movie, in particular this opening sequence where he just revealing himself to Kylo Ren. It's the tone inflections that he used. It just felt a little different than what we're used to, but I I really loved it. And just seeing, because that was one thing I'm glad that they didn't reveal in any of the marketing or trailers, is just what Palpatine was going to look like. like. We just saw that behind shot from the final trailer, but we didn't see his actual face, and I'm glad they kept it a secret. I was curious, is it going to be really messed up? Is it going to be something similar to Maul? But I think they had a nice balance where he did look different. Obviously, he didn't have any pupils in his eyes, and his hands and fingers were all messed up. But it was that right amount where, you know, he's not the Palpatine we remember because of him being chucked down the Death Star shaft by Vader. So he's physically he's going to be looking different, but obviously clinging on to life because of his hate and the dark side and able for him to survive that. And again, that's something where I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that they didn't full-blown explain how Palpatine survived, how he got off the Death Star. It's kind of similar to how Darth Maul was. They didn't fully explain the exact details besides that line that they use, the dark side's attached to ways many abilities some considered to be unnatural and just clinging on to that hate, the pr- preservation of life that the Sith have is kind of what you just got to take. And maybe later on we'll get into the full details of how exactly he survived because um, I know we're talking amongst other people after seeing is how questioning is that still the same Palpatine body is that uh, still did he die and get resurrected but they're like no that's I'm taking it as that's the same Palpatine we saw get thrown into the Death Star shaft by Darth Vader obviously he's has some his body is physically messed up now because of that and again it just goes into the whole point of the Sith clinging on to the physical realm and life and obviously he wants his goal is to get out of that body but it just hasn't had the opportunity to do so yet and now it's in this movie, we're going to see that opportunity has arisen for him. But it was just a great reveal. You know how excited I was. I think we all were about Palpatine being introduced into the final installment of the Skywalker saga. I wasn't expecting it, but yet I think it feels right for the main villain throughout the entirety of the previous two trilogies to make his presence known here. And the fact that he is the through line of the entire Skywalker saga as the antagonist. And the way they brought him back in this one, I just couldn't be more happy. I, like I said, it set the tone perfectly, and I was just ready to go right after this whole sequence where 
Kylo, where he mentions Ray, Palpatine mentions Ray to Kylo, what that he wants him to kill her, and then he says to be aware where she's not who you think she is, and Kylo just goes, "Who is she?" And this Palpatine has that smile on his face that we've seen a lot, and it just that's why I'm like, okay, here we go, I'm strapping in now, <laughs> Let's, mm-hmm. I'm ready for the rest of the movie. But again, man, I, yeah, I am just excited to how it's got kicked off. Let's go. And and for someone who's anti Ray Rando, that yeah, was the yeah. ultimate <laughs> fist pump. I'm like. Thank you. Yeah. This is, there's gonna be, there's gonna, man. I have, I have so, so many things are bouncing through my head at that point when he smiles. It, who is she? When Kylo says, "Who is she?" I'm like, "Oh, here we go." Yeah. My mind's like going like, okay, you know, like a little photo thing, or like or theory thing. I'm, okay, which one is it? You know, going through all my little, all my different files in my head. But uh, yeah, that was, that was like to me. I was like, I was like giggling. I'm like, oh, I'm so happy Ray Reynolds dead. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did like that. I mean, because we pretty much knew just from interviews and and things that they had said that they were going to explore that further. But to hear it coming from Palpatine and telling Kylo, you know, beware, she isn't who you think she is. I mean, that obviously is setting the tone for what we know is going to be a big reveal later on. Like he didn't tell him right there, but um, just a good way to whet your appetite and get you excited to figure out what's going on later in the movie. Also in this scene before even the Ray thing, he's talking to Kylo and says, you know, maybe Kylo talks about how like, oh, I don't need you. I've got the first order, whatever. And Palpatine's like, I can offer you so much more. And he says, well, what can you offer me? And he says everything. And then raises his hands and all the Star Destroyers just pop out of the ground. And then you've got this massive fleet up in the sky. Now, here's the thing. This is where I'm going to start getting into some of my issues with the movie. Oh, I love no. that. I love that visually, and and it's cool to see you know the whole fleet up there and everything. But I don't like. There's part of me that just thinks this this stuff like needs to be explained better and make more sense. And I think it really creates a problem with the trilogy as a whole. Bringing Palpatine here in, like in here at the very end, like they're cramming in so much, even just at the beginning here. I wish that they had planned this from the beginning. I wish that there were I wish that there were little hints and teases along the way of someone else behind Snoke, someone else behind the First Order. And then in the beginning of the movie, you find out that it's been Palpatine all along. And it feels like it's something that's been built up to rather than the beginning of the movie being like, Okay, by the way, guys, just so you know how what's going on here in the third act, uh, Palpatine's back. The whole galaxy knows it. He's got an entire fleet of Star Destroyers. Let's go. And it's like, whoa, 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 wait, just like that? Like, it's a whole lot to just kind of dump in your lap. Um, I also have a couple little nitpicky issues, like the fact that these Star Destroyers were built underground and they're fully crewed. And, like, what were these, you know, Sith troopers and stuff just, like, living underground this whole time, waiting for Palpatine yeah. to decide on the right moment to just lift them up into the sky? Like, that could have used a little more explanation. Um, I, but also, I as, as, value, though. as much as I love these scenes with Palpatine, like, within the movie itself, the way it fits into the overall story... I mean, I get that J.J. is doing the best with what he's got to work with here. And as much as I do love The Last Jedi and I don't want to, like, blame Ryan Johnson for any of this. I mean, the fact that he killed off Snoke, which I love within that movie as a character moment for Kylo Ren. It did present J.J. with a huge problem in The Rise of Skywalker because he didn't want to 
you know, obviously, you know, there's a redemptive arc for Ben Solo in this movie, so you can't have Kylo Ren just be the main villain. So if you're going to redeem him, you have to have a bigger villain that he is teaming up with Rey to fight. And the fact that Snoke is no longer there, it's like, oh, well, let's let's bring in Palpatine. And again, it just feels like something that should have been set up along the way. And this should have felt like a culmination and a, a satisfying conclusion to something that was built up over three movies instead of them cramming in all this exposition at the beginning and then being like, OK, so Palpatine's been pulling the strings the whole time. He created Snoke. He's got this whole fleet of Star Destroyers. All right, let's go. You ready? And it's like, I don't know if I'm ready. Like, I need a little bit more with that. Um, I, I, I took it when, 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 cause I, again, yes, it's there for dramatic value. We all know that, but if you just take it as basically, yes, they were, he probably put the, let's, let's try to put it in Canon, right? He probably put the ships, um, underneath the ground. Like he parts with all the fleet that he had left from operation center. Cause remember the, the empire goes into, um, the unknown regions to basically hide out that that's from Canon. And that became the first order. We don't know that the remnants of the empire, all other other parts of the remnants had different orders. Went through to this planet that was going had go had go through um, Exegol, and when they all got there, they probably put their ships underground so they wouldn't be detected by other people, so they can build their army from whatever they need, and then build this new quote unquote Sith army. I mean, that's the way I kind of look at it, looked at it as. I mean, it's it's an it's an, a random place. And they probably had, you know, again, a, a a final order kind of operating from the shadows even further from the first order to keep slowly building their army over the next 30 plus years. And so, again, if you look at it like that, it makes kind of sense. And then the time had come for them to finally, you know, come up and, and whatever. Once Ben Solo showed up, he's like, all right, guys, it's time to move up, get set, get set, because the guy who is running the show now, he's here. He's a person I need to get to get the my granddaughter in, which we'll get in that in a second. But I just felt like once once uh, Ben or once the Emperor knew that the, the things were in motion, that Luke was off the table and all of that, he knew it's my time now. I've got to get I got to you know he's the ultimate chess player, right? He's got to get everything in order, and I feel that that's. You just take it at face. You just gotta take it at face value. Yeah, you can nitpick everything in Star Wars. You can nitpick the fact there's there's no sound in space in real life. I mean, come on, let's you know. Or so let's. I guess for me, it's like you can nitpick all that stuff, but for me, it it, it ultimately is fine because you can you know that he's been operating from the shadows and, and on this planet forever. So it's just him saying, you know, dramatically, hey, you know what? We're all here, and it was and it worked. It was amazing. So. We can nitpick it, but I think ultimately it works for me. Yeah, I'm kind of more in agreement with you there, Paul. Yeah, maybe could have worked better if they kind of gave a little more exposition on that in the movie, but you're able to piece together, I think, how it all fits in and work this, with Palpatine's plan. Like I said, he's the ultimate chess player. He had all this in motion and knew this was the end game for where he wanted to get to um, after Return of the Jedi and everything happened there. And I just like how it is he's referring to now as the final order, just showing that the first order was never meant to be his ultimate goal as far as being the new power in control of the galaxy. It was just kind of a means to an end to maybe get things going and distract from his real armada and fleet that he was building there on Exegol to be, as he called it, the final order and Kylo Ren's new empire that he'll rule over. So I just like that aspect and given that new name of the final order, um, just showing the place of the First Order and how it all fits into 
his grand scheme of things as he was as it was unfolding. And like I said, I think he knew this was the time where he was going to reveal himself, obviously, for the st- stuff that has transpired with Luke being gone and Kylo taking the role of supreme leader of the First Order and making his presence known to Kylo. This is everything is what he needs for his plan, his final stage of his plan to get going. Of course, the final step of that is to get Ray. But it was just, again, one of the things I was excited for was to see more of Palpatine's genius at work here as far as always having a contingency plan, even in the case of his death. And we're seeing the fulfillment of that. And yeah, there's maybe some gaps that we have to fill in ourselves or later on they'll be filled in in novels or comics and whatever. And I get that where maybe it would have been better to have it all laid out in the movie. But at the same time, in the very beginning, I can understand where they just really want to get the basics out there and have you see what you need to see and know what you need to know in order to get the ball rolling for the story we're going to see in the movie. So overall, I just really loved how everything was played out in this sequence here with Palpatine, just being someone who was really excited about his return. Um, It was just a great introduction for him to come back into Star Wars again. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, I love the way that the scene itself played out. It's just more like, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to give them a pass on certain things, just knowing the challenges that JJ had to work with. It just feels like, like to me, I watch it and I can tell that Palpatine being the main villain of this movie is something that they came up with at the last minute. Like you see, there's a line of dialogue where it makes me think maybe that wasn't the case. Maybe it was a little. There's some, been some seeds planted that they wanted this to be the a- actual end for the Skywalker. Well, what is it? Palpatine back. It was one of Leia's lines actually where she says he's always out there lurking in the shadows, kind of like, I forget the exact line, but he says always lurking in the shadows, being in, like the puppet master type thing. And But you have to know- remember, that was extra dialogue that they filmed with Carrie Fisher in The Force Awakens, so I guarantee you or that Snoke she was probably. talking about Snoke. See, yeah. but that makes me think, because it's in The Force Awakens, it could have been an idea they had to lay out there for Palpatine. And because we don't know the full context of where she was would have said that in The Force Awakens. I don't think so, because even like Colin Trevorrow has said that he never even thought to bring Palpatine in for episode nine. And that was something that J.J. Abrams thought of once he came on board to direct episode nine. And he said that, like, it was a really tough story to crack. And J.J. kind of like him bringing in Palpatine suddenly was like the key that made the story work. Um, and they could make it seem like, oh, well, what if we just had it like Palpatine was pulling the strings all along? But that seemed like sort of a solution to maybe them not knowing what to do with Episode Nine, as opposed to something that had been built up along the way. Well, and I think also that th- I think the reason they brought the Emperor in and, and I'm just going to skip not skip ahead necessarily, but just kind of talk a little bit about something. The, I think w- they had a clear idea of what they wanted to do with Ben Solo. And because of that and what in his arc and, and what they want to do with him with redemption, I think that ultimately dictated what they needed to do, needed to do with Snoke being gone. You had to get someone that was an overarching villain that that her that basically Ray and Ben could team up against. I think yeah, that exactly. was ultimately yeah. So I think that that was ultimately why they had to bring the Emperor back in because they want they didn't want to have this be Kylo Ren versus Ray because because I'll be honest that is a very that's just too predictable you know what I mean like mm-hmm. that's like everyone sees that going you know, coming you know coming a mile away and 
And I think what what's fascinating about this movie, and and even though sequel trilogy, I think was a, was a mis- mis- mistake in a sense where they should have been planning this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we all, I think we all we all agree to that to you know yeah. completely. Yeah. But what's fascinating is the behind the scenes stuff we're gonna get from everything as like the fallout, especially from after the Last Jedi, and not because of the, the reaction to the Last Jedi, but because of what happened with Colin Trevorrow and what that meant and George Lucas's involvement. What does that mean? Because there's so many different rumors that are out there. And I, I don't believe every rumor that I read, don't get me wrong, but I do believe when there's smoke, there's fire. And I happen to think that there was, they just had no idea where to go after Ryan Johnson and in the, and in the last Jedi, because you kill off Luke, you kill off Snoke and then you have Ray versus Kylo Ren. And that's, and that's essentially what Ryan was setting up, but dramatically they just, if you're if you're gonna say this is gonna last of the saga, which again I don't I don't think they necessarily totally think that, but they wanted to have that as a possibility to sell it as that. You can't just have it versus Ray and Kylo Ren be, or uh, or Kylo Ren because it's it's not dramatic, and you already know like well if Ray's a rando and not a Skywalker, then she kills off Kylo Ren. You kind of know what's gonna happen. You already know what's gonna happen at the end of the movie. So they needed to do something. To, to, you could tell they wanted to redeem Ben in some way and that they that was the ultimate they wanted that to be a big part of the movie and to do that they had to do something and they had to do something dramatic and they had to work dramatically on all different levels and ultimately the Emperor made the most sense because he's the already the overarching villain for all the films and I gotta believe by bringing the Emperor back and I was totally anti this and I argue with people online and I'm probably going to eat my words now, potentially. I think this means that Palpatine's going to re- be retconned for the creation of Anakin. I kind of think it's going to happen now, hmm. I, even though it's all, even though it's already been insinuated, even in Tarkin, I'm going, going back against what I've said a couple you know, months ago when some uh, guy on Twitter that I don't, I don't really like very much was like, oh, it just means that Palpatine created Anakin because in a Charles soul comic, which was, again, it was in a comic book that, you get that energy of Palpatine manipulating around Anakin's or uh, Shimmy Skywalker. And I was like, hey, no, no, no. It's already kind of referenced a little bit kind of in a side note that, again, Plagueis was manipulating the midi-chlorians and that, you know, there was a reaction to the force and didn't know yeah. what it was. Blah. But I kind of think now with Palpatine's inclusion in this in this uh, trilogy and, and the significance of Rey and all that stuff. I kind of think that that's potential now. Like, I really think there's a potential that they could make it even more connected. It would, and honestly, I wouldn't blame them for it. So I just kind of feel that you're right, that it's obvious that this wasn't the inclusion, but there's so many retcons that you can do and it would make sense. And I also think when he says, I've been every voice inside your head and it reveals that he was even the literal voice of Darth Vader. And you hear James Earl Jones voice when he says that. And you go, I go back, I'm watching The Force Awakens now while we're talking, it's on mute. And that scene when, when Vader's talking to the mask, we, we all assumed it was Emperor Palpatine, but we know now it was 100% Palpatine. Like it was, it was all, it was all Palpatine manipulating Kylo Ren from, from the start and where that connection comes from, maybe because he helped create, you know, the, uh, the Skywalker clan. I don't know. It's, it is, it is very interesting, but I think that really does help me. If, if they do retcon that and they do kind of outright say Palpatine is very much a big part of the creation of the Skywalker uh, clan because of him manipulating many chlorians, maybe with Darth Plagueis. But I think you I think doing that makes a lot makes a lot more sense in hindsight now. 
Man, that's yeah. an interesting debate and a whole topic we can go on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like we could do a whole other episode about that because, I mean, if they explained that Palpatine was the one who created Anakin, I guess I could be okay with that. But I don't think anything in this movie makes me think that, oh, that that's what they're going to do. Like, he doesn't yeah, mention Anakin right. at no, all or right. anything like yeah. that. So um, I think that's and still also, kind of two separate things. Yeah, I just don't think he needs that in order to have him fully be connected and part of the Skywalkers. Cause I think he already is that just in how big of a role he played in turning Anakin into the right, dark side yeah. and how mm-hmm. that affected the Skywalkers too. So if it's the case, just cause they want to make him more connected to the Skywalkers. Um, I don't think that necessarily that has to be the reason. Cause I think he fully already is connected to them in a pretty big way. Yeah. And like you said, he's already, you know, fully established as the main villain behind all, you know, everything going on in the whole saga. So you don't need, he doesn't need like a literal connection to the Skywalkers. Like yeah. just story-wise, there's a big connection between the Skywalkers and the Palpatines. Um, yeah. I, I, but at the same time, I think because again, this is coming back from the, the comic book kind of connections that me and Tim kind of come from. That's very much a comic book, uh, you know, they kind of bind it more closely together. And I think, again, not saying everything has to be that closely connected, but when you're dealing with a very enclosed mythology like this, to me, it just makes more sense. But, yeah, I I understand nothing in this movie says they're going to do that, but it would not surprise me if they ended up doing that in the future. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, there's obviously a lot more now that can be explained about Palpatine's backstory and what he's up to. Oh, in the back yes. Of all these movies oh, yeah. and stuff. Um, but anyway, let's let's move on to like the second scene of the movie, shall we? Um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm sorry. So uh, then we cut to uh, the Millennium Falcon um, with Finn and Poe. Uh, they're flying to. Um, the this big floating iceberg station that we all thought from the trailer was where Palpatine was, but it turns yeah. out it's just this little you know refueling station or whatever in the middle of the nowhere. Uh, they go there. They, by the way, they they go there. They meet up with a resistance agent uh, who gives them some information. They download a, a an encrypted message into R two, uh, and then they take off, getting chased by some Tie fighters. Um, and then this was cool. The Millennium Falcon, you know, they, they escape from the station. The Falcon takes off into hyperspace and then all the TIE fighters take off into space after him. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know they could do that. Um, and then Poe does this light speed skipping, which is weird that like some people are like, oh, I thought the light speed skipping was really cool. And then other people are like, man, that was so stupid. And I'm like, he came out of light speed and then went back into light speed I didn't really care one way or the other. I mean, it was a fun scene, but I was like, I wasn't like, oh, they can't do that. I was like, why wouldn't you be able to come out of light speed and then go back into light speed? It's not like there's a recharge timer on the hyperdrive. Um, yeah, I thought it was really cool, actually. Something new and different that we're seeing being used with light speed and just to get more cool environments in this short little action sequence that we got. So um, we did see in that international trailer where in the final jump, they were in that green nebula space with that big monster coming there. And I thought that was mm-hmm. going to be a whole big sequence, but the fact it was part of that light speed skipping, I thought it was something cool and unique for a Star Wars movie to have. And just to see the Falcon do that and get these cool visuals as we're going along as they make their escape from TIE fighters, because you can't go through asteroid fields all the time yeah. when being chased by TIE fighters. So I thought this was a cool new unique way to have a space chase in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. I, I, thought, also... it was, I thought it was cool too. I, like you said, I just like the change of pace and the change of environments. Yeah, I, I just have a couple things on the, on this this little part here. I, I liked everything I saw. I was disappointed that the ice 
uh, base, whatever, was just a com- like a compound, like Me a too, gas station, yeah. basically. I'm like, oh, that's not where he's hiding out. Bummer. Because it looks so cool. Yeah. And again, still, it still works. It's still awesome. But I'm just disappointed that wasn't where they're hanging out. But you know what? Exegol is also way cooler than that. So it's yeah. fine. But but so either way, I still I, I love I love that. I love the resistance guy that they're talking to. It I did like too. Hamill. It is Mark Hamill. Oh, it is. I yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I had no so. idea. Yeah. But I, I thought yeah, his voice was really cool when he's like, "How can we repay you?" And he goes, "Win the war." Win the war. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Yes!" I, I, every time I hear it, I'm like, "That's Mark Hamill." And I, I just didn't know for sure if it was. Um, I love that guy. It just felt very. Again, I love the reintroduction to Finn, Poe, and Chewie, and yeah. everything was was great in that scene. And um, the light speed skipping was fine. I, I I liked it. Again, it was a great re- reintroduction to those characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a fun little scene. And then we go to uh, they land on um, I think the planet is called Agent Kloss, which is the new like jungle planet that the Resistance base is on. I actually only know that from uh, Battlefront because that's the new map that's out for that. Um, but I don't think they ever mentioned it by name in the movie. Um, but we cut to that and you see Ray doing this really cool thing where she's floating up in the air with all these rocks floating around her, um, you know, lifting rocks again. Um, and I actually didn't catch on to this till like this, the second or third time that I watched it, but she's saying, you know, be with me. Um, and then she goes, they're not with me. And she comes down to the ground and she, you see her talking to Leia and she says something about trying to hear, uh, the spirit or the voices of the Jedi of old or something like that. Um, and I guess it's part of her training, maybe something she read about in those books or something like that, where she's just trying to commune with other Jedi through the force and it's not working and she's getting frustrated. And, um, but it, it was cool. This reveal that Leia is now the one that's taken up training her as a Jedi. Mm. Um, now again, this is now not to, nitpick about this and obviously i'm gonna give them a pass on anything (laughs) you know carrie fisher related because i know they had very limited material to work with but this idea of leia as a jedi i it's not even that it was is bad or anything i mean i loved what they did in the movie but i wish that they had built this up more over the course of the trilogy like leia's force sensitivity and everything i mean i know we saw it in um the last jedi and so that was kind of our first little tease of it um, but the fact that Luke is gone and now Leia is training Rey as a Jedi, it's like, well, why couldn't she do that in the first place when, you know, everybody thought Luke was gone on Octo um, and Leia thought, uh, you know, she's like, oh, we need Luke to come back and we need a Jedi to help. It's like, well, apparently you've been one the whole time. Um, yeah, so I, the... and, and again, this is kind of a little nitpicky thing because I, I love the stuff that they actually did with her in the movie. I just wish that this had been maybe built up a little bit more over the course of maybe just because I thought it was cool to see. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I mean, yeah. that was a story aspect I was not expecting, but I totally love it. Just made perfect sense because I was just expecting Ray was going to get the rest of her training from the book she took from Octo, and that's how she was going to progress. But the fact that Leia became her new master and Ray even calls her master. That was awesome. Yeah. And it, it was just great to know that Leia did, which we'll get to later, which blew my mind, but mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing that Leia was trained in the force more than we originally thought. And we know that she went full blown back into politics and the new Republic. And then once having to form the resistance, that was all her focus. And so, see, I didn't even think of any nitpicks like you had, Kyle. That, those thoughts didn't even come to my mind while, while watching. I just loved it that this is what 
they're doing with Lay and Ray are just amazing. So, but when you mention it, it just makes me think. Well, I think since she probably wasn't fully trained to the extent that Luke was, she realized Luke is what Ray needed to really, you know, bring about teaching her how to control her abilities as a Force user. And so, I think that's would be the reason why she, even though she could do it if she had to, but it wasn't the best for Ray there if Luke was out there. So it was, I think it was kind of out of a necessity type thing. And so that's why she was all that's left and all Ray had. And that's why she decided to become her master. But regardless, like I said, I didn't have any of those thoughts coming into my head while watching it. I just was loving that that's the direction they took with Leia and Ray. And just talk about great introductions. All the characters had, I loved Ray's just seeing her floating in the air like that mm-hmm. <laughs> saying, you know, speak to me. And once she said, I was like, oh boy, just, they're setting the stage up for hopefully the big, all these force ghosts that, that we've been hoping for. But the fact that that was a little plot that, that they threw in early on, I thought was great. And just visually too, seeing Ray like that. And I just love how she says, uh, like, speak to me. And like, they're not speaking to me. And then she, just the way she flips down and comes down, just visually, it looked really cool. And then going through that training montage, it was just awesome seeing what her training under Leia was like, it was just really, really cool. I loved everything about Ray's introduction here with Leia. This getting smack. First, we had the dark side of things with their introduction to Palpatine, but then getting the contrast of that with the light side and seeing what Ray's been up to and how her training has been progressing. I just thought it was handled great. I was very surprised. Again, I stayed away from spoilers, and I think someone kind of mentioned on on Twitter. Kind of, I kind of loosely heard that and I just kind of kind of disregarded it and I went oh okay and I remember thinking so if she's training Ray that means she must have went through with Jedi training at some point but I know in the canon they kind of talked about how I'm not sure what book it was whatever but they didn't really talk about her getting Jedi training necessarily and they never again never went into it because I didn't know what they didn't know what direction to go I don't think initially they kind of went with I think initially they went with the whole well I'm just going to be a, a politician I'm not going to get any Jedi training and I love the fact that no no this you know Rise of Skywalker says no no she was trained by Luke and now she's going to put on whatever she knows into Rey as far as you know the Jedi Order or whatever and do the best she can and what I thought it was was great was and I I personally think this how they handled her was beautiful. And I, and I, and I know we'll get the, the, the very, you know, towards the end, whatever, but just about this stuff, the, the mm-hmm. fact they were able to use what they had and they could work around that. I thought was, it was pretty well done. Let's be real. I oh, mean, like seamless. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought it was, you know, I saw, I've heard my, 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 my counterpart, Sean, uh, wasn't a huge fan of how they, they dealt with things. Uh, sorry, my dog was freaking out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Someone else can take over because my dog's going to keep barking for a second. Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, again, especially given the limited amount of stuff they had to work with and obviously the unfortunate circumstance of uh, Carrie Fisher's passing. I mean, I thought they did the best, you know, the best that they possibly could with, uh, you know, what they had to work with of incorporating her into the story and giving her a, uh, a satisfying story arc and a satisfying purpose in the story. Um, I, I kind of have one issue with it, which I'll get into later, but it's not really in, it's not really so much with, uh, with the Leia and the Carrie Fisher aspect. It's more how it ties into 
what's going on with um with Ray and Ben, but um yeah, especially here in this scene, I mean again, seeing her train Ray was just really cool. And so, you know, she goes and talks to Leia and then she says, you know, I'm going to go run the training course again to kind of clear my head. And so this was a cool little sequence where we just see um again we see like what Ray is doing for her Jedi training. Um, and we see her, you know, running through the jungle. It's, it's very Luke on Dagobah reminiscent. You know, you see her swinging on trees and jumping over chasms and, um, you know, it's like this little obstacle course that she's made for herself. She's going to climb a tree and grab a ribbon and then run and, you know, block blaster bolts from a training remote that's chasing after her. Um, and it was just a fun little sequence and again, cool to see her, uh, still training and growing her force powers and, and seeing what that Jedi training is like for her. Um, and then we and cut... you can see the... oh, say, you can see the progress of what she's made with the use of a lightsaber. The way yeah. she's deflecting those blasts yeah. and swinging it, it just looked very finesse. And some someone who's been practicing and training for a while. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you really said, cool. you, you could see that progression um, and see that she's you know come quite a ways even since the last Jedi, where she still was able to hold her own pretty well in that fight mm. against the Praetorian guards. But um, but then as she's going along, we cut back to Kylo on his Star Destroyer, and he. Uh, brings up Vader's mask that he obviously still has, and he touches it, and uh, I don't know if, again, this was one of those things that was was kind of weird with exactly what was going on here. Like, yeah. was he intentionally trying to reach out to Rey, and if so, why did he need Vader's mask to do it? It kind of felt more like they just want to remind the audience that he has Vader's mask, and also reestablish the connection between him and Rey at the same time. Um but but it was a, a you know cool moment where he's obviously sort of reaching out through the force and you see it impacting Ray and they don't like have a full on conversation or whatever but she's suddenly having flashbacks of um, stuff between the two of them and flashbacks to her childhood and it's just this very brief you know sort of flash of imagery that suddenly causes her to become distracted and she stumbles and then. Um, you know, is like swinging wildly at the training remote and isn't obviously focused on her training anymore. She's getting hit and then she throws her lightsaber and smashes it with a stick and everything. And you see she's very um, sort of distracted and flustered by what she just saw um, that apparently was caused by Ben. Again, I don't really know what was going on there in terms of like, was he trying to do that? Was the force just acting that way? But um, I mean, functionally in the story, it obviously served to sort of remind you of this bond that exists between them and show you that it's still there. Cause at the end of the last Jedi, it looked like she shut him out. Um, but you're seeing that the two of them are still connected. And again, even if it's not intentional, maybe it's just Kylo trying to meditate on the dark side, but whatever he's doing in the force is impacting Ray as well. Um, and so just reestablishing that deep connection between the two of them in the force for what's going to, you know, progress in the story. Yeah, I kind of felt that way too. First seeing it, as far as like the exact connection of him touching Vader's helmet was causing that. But I'm kind of liking it now to how when she first touched the Skywalker lightsaber, how she got all those visions that she was seeing. Maybe it was kind of something in the reverse effect where Kylo touching the helmet and their connection that Kylo and Ray have to the Force by him touching that the vision he was having kind of went with to her as well knowing as we'll get to later their connection in the force and how in that vision they shared the same destiny about both of them sitting on the Sith throne. So maybe it was him touching Vader's helmet prompted that vision that she later explains what it is, but they both had it 
in that time and that's where you know it really shook her up so that's kind of how i'm viewing now was almost like a different vision effect was her touching the lightsaber in the force awakens but in this case it was kylo touching vader's helmet what brought up that vision this time yeah so i'm i'm gonna go ahead and say that i think that this whole scene is I think it's impactful because one, it's it's got dark side energy. It's got a big connect. Kyle has a giant connection to the helmet, and also because of the connection between Palpatine and Vader and Kylo. Because remember, uh, Darth or Palpatine was communicating through the mask, or not through the mask, but was communicating to, to Kylo Ren, kind of using the mask as a way of like helping communicate to. Uh, uh, Kylo Ren because that's what Kylo Ren is talking to the mask he puts on a pedestal so I think because of the connection between Palpatine and Rey and, and Kylo Ren and the fact that they are at that point in the story they are now connected and, and we hear Snoke say in the in the last Jedi hey you know what I bridged your minds together which maybe Palpatine thinks he did but you know what going forward a, a couple seconds there's that deeper connection that, that yeah. Kylo Ren references later. That that's what I think that you're getting a pre. It's a it's a, it's a um, oh my gosh it's a foreshadowing their connection that they're explaining their connection. Kyle, that's what I took it as. So that they're that Palpatine slash Snoke said I bridge your minds together, but really it formed that thing we'll talk about later on that Kylo Ren reveals, and that's what's foreshadowing that there is a connection between them, even in the Vanity Fair article. Um, or the whatever article it was back in the day and back in May or whatever, it said that uh, there's a connection between these two characters. And that's the connection. Their, their connection, they form their special formation in the force. That's what Kylo Ren is, is getting into. And that when he touches that mask, she feels it from there because of that connection, I think. And I, I think all well, those things combined. Right. And like I said, it definitely the the purpose that it serves in the story is to to establish to the audience that there's still a connection between them. It's just the fact that it's I don't know, it's like, oh, I'm gonna touch Vader's helmet and now that's when this is gonna happen. It I don't know, like maybe didn't work a hundred percent for me, but I get what they were going for. And like I said, the, at least the purpose of the scene I think worked and then they build on that going forward. But, but um, I think, but I think it's but deliberately, I think it is calling to something specifically. Like I think in my opinion, it's calling that what Kylo Ren says later on that is end up being huge because, because I have a lot of things to talk about that too eventually. But I think that, is specifically what it's calling to Tim. You said you, you agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think take heart. It really is calling to hmm. that thing specifically later on in the movie. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, again, it's, it's not that I have an issue with that. Anything about like the, the outcome of the scene. It's just the setup was a little weird, but not that big of an issue for me. Cause when um, I was first watching it, I just love seeing Ray's training and then it just cuts to Kylo revealing Vader's helmet. It's like, oh, that was kind of abrupt <laughs> the yeah. way to transition from Ray training to Kylo in the helmet. But later on, it reveals that we're going back to Ray's training. It was going to be a connection that they built. I was like, okay, I get what they're doing here. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of how I felt. Um, but then, of course, uh, the Falcon comes back and, uh, you know, so Ray goes back. She's reunited with uh, Poe and Finn. Poe's coming out just going, all right, it's on fire, it's all on fire, and we see, um, you know, the scene with the three of them kind of bickering, and uh, Ray and Poe are going back and forth about, um, you know, oh, you weren't supposed to light speed skip, and you overloaded the compressor, and, oh, meanwhile, when Ray got distracted during her training, she cut a tree, and it fell on BB-8, 
And so she's <laughs> like, you messed up my ship and Poe's like, you messed up my droid. And, you know, there's kind of this banter back and forth that kind of was reminiscent of like Han and Leia's bickering in The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, I don't know that I would say it was quite as good on that level in terms of chemistry, but it was just, you know, a fun little dynamic between the characters. And you can see that they've been through a lot together uh, since The Last Jedi. And, um, you know, Poe and Finn are out on these missions and Poe says, you know, hey, Ray, we need you out there. Like, you're our best fighter. And, uh, you know, but instead you're back here training, like, for what? Um, but obviously we know she's training to face off against Kylo Ren again and unbeknownst to her, face off against Palpatine. So obviously that Jedi training is important. Um, but, you know, a fun little reunion between the three of them here and, uh, seeing, you know, the Falcon again, BB-8, all that stuff. Yeah. And this is, I don't know, as we talked about with the Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, how our three main protagonists, Ray, Finn, and Poe, haven't been together in pretty much any sequence of those two movies. And we knew we were going to get that going in. And I just felt right away, it's like, oh, so this is what we've been missing in mm-hmm. those other two movies with all three of them. I thought this naturally was Ray and Poe were kind of bickering and arguing about the Falcon and BB-8 and their conditions. I thought it just played off really well. Like, we've seen this all before. They're just building on a com- like chemistry that they've had. we just never seen. But so it just made me think, man, we could add more of this type of stuff. And I think it gets better as the movie goes on and the other situations our characters find themselves in but i thought it was just a nice way to kick it off as far as you know what their banter and dialogue is going to be like together so like you said it was a kind of fun way to get all three characters uh, back together again or for the first time more accurately yeah and i love john boy i love john boyega's performance in this whole movie and especially some yeah. of his comedic timing and delivery and there's a line here where uh you know, Ray is bickering with Poe and then Poe walks away and Ray goes to Finn and she's like, is he in a bad mood? And Finn's like, always like uh, <laughs> he had some great stuff in this. Um, But then, of course, they go to see Leia and they decrypt the message from R2. Um, and it's uh, well, first of all, they find out that there's a mole in the first order that has passed this information to them. Um, and they're talking about, uh, Palpatine essentially and saying that he actually, they're, this basically is confirming the information that Kylo Ren has now passed to the first order. And now this mole is telling the resistance that yes, Kylo Ren is back. He's on this planet called Exegol. Um, and then I forget if this was the scene where they set it up. Cause this is where they find out everything that, you know, Palpatine's back. He's got this fleet. He's going to come attack everybody. And I think I said this on our Force Awakens commentary. I hate when they do these dumb, like, countdowns in movies where they're like, mm-hmm. um, oh, the First Order's got a fleet and it's going to be moving out in 16 hours. And, you know, so clock's ticking. We got to go find out. And it's like, I, that part didn't work for me. But the I, I did it's just unnecessary, really. Because the time frame ever come into play, really? They mention it once. They mention it once. one other time, like halfway through the movie, and yeah. Poe's like, we got eight hours left. The only reason yeah, it's in it. there is because the Star Destroyers are just hanging there above Exegol waiting for the big battle at the end for them to come attack. And it's like, well, if they're going to move out and start conquering the galaxy, why didn't they do that at the beginning? And so you got to have, like, an explanation for that, and the easiest cheapest way out is oh they're gonna move out in 24 hours and we gotta get there before they do that which is also (sighs) i should probably save this for the end but one thing that 
again, I don't want to get super nitpicky, but if you're going to set this up, then you got to follow the logical rules of it. And so if halfway through the movie they've got eight hours left, I would assume by the time they're taking off for the final battle and they're taking off for Exegol, you're probably down to like one or two hours, right? Now, they never really established this in Star Wars because it looks like when you jump through light speed, you know, it's pretty quick. But there are other times when you see it taking some time, like when when Luke and uh, Ben and Han are traveling to Alderaan in the first Star Wars movie. Like, it's taking them a while. They're chilling out in the back. They're playing to Jairic. It's like, okay, we're waiting until we get there. So you're telling me that at the end of the movie, Lando Lightspeed jumps all across the galaxy and rallies all these allies who then all show up at Exegol within like an hour? I don't know about that. You know, I those and those are legitimate criticisms. But for me, I, when I hear time and stuff, unless they are over analyzing the time aspect of a movie, I I lose pace of, or lose con, like consciousness of the time completely and i don't even think about it usually and they have to really be talking about it all the time and i'll be honest i forgot about the time limit when you said you talked about this just now all three times i've seen this movie so i've never yeah. i've i've never really mean. cared i've never cared that much about that stuff so I, it's a legitimate beef but i just don't movies like this i'm like nah whatever just move on and but the the fleet thing and we're you're jumping you're jumping ahead sir it's usually my job um, well yeah it's just like this was where they established the the ticking clock and so i just wanted to get to why that was an issue for me at the end of the movie but yeah the ticking clock i those things in movies i just do not unless they are emphasizing and they they're using that as a as a, as a literal way to pull drama in which I know that's what they're trying to do in this movie too. Yeah, it, but... it's one thing when it's a Mission Impossible movie and like there's a bomb going off that has a timer on it. Like that's fine. Right, but right. when it's like, oh, you know, the the big battle is going to happen at the end of the movie. But within the space of the actual story, we're going to say that like, oh, they got 16 hours before they got to get there. Like it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I don't really think that hard about it, to be honest. It's a, it's a legitimate nitpick, but I just think you're, you're again, it's, it's kind of like, again – why why are they making noise in space? Why are they breathing in atmosphere? You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's but the fact that they use that as an actual storytelling device, like the little scientific inaccuracies I don't care about. But um But those are the same those are the same kind of things you're talking about. Si- si- time is scientific, right? Uh, I would disagree though, I, because again, I, they're using that to propel the plot forward. Right. You're 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 right. You're you're right. I but to me it's it's similar in an aspect that I don't let it just ruin my experience i just kind of go with it well yeah and again it doesn't it doesn't ruin the whole movie for me by any stretch like i said i overall enjoy the movie a lot i'm just gonna pick out the things that i wish they had done differently well Um, i really fast kyle it's it's interesting because i think when you don't love a movie not you personally but i think anyone including myself you're you're gonna be even more, if you don't love it initially especially with star wars like for me last jedi i will point out every little fault i can with that Whereas if I love something, I'm more forgiving of it, you know? So I, I yeah. wonder if, like, because your initial watch was not just absolute love, that you're, you're just kind of you're more critical of it because of it. And that's not a bad thing. It's just something that we do, I think, just kind of subconsciously because, again, we didn't initially love it. And those things are kind of like those little things that maybe bug us or wouldn't bug us if we absolutely loved everything else. We just kind of roll over. We're just going to naturally just kind of go, well, it kind of bugged me because, again, you didn't – the other stuff didn't connect with you initially, so those things stick out more. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. And, I mean, I, that is kind of how I feel about it. Like, 
there are other Star Wars movies, like Revenge of the Sith is a great example. Like, that's a flawed movie, and I will admit that, but it's also an awesome yeah. movie, and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. Absolutely. Um, Same here. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, I mean, my issues with that movie are more with, like, the dialogue and the acting, whereas I have legitimate gripes with, like, elements of the story in this movie that I just wish had been written differently or executed differently or, or whatever. But overall, I still enjoy it very much. So I don't want to sound like I'm harping on the nitpicks too much. I just want to point out some of those things. And especially for people listening who maybe really didn't like the movie and, and have those criticisms, I'm kind of trying to validate some of that too. Because again, like opinions on this movie are all over the place. And it's okay if you love it, and it's okay if you hate it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah. just trying to be Sorry. fair in my criticism of the things I love and the things I didn't love. Um, That's fair. That's fair. But, um, oh, so one thing I did like about this scene, they also talk about, um, in addition to, you know, the the ticking clock and the fleet and whatever, they're, it's the first time they find out Palpatine's back and they go, uh, yeah. How is that possible? And uh, Dominic Monaghan's character, he play, I don't know the name of his character, but he plays this, uh, you know, resistance oh officer, something. <laughs> which is funny I because I, I saw oh somebody on Twitter be like, I don't care what you thought of, of Rise of Skywalker. This guy is a villain because he knows too much. Um, and I was like, yeah, he kind of did have yeah. a lot of answers for things. But um, but I like when, you know, he was like, uh he just mentions like cloning and dark science and secrets only the Sith knew. Um, and again, doesn't really give you much of an actual explanation, but it's still cool to hear those things referenced. And yeah, I mean, this is, it's very similar to the situation in clone wars when they brought Darth Maul back. Right. And really the only explanation they ever gave for how he actually survived being cut in half and falling down a pit. And then how he got from Naboo to, uh, the junk planet and survived for 10 years with half a body was that my hatred kept my body or my spirit intact, even though my body was broken. And basically my hatred and the dark side kept me alive. And that's not much of an explanation to go on, but then they tell some really cool stories with Darth Maul. So you let it slide. And it was kind of the same thing with Palpatine here. Like I didn't want them to sit there and in the movie, give me a bunch of exposition and say like, well, after the Death Star, his body disintegrated, but then his spirit went into a clone and then da, 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 da. it's like they give you enough that like, okay, there, you know, the Sith know things. And even, you know, at the beginning when he says the dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities, I know some people are like, oh, sure, that was, you know, K2SO. I find that answer vague and unconvincing. But for me, it was enough, <laughs> at least for now. I think anyone who's really knowledgeable of the lore of Star Wars, especially with Clone Wars, and knowing all the stuff we've got explored with the Force, both Dark Side and Light Side in that series, it's sufficient for, I think, fans like us. And you might have to do a little explaining where you see it with some casual audiences, but I think overall, if you know the lore really well, I think what most hardcore fans do, it is something that you can you know, figure out not all exact details, but you buy into it how he's back and whatnot. And even those little lines that uh, Dominic Monaghan's character Beaumont said, like, yeah, there are different ways that it could have happened. It's and maybe they want it to be left up to interpretation as far as how exactly. But I don't think that interpretation is going to last long if you do have an idea, because I just know eventually we're going to get these stories and these questions answered that weren't in the movies eventually i mean heck we still don't know how maz got the skywalker saver mm -hmm. and which was a story for another time and that time hasn't come yet and i'm sure 
to find out exactly the details of what transpired after Palpatine um, was thrown out into the Death Star shaft. I'm sure that's all going to be laid out eventually. But for right now, you could kind of piece together and have it work if you know the Star Wars lore and history of stuff like this happening in the past, as you mentioned with Darth Maul. I don't think that it it was a, a something we can kind of throw away to kind of establish things because, again, it's a lore-building thing because what we find out is that the cloners from Kamino and things like that, that wasn't just a happenstance thing now. Potentially, what what again, part of the world-building and mythology-building thing that, that Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams have done in this movie has now established that cloning and dark i mean dark arts yeah that makes sense but cloning potentially could be a sith thing these are elements that could be picked up later on or earlier on um or later on for in prequel films or whatever or kind of going back and establishing what exactly does that mean and what does that mean necessarily for the greater galaxy far far away in its history because are we see this out throwaway line and again this is why i love star wars from back in the original trilogy throwaway lines would mean more would be established and picked up later on, even in the prequel trilogy. But the fact that he kind of says that, that he basically says, yeah, that cloning is a Sith kind of thing that, you know, dark arts are kind of a Sith thing. It's interesting that maybe the reason why we haven't had clones, like clone armies before the, the clone wars is because it has been more of a Sith thing. Mm, that's, that's a real mm. interesting point too. Yeah. And, and that's something that kind of picked up on it. I'm like, wait a minute. Like that's—I don't think that's a throwaway line. This is—I mean, maybe it is, you know, to Chris Terrio and and J.J. Abrams, but I think it's a bigger—I th- think it's a bigger deal that you can really build on. And there's other things that they—they've kind of made throwaway lines that I'm gonna—I'm gonna be built. I mean, talking about here in a second, but I want to talk about that because I think that's very, very important because he—they like you said, Kyle, they're essentially winking at the and again, they're we- not winking at the audience, but they are telling the audience. Or insinuating without telling us, make it up in your mind. How does Palpatine return? Well, I first thing you think about is for me as a as a as a child growing up in the mid '90s, when you know maybe when you, when baby Kyle was just being born, uh, <laughs> basically uh, a, a comic book called Dark Empire came out, and that was my episode seven, and my sequel trilogy, and the Emperor was brought back through cloning. And it definitely felt that was the way they were going with initially right off the bat. So when I see this kind of not the deformed emperor, but an actual like chancellor emperor at the very beginning of this movie, that's all zombified. And then you have Dominic Monaghan, the Hobbit saying, you know, (laughs) that basically that the cloning is, is a Sith Sith thing. I was like, Whoa, this is like dark empire, man. Like they're totally going, they're totally using dark empire stuff. I mean, yeah, it's not and, literal dark empire, but it, it very much is influenced by that. It seems like, yeah. Hinting at that. And honestly, like that was, that's one of those things from the old EU that I always thought was really dumb. Like with that. And like when they clone star killer, just to bring him back so they could make a force unleashed two and make more money off of it. Like I've always hated the idea of bringing dead characters back to life just to milk more out of their story. And especially when they're like, Oh, well there was a clone of him so we can make another story about the character. But then for whatever reason, like I always think I'm going to hate that. And then the way that they integrated it into the movie, I was like, you know, I'm actually kind of okay with that. And I think it's kind of cool that they reference something from legends that people are into, even if it wasn't really my cup of tea. Um, 
Again, it's like I'm not going to sit alone, there. And, Kyle. Huh? <laughs> You're not alone in thinking that there's a lot of people who don't like it. Uh, yeah, I know. And well, like I said, I don't like like I never liked that idea in the EU. But then I don't know when you go to see a movie and you already know that Palpatine's back. And so I've accepted it for what it is. And, it, you know, we were when we were mentioning t- talking about that earlier scene, too, where you see Palpatine for the first time. And I forget one of you guys was speculating, like, is that. Is that the same Palpatine that fell down the Death Star shaft or had he already been, you know, was that a clone body or something? I think it might actually be a clone body because he says something later on to either Rey or Kylo. He says, I've died before. And so maybe it's not the maybe that's not the same Palpatine. Now, it certainly looks like it could be because he's jacked up enough. I mean, he's blind. He's missing fingers like Something has messed this guy up, whether it was the Death Star explosion or whether it's just the corrosiveness of his own dark side power or whatever. But you can see he's clearly clinging to life. He's hooked up to a machine or, you know, whatever. But um, can I say why I think it's he's like that? If I'm going to throw something out there, I think there is a clone body. But the transfer of the dark side essence, his his own personality, decrepts the body because it is not natural. Like he says, it, it. it means unnatural. That's what it is. Yeah. And I that's why I'm, he needs. Again, like, I didn't think I would be okay with that explanation, but for what it is in the movie, I'm like, you know, I kind of like it. Yeah. If I could take it for a different direction with the cloning, and this is going to be no surprise coming from me, but um, knowing that the character Beaumont, Donna McMahon's character, is, I haven't read his full uh, section of the visual dictionary. But it does listen as someone who's like knows his history of the galaxy. And I'm wondering if he mentions that cloning aspect, because looking back at the history of the Clone Wars and knowing what happened, that Palpatine was a Sith Lord and knowing that everything that went down in the Clone Wars like we do, that a Sith Lord was responsible for the creation of the clone army. And he would use that as a reference to maybe knowing that a Sith Lord knows about that technology to create an army, he would do the same for himself, possibly down the line, knowing that he was able to do it successfully instead of maybe looking back to, you know, more of the connection to dark empire, maybe it is something from the actual recent galactic history. But I think it even goes further for him as a character, as someone who studies Sith history or Sith culture and whatnot. He's someone they didn't explore it too much, obviously in the movie, besides his little bit of dialogue right here. But it is someone who's kind of fascinated with the history of the galaxy and I think in particular stuff that has to do with the Sith and maybe the Force in general. But again, I haven't read his full section just yet, but that is something that is part of his character. And he could could be drawing that conclusion from re- recent history that um, he knows for sure that has transpired in the galaxy with the Sith. Yeah. Oh, and I was kidding when I said like, oh, he's suspicious because he knows too much or whatever. It's just like he does seem to have a lot of <laughs> answers in the movie. But yeah. um, I actually, I mean, I liked his character for like the limited amount of the screen time that he had. He wasn't like, you know, have a big character arc or anything like that. But I mean, I like Dominic Monaghan as an actor. So um, it was fun to see him in there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, then of course, you know, they're talking about Exegol and 3PO is the one that says, um, you know, oh, Exegol is the ancient homeworld of the Sith and nobody knows where it is. And uh, Rey has like, you know, she's been reading the ancient Jedi text that she took from Octo. And you see her at the beginning of this scene, like before they have their big meeting, she's flipping through the book and sees an image of that Wayfinder. And so she's like, she goes back to it and is like, oh, wait, hang on. I, you know, I've heard this before. Um 
And so this is where the whole kind of MacGuffin chase starts, which honestly, like I said, I didn't have any issue with because hunting down Sith artifacts and clues to ancient Sith planets and, you know, just Sith lore and stuff is definitely my cup of tea. So I thought this was fun. Um, it just gets you excited to the possibilities of what other cool new stuff we can learn about the Sith and ancient history yeah. <laughs> of this galaxy. It just gets you excited for what's to come next. Yeah. And so um, when they're off to go look for clues, and I forget if she knows right off the bat that like Luke had started searching for this thing um, and that, you know, they know that uh, they that he had been looking on um, the desert planet of Pasana. And so she goes, OK, I'm going to pick up where Luke left off and I'm going to follow his trail. I'm going to go to Pasana and, you know, it's too dangerous. I got to go alone. And so naturally Poe and Finn are like, yeah, of course it is. And we're coming with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> so and it was fun to see the gang all together on this adventure um, with, uh, you know, Ray and Finn and Poe and, of course, Chewie's with them and and BB-8. Um, so they take off, they go to Pasana. And when they get there, I love the the festival that they had. That was really cool as they're walking yeah, through. And maybe it was just the, that I was really feeling the music, but you're seeing – um, actually, I think we had probably talked about this maybe in some of our critiques of the earlier sequel trilogy movies, but these planets that feel very like, okay, you know, they they go to Jakku and there's just this one little village or they go to Takodana and it's just Maz's castle. But this felt like this planet had a culture and felt very lived in. Um, so it was a lot of fun to see that. And some we haven't seen too much of on desert planets. So it's nice to know that there is a desert planet that, like you said, is full of life and has culture of these festivals that people on there are celebrating too. So, yeah, even though it was another desert planet, it was nice to see it used differently with the inhabitants and the activities that were going on there. So, yeah, it was definitely a cool look visually. Just a different type of environment to see in Star Wars. But, like, there's a party and a festival going on. They're not just going to another town or market kind of similar to Moss Eisley or Moss Espa or Nima Outpost, so to speak, with something different. Yeah. I, I thought Pasana was a was a good introduction to to everything. So I, I do like again the setup of the fact we got well we don't we don't want to forget about the, the force Skyping that they do right oh, no um, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> well right so, yeah I, I was about to get to that because that's after oh, just the initial like festival oh, scene. Yeah, yeah yeah I mean it was cool getting the again your foreshadowing the whole uh, little girl's like, she wants to know your family name. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, they were really, you know, again, at this point, for me, the first time I saw the movie, I, you know, I knew Ray Rando was coming out the window, but I'm like, man, they are really yeah. this old. And I'm like, yeah. okay. I was loving every bit of it. <laughs> I know. I was just like, there's, there's this, uh, this kind of meme or, or something or this guy behind a tree, like licking his lips with his hand. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's basically me the whole time. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, Ray Rando. Yeah. But yeah. It, was, it was really cute. I actually really liked the, the little, uh, little the alien children. They were really yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, and I can understand, I mean, that scene was obviously a little heavy-handed in terms of, like, you know, the, oh, what's your last name? Oh, I don't have one, but I, at the same time, I mean, I liked just building that anticipation of, okay, we know we're going to find out who she is, what's it going to be? Um, so all those little clues that they dropped along the way, I, I really enjoyed just, like, building up the anticipation to that reveal. Um, but then, of course, you know, the little girl gives her the beads and then um, suddenly, you know, she she senses something and turns and suddenly it's like nighttime and she sees Kylo standing there uh, and he says, uh, like, Palpatine wants you dead. And she's like, oh, so you're serving another master. And he goes, uh, 
no, I have other plans. But then he talks about like the history between the two of them. And he's like, the last time, you know, I offered you my hand and you were going to take it. Um, and he's just like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to turn you to the dark side. And the next time you offer, I offer you my hand, you'll take it. Um, and she's like, oh yeah, whatever we'll see. And then he snatches the beads off her neck. And I thought this was cool because, you know, again, this was something that was kind of hinted at at the last, in, in the last Jedi, um, where, like you, you have those four Skyping sessions between the two of them. And there's the one where she's standing out in the rain and then Kylo like feels the water on his face and you're like, oh, so it's not just them having visions of each other, but somehow they're able to actually like enter that physical space. Um, which I think in the last Jedi was just building towards the end where Luke is able to project himself all the way across the galaxy. And even though he is just sort of a, an image um, you know, he gives Leia the dice and he, like, even though he's like not leaving footprints on the sand or whatever, like it is, I think that was kind of setting that up in terms of the, the ability to actually project things from one place to another and not just having visions. But in this movie, they take it to a whole nother level with like, you know, not just raindrops on the face, but they're passing stuff back and forth through the force. And the first time you see it is here where he's, yeah. he snatches those beads and then he has them analyzed, and the First Order says, you know, oh, they come from this village of people on Pasana, and so now the First Order is after them. Um, but yeah, just a cool setup there with, uh, you know, I mean, first we saw the vision that Ray had when Kylo touched the mask, but this is the first time that they're actually directly communicating with each other again. Yeah, it was I, really cool. I just, first off, love the fact that they're continuing the Force Skype <laughs> ability that it wasn't something just for the last Jedi because it was so cool. Like we talked about a lot, how that was such a great new aspect of the force that was introduced and just to see it continue, but not only continue, but just to see it stronger than ever where Kylo, your able art, your whoever's talking to each other, you're able to take something and bring it to where you're at this kind of physical objects passing through space and time or the world between worlds, so to speak. <laughs> it's like that in between of the force where you're able to take that just, something really cool to see of that force ability be expanded upon more and just i think shows their growing connection as um from where they were in the last jedi and now to where we see them in the rise of skywalker just how connected they are in the force and we eventually find out why but i just like how we're seeing that connection just be even stronger than we lost saw them together so i just loved everything about um this force skype that they have but it wasn't the last and it gets even better as the movie continues when we see them use this ability again, but it was just great to see it brought back in this moment right here and just seen expanded upon. So I'm going to give last Jedi a couple props. And this is one of the first ones besides the, the force Skyping. I've always gone on record saying, I really like that, that element. And I know, and I'm not trying to undermine Ryan Johnson here by, cause this was something he created that he said he, he did it cause he needed something kind of like a, a way to fast track them talking and get them, get them in scenes together. And it was more of a plot device than more than anything. Um, but it actually is pretty dang brilliant. And, and again, their, their, their natural connection, which we discover later on that that's why they can do this. The establishing that they, that you brought up too, Kyle, that when, when Kylo Ren is talking to Ray in the Last Jedi, and the rain get, or the or the or the waves, you know, water hits Ray, and, and then it hits Kylo Ren, and he's, you know, it kind of hints to that later on. And when he grabs a necklace when he's talking to her, it's just such good, it's such good tension. Like, oh man, and it, and again, JJ 
There's a lot of things. But I think he's a pretty good storyteller. And I think the setup he does is really, really well. Because with him grabbing that thing, you're like, okay, you're, 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 I immediately think, like, oh, they're going to, there's playing off of what happened in the last Jedi. I get it. But what it turns into later, you're like, oh my gosh. So, mm-hmm. um, but that whole scene is, is fantastic because we now know that Kylo Ren knows everything and he's really playing it up big time. And I love that. I love the fact that he's kind of like, you know, he's like, and she's like, Oh, you're serving a master. Now I see you're serving, you're, you're wearing your mask. And I'm like, huh. And I kind of started thinking about a couple things. First thing is, is that, you know, once he gets a new master, once he gets with Palpatine, what's the first thing he do? He does. He gets his mask back. It's almost like I'm like Vader now. So I better act like Vader again. Mm-hmm. So he puts his mask back on. Well, see, I don't know about that because he's like, you know, again, Ray says, oh, you're serving a new master now. And he's like, no, I've got my own plans. Like, so you can tell from the get go, he's not really planning to no, just go you're along right. no, with you're Palpatine. Right, right, right. But I think he can't help it. It's like that fanboy in him can't help it. Like, I'm closer to Vader now. Well, see, here's where I kind of have an issue with that. And again, this wasn't a huge issue for me in the movie or anything. And I, you know, I love the character of Kylo Ren and I love that mask. And I thought it was cool seeing it again. But I felt like they didn't really like I felt like it was a major character moment for him in The Last Jedi when he smashes that mask. And I don't think they really gave a good reason for him putting the mask back together in this movie, especially now. Like if it was like, Hey, Snoke's out of the way and I'm the Supreme leader now. And I want to put my mask back on because nobody can tell me what to do. Fine. But why did he wait a year to do it? Why did he wait till wait, wait because for Palpatine, Palpatine to show up? Well, right. Because but he's, Palpatine... he's not serving Palpatine. So why, why would that have well, a bearing is... on him one way or the other? Well, he is serving him, but he ultimately wants to destroy Palpatine. Right. But but again, I think it's very much because he admires Lord Vader. He he has Vader's mask in his freaking room still. Yeah, and I wish I wish that that had been expanded on more in this movie. Like, I mean, yeah, obviously, it was yeah. there in Force Awakens where he has the scene where he's talking to Vader's mask. Last Jedi. Uh, Snoke basically just calls him out on it and is like, you're just trying to play Vader, but you're not him. And that makes him go smash the mask. And in this one, he looks at it a couple times, but he never talks to him, really talks about him, anything like that. So, um, I mean, I, I wish that they had just had time to maybe expand on his Vader relationship a little bit more. Also, really wish that they would have had a scene with him talking to the Force Ghost of Anakin, but you know that's well, not, that's a whole that's a whole that's a yeah. whole other topic um, <laughs> that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast but speaking of of kylo's mask i did want to mention because i forget exactly where the scene happens but uh seeing him put the mask back together and then seeing him with the knights of ren again just again really cool visually to see uh you know him with yeah. the mask back on with his whole gang and you know i we didn't really get any explanation as to where the Knights of Ren have been this whole time or why they're suddenly now back with Kylo. But um, I do think that by the end of the Rise of Kylo Ren comic, we might find that out because the first issue already gave us some really cool information and backstory on the Knights of Ren that I think I think I actually would have been disappointed with them in this movie if I hadn't read the comic. Especially, again, jumping forward a little bit here. Well, jumping way forward. But when he fights them at the end... I'm like, well, that makes sense to me because reading the comic, you know that like 
they were around before him. Their ultimate loyalty is not to him. He's their leader at the moment. But without Kylo Ren, they're still a Knights of Ren. Um, so I, to, you know, for anyone that hasn't read the, the Rise of Kylo Ren comic yet, I would definitely recommend that. And that's coming from me, who you know how rarely I read comics. And I actually read that first <laughs> issue before Paul did. I'm going to pat myself I on the back for that. that yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, it, it, because I was avoid, I didn't want it to spoil, you know, it didn't really spoil anything, but I, I God, I, we could do a whole show on that black comic. I, don't we, derail. We probably should to, once the series is over. I would be totally down for that. Man, and we will. We will. I was just thinking as you guys were talking about Kylo Ren's mask and him putting it back on. I will agree that I wish they would have had a little more of an explanation for his reasoning to put it back on now, even though I just love that he did. But part of me is thinking – did he put it back on because that's the only way he can kind of give command to the Knights of Ren where hmm. they really wouldn't, you know, follow him unless he was showing that he still was a member of them by having that helmet back? Because as they're putting it together, they're all surrounding him. They're all together as um, that alien creature is reforging that helmet. So I'm wondering if it's more a connection to him commanding the Knights of Ren than mm-hmm. having it be with Palpatine. But I can see actually see both because I totally get where you know, Palpatine, you know, this historic Sith Lord, the master to Darth Vader, and now I'm in those same shoes as Darth Vader was. I can see your point too, Paul, about him being the ultimate Vader fanboy, where that can spur him on to get the mass as well. But the fact that he was with the Knights of Ren as it was being reforged, I wonder if it was kind of more of like a ceremonial type thing with them all, all being together and he's leading them on another mission and he has to have that mass back. I actually would really like that. But again, I wish they would have given us that explanation in the movie. And I know the movie is so jam packed with stuff already. It's like we don't we don't need we don't need more exposition. But at the same time, we kind of do because there's a lot of stuff like that that just kind of happens. Like, honestly, I I wish this was two movies. I wish. Yeah. I wish this was episode or three hours. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Because I and I think, again, having one movie where they're following clues and there's hints of something sinister going on and then maybe like at the end of the movie the cliffhanger is the reveal that Palpatine is actually back and then have a whole nother movie to fight him and deal with that um, and build up a lot of this other stuff along the way I think would have been great and actually I know this is going off on a little tangent here but I know there was an interview that Kathleen Kennedy did before like right before the movie came out while they were out doing press for it and she was talking about the future of Star Wars movies and said that they're not necessarily going to stick to the trilogy format going forward, which I think is a really good idea. Like, I can see why she said that now, seeing this movie. I'm sure a lot of people working on it probably wish that they could have spread this story out over a couple of movies. And like I said, you know, I, I wish that they had planned this from the beginning and that this whole trilogy would have been building up to this confrontation with Palpatine. But obviously, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. And you can't go back and change that now. But now that they're in this place, I bet some of them probably wished like, hey, you know what? We need a couple of movies to tell this story. And they only had one. So they did the best they could. Well, she's to blame that why this whole thing and not her necessarily completely. I think Bob Iger and, and Disney Corporation, who didn't want to use George's treatments and they fast tracked Force Awakens as fast as they could. Um, that's why this this whole trilogy is not totally concise and i think mm-hmm. she's right going forward for let's say films like a knights of old republic or any kind of other film um spinoffs you want to do that aren't skywalker saga related it, you don't have to do trilogies 
Yeah, that makes that makes sense. But let's be real here. The Skywalker saga will, saga will come back at one point. There's no doubt in my mind. It may not be for a while, which is good. I don't want it to be for a while, but it's coming back. And they're not going to do a Ray story that's not going to be Skywalker related. There's no way. <laughs> well, you gonna... can't, but we'll get yeah, to well, that. Yeah, but, no, but what I'm saying is, though, is that and she's not going to be around very much longer either. Let's be real, too. So, I mean, like, it's she's going to say that and, and we'll see. But I, at the same time, I, I, I'll believe I. Yeah, there's going to be a 10, 11, 12 and it's, you know, and there's going to well, be. But again, I don't necessarily know that, like, if they continue this story, it might not be, oh, it's the, the next sequel trilogy. We're doing 10, 11, 12. Just if you want, just no, continue the story. But it doesn't have to be another trilogy. You could do just an episode 10. And if that works and you got more story to tell, do an episode 11. Um, yeah, I, I, I think they will. I think they will. Because here's what here's a, the difference between doing a future trilogy that let's say let's assume they're going to do a ten years down the line. You have plenty of time to develop now. Whereas the difference is, is that Disney bought Lucasfilm and had to rush a movie out as soon as possible because they had to recoup what they just paid for. Yeah, so that's well, why they and I think the the other thing too is they. I wouldn't say they rushed it out necessarily. I mean, they oh, they rushed it. Well, well, here's the thing: they bought Lucasfilm in 2012. They said we're going to have a movie out by 2015. That's a good amount of time to make a movie. The problem is they were spinning their wheels for a long time and couldn't come up with a good story. And when they fired Michael Arndt like a couple months before the movie was supposed to start production, that's when they fast-tracked it. They should have pushed it back. And I know they did push it back from like summer to December of 2015, but J.J. Abrams and and Lawrence Kasdan had like a month to write that script before they started filming. They didn't have time to plan out a story for the rest of the trilogy. So I wouldn't say they rushed... I wouldn't say they rushed it overall, but then like once... Uh, it wasn't working out with Michael Arndt. Then they d- they were like, well, we got to stick to the schedule because we're a studio and we well, got a release date and we got to hit that when they should have taken more time with it. All right. I, we'll, we'll save this for a future episode because I, yeah. I have so much. There's so much to talk about. I apologize. We'll just put a pin in this. We'll we'll get to this later, people. There's a lots of good. Ju- we can just talk about the sequel trilogy, what happened, what led to it. We can do a lot of making that, of, yeah. making yeah. of our own episodes. So I'll, I'll stop here. I apologize. Yeah, and, there, so, yeah. and there's obviously a lot of this to, to analyze and yeah. chew on in future episodes. This is not the last time we'll talk about the rise of Skywalker or the impact that it's going to have on Star Wars as a whole by any stretch. Um, but continuing on with the story here. So now the first order is after them on, uh, Pasana. Um, there's one random stormtrooper that shows up and I guess is, I don't know if he's a scout or he's detached from the rest of his company or something. It was just weird to well, me to see just one stormtrooper standing a, in the middle of the think, crowd. But I think Poe did say that there are like, there is a first order presence on the planet. So like, oh, okay. be on a lookout. Cause that's where they make that joke where Chewie stands out too much. And you, you see him kind of, Oh yeah. Walking, yeah. So. They're like, keep your, keep your head down. And then Chewie's yeah. like literally ducking down. Um, but so they run into a stormtrooper. He's like, you know, Hey, halt. He's trying to call in backup or whatever. And he takes a crossbow shot to the eye. Um, and we see this mysterious mask guy that fired and took out the stormtrooper. And he leads them into this, I don't know, caravan thing that's traveling through the, the festival. And of course it's Lando. Um, now I will just quick little nitpick here. Like what the heck was Lando doing there? Like he talks about how he's been there. He had come there with Luke to look for the, uh, the wayfinder. And I'm like, so has he been chilling here the whole time? Did he just happen to be back in town for the festival? 
the fact that he he was there at the exact same time as them, like, did he know they were coming? It all seemed a little convenient, but didn't bother me too much. The positive about this that I will say is this is probably my favorite uh not my favorite movie in general, but my favorite Lando movie, like my favorite performance from Billy D. Williams, my favorite moments with the character of Lando. Um, Seriously? I loved him in this. Oh, well, good. Yeah. I, I thought he was great. Um, I don't know if other people disagree or if some people didn't like his performance in this. I know I've heard some people that are disgruntled that, you know, he gets to be the one that saves the day at the end or whatever, when like it should have been focused on the new characters. I don't really care. I thought it was fine, <laughs> but his, just in terms of his performance, um, I love that. I don't know. I just love that old Billy D Williams still has that cool Lando charm and swagger. And for yeah. me, at least it yeah. just seems to have only gotten better with age. Like, I don't know for whatever reason, just every time he was on screen, I was captivated. I loved it. And then talk about a story I want to see now him and Luke searching. That yeah. Yes. Like, that's <laughs> hunting for a, a, you know, tailing a, a Jedi hunter who, yeah, I don't know. Was I mean, that like a leftover inquisitor? Maybe. I know another thing they didn't really give too much detail on, but I was kind of yeah. hoping it would have been a character we already knew from uh, past stories, but there's a, a little something I wish they did. Terio and J.J. Abrams aren't going to be reading anything, especially J.J. Abrams. I know. You know. I didn't expect it too much, but when they were saying it, I don't know, like Jedi Hunter, oh, it could be someone that we know. But regardless. By the way, can we pin the, this whole future going... It, put a pin in this whole future Star Wars storytelling going forward, because... Good lord, I got so much to talk about that on a future episode. But, yeah. but <laughs> yes, but 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 continue, Tim. Yeah, but no, this yeah, would they just be... laid out some really cool stuff that you want to see eventually down the line. Yeah. More adventures with Luke and Lando, and just how big it is too. Finding that Sith Wayfinder is just obviously something very important. So Luke knew he had to try to find it. It's cool that both of them teamed up to go to this planet. So I just again, just more cool lore and mythology building to the star wars galaxy with these characters that we know and love and just the adventures that they've been on but yet we don't know the full details so i just love how this movie planted those seeds for more stories to be explored with these great characters i love chewy and lando's reaction to each other that yeah, was, that was lando's a... big smile like that i mean here this is gonna sound weird it was obvious it was it's it, to me it seems so obvious that lando was acting he goes ah like a big old, like it, whatever, but I still loved it. It was just weird. I don't know how to explain it, but the, like, like Chewie's reaction was, was, I thought, perfect, and Lando's reaction was perfect. Like it was, but it was so overacting. I just loved it. I don't know. I, I just love seeing Lando big, his big, like, again, he's got an infectious smile. And yeah. anyone, and that's why he's a ladies' man. He's, he's got like a smile that's just a, anyone's charmed by it. I mean, not attracted to men, but just, it, it's a very charming smile. He's just someone you want to talk to. He's, you know, and so like, it's just funny because you immediately are just like, Oh, Lando's back. It's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's overacting, but it just, I don't care. Cause it's just, it's Lando covers and Billy D. Williams. So it was a great moment. Granted, the reason why I think he might be there is because he's obviously just kind of just chilling out. Maybe he's still looking for this thing. Or maybe he told Luke that he would kind of, hang out and, and hang back with everybody and just kind of, and keep an eye out on things. I don't know. I, there's a million things you could do with that. And, and, and yeah, it is convenient, but I mean, we're it's star Wars, man. There's so many convenient things in this thing. So I don't really, I, again, that's a nitpick that you could do for everything.
Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's one of those things that if you really think about it, it's like I I probably didn't even think about it till my second time and was like, wait, why was Lando even there in the first place? Like, you know, it it pulls me out a little bit if I think about it. But again, it's in the moment. It's fun. I love seeing him again. So that was cool. Um, And of course, he gives him all that information about um, the the Jedi hunter that he was tailing with Luke. And he said, we found his ship out in the desert and it was abandoned and we didn't find anything. Um, And Ray's like, well, let's start there and, you know, go take a look at it again. Um, So they head out to the desert. And uh, of course, that's when the First Order spots them. And we get this fun, you know, speeder chase with the uh, the wheel bikes and the jetpacks and everything. By the way, I know some people have, you know, have uh complaints or think it was cheesy when you know there's the whole uh oh they fly now yeah they fly now um i saw a clip from like an interview where uh you know from just all the press they've been doing where it's uh john boyega and oscar isaac and they're reading like fan questions or fan comments or something and somebody asked like what their first reaction was to seeing the jet troopers and oscar isaac just kind of mockingly goes they fly now. And then uh, I love that John Boyega kind of like side whispers to him. Like they've been doing that since the clone wars. Like he's totally (laughs) right. And I love that John Boyega knows that there's flying clone troopers in, in clone wars. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That's really cool. That he said that. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm just going to say, it was just a cool sequence. And that was the first clip they released of the movie. So you knew how it started, but I thought it progressed into a fun, different sort of speeder chase with the jetpack troopers, even though they made that comment. It's cool to see it played out like that in live action. So um, it was a fun, cool little sequence, seeing how they took him out. And, you know, to much to my delight, they weren't completely useless, the jet troopers. That one actually shot both of their uh, ski speeders and knocked them out, even though he got shot later on. (laughs) But he was able to take them out. So they weren't actually a squad of stormtroopers who just got plowed down, crashed into things. They actually did their job. He just didn't finish it up, <laughs> but it was still a fun sequence. It was a great sequence and the jet troopers looked phenomenal. Yeah, um, it was, it was very much, I was telling the, on the Fandalorians podcast, it felt like return of the Jedi to me, that whole, that whole sequence for whatever reason, just like, so yet, it wasn't a speeder bike ripoff. Like, no, it, right. It might have, it could have been if they really wanted to. It, it felt, it, it, and so, and I think it was John Brealey said it, it was like very Spielberg, kind of Indiana Jones, too, yeah. which yeah. Totally, totally get as well. As you say, yeah. Right, right. But it felt, it felt very natural. And I love the exchanges. By the way, I just want to say for the record, C3PO is, I grew up loving the droids, and C3PO is one of my favorite characters growing up. And I got to tell you, as a C-3PO hardcore fan, and, I'm, and as Tim and Kyle know, that's legit. Like, I'm a legit oh, 3PO yeah. fan. <laughs> and I was really happy to see him actually be a substantial person in this or a contributing, like, hero in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to see him interact with people. And it felt like a callback to the original trilogy. It felt like a callback to Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really nice. It was just – it felt – it almost felt like a throwback because it felt so un- out of place in so in so many things. Because not just the sequel trilogy, but George Lucas didn't necessarily do that same thing with them either. So it was very much like the first time since Return of the Jedi in 30 years that 3PO actually had a substantial role in a Star Wars movie. Not just a, as he put it in Last Jedi, a window dressing or mm-hmm. table dressing, whatever he said. So yeah, it's been, it was very nice. Lines, yeah, he <laughs> yeah. was great. 
Yeah, just like I said, this was like my favorite Lando movie. This is also by far my favorite C three PO movie. Like he had a I lot of agree with that. Yeah. a lot of great lines, a lot of great moments. I mean, I think this was his best his best material, the best performance from Anthony Anthony Daniels. It was great. My my fear is still Return of the Jedi from from three PO, but that's because that's I that's my my fear. yeah anyway, but yeah, yeah. I, I just love I love three PO getting a lot of respect in this movie. And you know what? I'm actually very happy to say that I loved his performance. I loved his comedy, and I also loved that he didn't end up shooting any of the Knights of Ren with Chewie's bowcaster. That you know <laughs> that image of him holding all the how holding the bowcaster literally was from one shot where he's carrying yeah. you know just carrying it. Um, I mean, I'm not sure how much people were looking forward to seeing C-3PO like that with all those weapons. But if they were, they probably were disappointed. But <laughs> it wasn't something I was necessarily looking forward to. I was just surprised that it was marketed that way for a lot of things. And like yeah. you said, Kyle, just one shot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but. and if you if you heard my reaction to that, I was like, that was the one thing on that leaked poster that made me go, oh, this has got to be fake. Like, we're not seeing C-3PO taking people out with a bowcaster. Um but I was happy with how all that played out. Um, but then, and like you said, Tim, the jet trooper actually does take out their speeders, but it's only because Ray gets distracted because they get to where they're trying to go. They see the ship that's abandoned there in the desert and Ray goes, oh, I've seen that ship before. And so like some of us had speculated, it actually was that same ship from her flashbacks in The Force Awakens. And so I love that, you know, adding more mystery to... uh you know, just the questions that are going on about who she is and where she's from. And um, so I'm like, oh, that is the same ship. And we're going to find out who it belonged to and, and who dropped her off on Jakku and all that kind of stuff. Um, but apparently that was the ship of the the Jedi Hunter that Luke and Lando were tailing. Um, but they so they take down that last jet trooper and then they find out they're in sinking sand. And so before they can get to the ship, they collapse through this sinking sand and end up in these tunnels um, below the ground. And this was maybe my favorite 3PO line of the movie where uh, Finn is like – or Poe is the first one to come through and 3PO is behind him and uh, Poe is like, Finn, Ray. And 3PO is like, you didn't say my name, sir, but I'm all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this sequence had a lot of great bits and I'm – you know, I think I'm going to say it. Maybe my favorite comedic bit in any Star Wars movie when Ray ignites her lightsaber – and then Poe gets his flashlight out <laughs> and ignites it like he was a lightsaber. And you just get this tiny little glow. And I lost it. I just started cracking up. I thought that was great because we all done that before as kids getting a flashlight, pretending it's a lightsaber. But, you know, it's not can never replicate the full thing. But just the contrast of him being right by range. He has a classic blue lightsaber that he <laughs> tries to, you know, be like take charge and was a leadership lead the way to with his and it's just this tiny little light beam that looks you know pathetic compared to the lightsaber it was just a great comedic bit that not only had me laughing but the whole theater laughing it was just really funny that yeah. was the one time something meta in star wars is actually good yeah <laughs> see and for whatever reason and this is not a critique by any means just for me that almost kind of went over my head just because Ray ignites the lightsaber, Poe ignites the flashlight. I'm like, okay, she's got her light. He's got his light. They're going to go search the tunnels. And then everybody's laughing and I'm like, oh, it's supposed to be funny because his dinky little flashlight isn't as good as the lightsaber. Um, <laughs> but I will say, 
I mean, I didn't think it was bad or anything. It's just to me, I didn't realize that that was supposed to be a joke. But in overall, like the comedic moments in this movie, it was really funny and all the humor worked. Um, oh, yeah. For the most part. I know there's some jokes in The Last Jedi that people have different opinions on and it works for some people and it doesn't work for Ooh. some people. Um, no general hugs in this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he's a different story. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, and again, most of it came from 3PO. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of, of good, funny stuff that didn't take you out of it and make you feel like they were trying too hard to be funny during serious moments or whatever. Um, just a lot of, you know, good stuff that worked. Yeah. It all felt natural to me. Mm -hmm. So they go searching through these catacombs. Um, oh, and there's another, uh, moment where, you know, you can see that something's been burrowing through these tunnels and posed like, I don't want to know. I don't, I don't want to know whatever it is that made these tunnels. And three people's like, well, based on the markings, I think it's, and he's like, I said, I don't want to know. <laughs> um, and then they find the body of this Jedi hunter guy, his bones that have been down there for who knows how long. And they're like, oh yeah, I guess he never got out of here. And he's still got the wayfinder with him. Um, actually, I guess, no, he doesn't have the wayfinder. He has the dagger. And I forget, did they know yeah. they were looking for the dagger or did he just happen to have the dagger on him and they're like, oh, that's the next clue? BB-8 finds it. Yeah, I don't think they were intentionally looking for it. They were yeah. just trying to look for clues in his ship to see what could lead them to the Wayfinder. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then, yeah, I remember BB-8 finding the the dagger. I just forgot if they were actually looking for that or if that was just like, oh, this is here. This is our next clue. Um, so they find that it's inscribed with Sith runes, which, again, cool ancient Sith mythology stuff. And 3PO can read it, but his programming prevents him from translating it um, because just of inhibitors or he says something about, you know, oh, I, you know, it must have been the old Republic programming that it was forbidden to translate Sith or whatever. So they're like, OK, well, our next stop is we got to go find somebody that can decode this and pose like, oh, well, I know somebody on uh, or actually, I guess they don't. This is before the whole Kajimi thing comes up. Yeah. So they're still down in the tunnels, and while 3PO is giving them this whole explanation as to why he can't translate it, this big snake comes up behind him. Um, and so they all, you know, back away, and you think they're going to have to fight this thing or whatever, and instead, uh, Ray, you know, goes up to it. And I thought this was cool because it's very Jedi-like, and I almost thought she was going to pull, like, an Ezra Bridger and try to commune with it through the Force. Um, but she's obviously kind of in tune with it and sensing that the only reason it's it's angry and attacking them is because it's in pain and it's hurt. And so you see that it's got these like slashes on it. And so Ray uh, reaches down and, and touches it and heals it, which was now this I thought was cool. And I think, you know, as we know, they released the Mandalorian episode early that week. They released it on Wednesday instead of Friday. And I just assumed, oh, they don't want to compete with themselves. They don't want people to stay home and watch the Mandalorian on Friday instead of going to see the Rise of Skywalker. So they'll put it out two days early. But I think there was also another big reason for it, which is that in the Mandalorian episode, you see Baby Yoda do the same thing. So for me, that amazing. was huge. Now, I <laughs> yeah. probably still would have liked it anyways, but I heard some people complaining, oh, Ray is such a Mary Sue in this movie, and she does all kinds of stuff with the Force that we've never seen before, which, for one uh, thing... Again with that. <laughs> yeah, for one thing, since when is introducing new Force powers in a movie uh, a bad thing? 
But second yeah. of all, if you really have an issue with that, for those of us that watch The Mandalorian, this has already been established. Even if it was established a day earlier, um, I thought that was a smart move by them to put that out first. It was kind of cool to see Baby Yoda do it right. first and then go, oh, Ray can do it too. Um, so, so really, fa- really fast, um, I just want to say, thankfully, we got that early because it, de- it definitely set up the best scene we got that week. Oh. <laughs> one, one of many. <laughs> oh, yeah, I could hear you play that in the background. He's trying to eat me. Oh, God, it's so amazing. That He's whole doing. episode was great. It was yeah. a great episode, but that, but um, what's his name? Uh, Paulo Creed. Grief uh, Carl Weathers. Yeah, Grief Carga. He's trying to eat me. Oh, my gosh. It's like the way he says it. It's so ridiculous. And I just, I, I've, I've watched it on loop a hundred times you know where yoda, like baby yoda literally baby yoda literally just puts his hand on his wound and he, he's trying to eat me it's so ridiculous it's like oh, anyway i had to say that when we were talking about that episode so but yeah i don't i think it's coincidence more than anything to be honest no really? i think I that think was so. definitely yeah. intentional yeah, I mean, I don't think it was intentional. Like when they were creating the Mandalorian, I don't think they wrote that episode and went, we're going to put this out the week before the rise of Skywalker. But I think when once the release schedule lined up, I think they were like, oh, you know what? Since the timing worked out this way, let's just release this before the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I, I think they, it was only smart of them to do this already because think about this. They had a special thing on it on the rise of Skywalker when you watch the Mandalorian. So I think, it, I, I think it's more coincidental. I, maybe I'm wrong. I wouldn't be surprised, but I just, I, I, I tend to go that route. Regardless of where we saw it first, I just think it's really cool to see this force power on display in live action because we've seen it, at least for me, I'm mainly familiar with it in video games when you're a Jedi using the force to heal yourself a lot. Mm-hmm. So we know it is something that an ability they have, but to finally see it used, to heal others as well and not just like your character that you are in a video game or something or yourself. But the fact that we're seeing light side force users use this really cool ability and just to see the effect it has on, you know, the injured victims that they're trying to help is really cool to see both in the Mandalorian. And then I'm here on a much greater scale on multiple times in the rise of Skywalker. So I'm just glad that this force power is now something that we're seeing a lot of. Yeah. And I also like the way they did it where, and you kind of see this in The Mandalorian, too, but Ray explains it in the movie that it takes a toll on them. Yep. Which makes it a very Jedi-like thing to do. It's a selfless act, not because you're just helping somebody else, but you're giving something of yourself to help somebody else. Um, and obviously she heals, you know, just the wound on the snake. And, you know, she said, like, oh, I just transferred a bit of life force for myself to him and you know, it's almost like, you know, her hand is just kind of stinging a little bit. But obviously we see that come into play in a much bigger way later. Oh, it, that is. Yeah, you could say that again. There's <laughs> huge implications for later on down the line. So, yeah, put a pin in that one for sure. Oh, of course we will. Um, But yeah, so then they they get out of the uh, they, they find their way out of the cave. Um, meanwhile, Kylo and the Knights of Ren are now on Pisana hunting them. So they get to the most useless shot too, by the way, with all of them on that little bluff thing. <laughs> it's a great looking shot. It's yeah, I thought it was cool. It's, it's, it's cool, but it's ridiculous. It's, I mean, I love it, but it's also ridiculous. 
It's I so unneeded. Like, what, what are they doing on it? Right? It's a scam. Anyway, yeah, I, I love the Knights of Ren. They look amazing. I wish we got mm-hmm. more of them. But movie sh- movies already like almost two, already over two and a half hours. So it's you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, make it three hours. <laughs> I know yeah. a lot of us would have been okay with that. But um, yeah, so they go back to I think what's the guy's name like Ochi or something. Yeah, um, it's Ochi. Yeah, so they they find they get into Ochi's ship, um, and uh, you know they're, they're trying to get it started back up because nobody's been in there in years and whatever. Um, but then Ray suddenly senses Kylo, so she goes and walks out into the desert. Um, Finn is like you know he sees the ties and the First Order coming and stuff, and so he's like Chewie, go tell Ray we gotta go. So Chewie goes out there, gets captured by the Knights of Ren. Um, Which is that something I wish we saw. That could have been a cool yeah. little action sequence of Chewie facing off against the Knights of Ren, but then he gets overpowered and captured. Just yeah. to give him a little more something to do with the Knights of Ren in this movie. That's where, it, that's where it was, guaranteed. Cutting room floor. I know. Hopefully, if it is, something we get to see on the Blu-ray. Yeah, I, yeah, that would definitely be something I wouldn't be surprised if we get as a deleted scene. I hope there's like 20 minutes worth of deleted scenes on this Blu-ray. Um, cause there's a lot of, cool, there's a lot of stuff I would have liked to see more of, but then, um, so Ray, of course is standing out in the desert. Kylo's tie is coming after her and we get the scene from the very first trailer where, you know, the tie is screaming after she turns and ignites her lightsaber and runs from it. And then he catches up with her and she does the flip over it and she cuts the wing off and the tie spirals out of control and crashes and blows up. And of course we know Kylo Ren's not dead. Um, but then she sees a first order transport taking off. Now, very important note here. I did know, I did catch this the second time around that when they're putting Chewie on the, when you see the, the Knights of Ren putting Chewie on the transport, you do see two transports parked out there in the desert. Um, okay. See, I didn't even notice that the second time. <laughs> yeah. It's only in like the first time that you see that transport, but there is one establishing shot where you see two of them. Um, but then the transport ship takes off Chewie or Finn comes running out and, and is, calling out to Ray and he's like, Ray, they took Chewie and they're taking off. And so she reaches out with the force and stops the ship from taking off, which oh, that's so cool. <laughs> was really cool. And it was, yeah. it was believable enough that, well, first of all, again, they, with the whole reestablishing in this movie that there's something more to Ray that we don't know about. It's like, okay, so obviously she's not just a Jedi. She doesn't just have the Force. Like, there's something special about her and something that's making her powerful. But also, you know, like this kind of felt like something out of the Force Unleashed, but on a much smaller scale to where it was Mm. believable. Like, she's not pulling an entire cruiser out of the sky. Like, this is a small little troop transport. And she's struggling to even keep it where it is, but she's using the Force to try to pull it back down. And, uh, of course, Kylo comes out of his burning TIE fighter and he stands opposite of her. And now he's using the force, the same as her, to pull on the ship. But he's trying to pull it away from her so it can get away. And they're playing this tug of war, each of them, you know, really straining and and using every last ounce of their strength that they have through the force. And Rey loses control and shoots lightning out of her fingers and blows up the transport. Um... Now, I thought this was a really cool display of power, a really cool use of the force and a really cool way to show her losing control and how, you know, give her a a bit of a a struggle and a a down moment that she has to overcome. 
At the same time, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't buy for a second that Chewie was dead. So that whole subplot where they spend the next few minutes of the movie grieving and she's like, oh, my God, what have I done? And then, you know, when they decide to carry on with the mission, they're like, we got to do this for Chewie. I was just kind of rolling my eyes because I'm like, guys, Chewie ain't dead. Um, Plus, see, I knew Chewie wasn't dead, first off, because we know from the trailer we saw him in Lando. Exactly. But at the same time, I didn't roll my eyes because the characters don't know that. In the universe, it, it would be a traumatic thing, especially for Ray to deal with. Someone, probably one of her closest friends outside of Finn is and Leia is Chewie after everything they've been through together. And the fact that she's responsible for his death, I mean, of course he's going to feel that way. And then just seeing them all do that for Chewie, even though we as the audience know it's not true, it's good to know that how much they care about Chewie as all of us would if we were in their situation there. So even though it wasn't a surprise for us, I did like seeing their reaction for it. But even yeah, though... I I get that. It's just to me, like the emotion of it didn't really like it, it felt natural. Like that's how Ray would react if she thought she actually killed Chewie. But knowing that she didn't kill Chewie just made it kind of fall flat to me. And it wasn't just that, oh, we've seen him in the trailers that he's in the Falcon with Lando later. Maybe it's just I don't know. To me, the way it was all set up. I'm like Chewie being a beloved character that's been in the saga longer than most characters like they wouldn't kill him off this early in the movie basically off screen because you don't even see like i feel like if chewie mm-hmm. was actually dead they would have cut to a shot of him inside the transport as it's going up in flames um but to just see you know an explosion off in the distance and oh there goes chewie like i wasn't convinced and i wouldn't have been convinced even if we hadn't seen it in the trailers. So I don't know. To me that was one of those things that the emotion of it fell kind of flat and then the fact that they lingered on that point for the next several minutes or whatever like i felt like they could have just moved on to other things yeah i kind of liked it because it's like we're seeing a tribute for chewy but yet the best party's not dead yet so <laughs> well i um uh, as someone who avoided trailers and didn't an- overanalyze trailers as much even being a part of a star wars podcast i legitimately thought he was dead really and i, hmm. and I thought you know i seriously and i know it sounds dumb I, but whatever reason i thought they're gonna throw out all the stops and to be honest what better way to see the consequences of, of Ray giving into the dark side for a split second and having that force lightning come out than have it destroy you know, a major character. I'm like, what? I can't, I can't believe this. Like, I mean, I, 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 I believe everything at face value because of avoiding all the trailers and spoilers and everything, to be honest, or not overanalyzing the trailers and really trying to remember every scene per, you know, if I would remember every scene I saw in the trailers at, you know, whatever, then I would already know that Chewie wouldn't be dead, like you guys said. But I wasn't thinking like that. I just wasn't. So yeah, I didn't. Um, I I thought for a while he was dead, like legitimately thought he was dead. And See, I think that's cool that the movie had that effect on you, where you avoiding all that stuff, you were able to buy into what they were trying to, you know, totally. show. So that's cool. Like you got to experience and, that and, way. And I gotta say too, it also emphasizing or telling us again the connection with her and Palpatine. Like, because, because again, not for us nerds who know that forest lightning does not necessarily mean that it's, uh, you know, it's Emperor Palpatine, but for a general mainstream audience, they only remember Palpatine being the one that does that besides, you know, we know Dooku did it too, but, and, and Snoke, but we know it's mainly Palpatine. So that her doing that and what Palpatine's kind of, you know, all the stuff, you know, you're, you're basically foreshadowing that 
you're you're telling the audience that there's a connection between those two characters essentially, which yeah. I thought was really good. I thought was really kind of a genius on their part. Again, for the mainstream audience, for us, it's just like, what? She's you know she's tapping to the dark side. Yeah. See, I don't buy that. Like, I like and now I I like that scene. I like seeing her shoot the force lightning. But to me, within the story, that's just her losing control and struggling with the dark side. But even I know the, that force lightning has always been a dark side thing, but I didn't even see that as like, Oh no, she's gone to the dark side. Cause she used force lightning. It was more just like a raw display of power and not her like losing control and going to the dark side, but just losing control over her hold on the force and like just accidentally unleashing more power than she meant to. Um, but yeah, I've heard people be like, oh, like her being a Palpatine made so much sense because she shot force lightning and Palpatine does that. I'm like, yeah, so did Dooku and so does like pretty much every other Sith Lord in the comics and the video games and stuff. So to me, that was not a, a Palpatine indication at all. But again, see, I, for general audience, it yeah. would be though. See, that's how I took it. Right when I saw that, okay, she's going to be connected to Palpatine just because I know since he is being brought back for this movie and they're going to want to show that to a general audience. And of course, like you said, we know the history of Die Hard Star Wars fans that it's not something just Palpatine does, but it is his signature move that most general audiences are going to remember. And when she did that, I think that's okay. That's the direction they're going to go. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be at that point, but I just, once that happened, I go, she's going to have some type of connection specifically to Palpatine in this. I just don't know which way yet, but right when I saw that, that's immediately where my mind went because I knew that's probably something J.J. would want to do to establish that tease and connection early on there for those who only know that lightning's mainly for Palpatine. So that's immediately what I thought of when I first saw it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see how that would work for the the general audience, but I don't know, like you said, for us hardcore fans, and I, like I said, I didn't have, I don't have any issue with the scene. I think her losing control and shooting lightning is really cool, but that to me doesn't say, oh, we're hinting at a Palpatine connection because I'm like any force user that taps into the dark side and unleashes raw power can use force lightning. Um, but man, it was just a cool surprise though to see because I was not expecting that. Yeah, <laughs> to I be wasn't the outcome either. Of that sequence, it was just really well done. And again, like another cool little fight that her and Kylo had. Kind of what I said in my Force Awakens on our Force Awakens commentary, where I said where they had their fight with their with their minds using the Force, and mm-hmm. also get lightsaber fights from them. And now we get kind of like you said, the Force tug of war, <laughs> showing their display of power, trying to take control of that transport. There, it was just cool to see. Yeah, definitely. So then from there, they get on the ship, they get it working, they take off, um, and, you know, Ray is all down on herself and, uh, you know, feels bad because she thinks she killed Chewie. Um, oh, and then Chewie had the dagger, so they're like, all right, so, you know, the dagger's gone, it was destroyed, we have no idea where to go next. And 3PO is like... Uh, you know, he's like, oh, yes, it's so sad. Like the the inscription lives only in my memory now. And they're like, wait, you memorized that? Um, so then the next part of the plan is they got to figure find some way to get that information from 3PO's memory. And Poe says, uh, you know, oh, I know a black market droid droid smith on Kajimi. And he's like, oh, but I don't want to go there because I had a bad history on Kajimi. And but eventually, you know, they they talk Poe into it. 
they uh, convince Ray to kind of pick herself up and they're like, all right, we're going to go on with the mission. We're going to do it for Chewie. And they, they kind of have a Guardians of the Galaxy moment where they're all standing together holding hands <laughs> and Poe's or Finn's. Or, no, it's Poe. It's like, oh, OK, we're, we're doing this hands. Yeah, OK, let's go. Um, and that was kind of fun. But they uh, this is also where they start teasing that Poe had a bit of a shady past. Um, which we'll come to once we get there, but, um, yeah, cause Finn makes a big deal about it when he, he you know, hot wires, the uh, speeders on. Pisano oh, there. that's right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. They, they pick that up too. Um, but then they go to Kajimi, um, and I don't remember if in the, oh, I, you know, I think before they even get to Kajimi, you see uh, back on the first order ship that they've got Chewie pri- captured prisoner and, uh, General Pride and General Hux are talking and General Pride's like, oh yeah, I saw the report uh, from Kajimi about the transport that the girl blew up and then Hux is like, yeah, but there was another transport and it captured this prisoner and he used to fly with Han Solo and, you know, Chewie comes out and you realize, oh, Chewie's not dead. Um, and then, you know, so our heroes get to Kajimi. Um, they're, you know, snooping around, trying to blend in. The First Order is there and, you know, roughing people up and taking people captive and stuff. So they're trying to stay, you know, under the radar. Um, and then uh, while they're sneaking around, they run into Zori Bliss, who Poe has a history with. And she's like, oh, I can't believe you came back here. And she's going to shoot his brains out. And um, she's got some guys with her that surround them and then of course ray takes them all out and uh knocks zori down and zori's like you know for what it's worth i think you're all right um so she decides to help him out i love zori bliss she's probably well i was gonna say probably my favorite new character in this movie it's not like we got a whole lot of new characters introduced but um yeah she was really fun i love her look i love her demeanor i love her relationship with poe um she was one of the highlights of the movie for me yeah, she was so obviously. I loved her helmet and costume design since <laughs> the moment they first revealed it and getting to see in the movie. She didn't disappoint for me, didn't have you know really any acting sequence, but like I said, just her demeanor and her presence in the film was really cool. And just establishing her history with Poe and that he was a spice runner, uh, which before he joined up with the resistance. And I did like that moment where they were kind of going through all their kind of spotty past where <laughs> they were surprised to hear Poe was a spice tour. And he goes, yeah, you were a stormtrooper. And like, you're a scavenger. Like we could do this all night type of thing. Just showing their history and, you know, not from the most ideal places of where they come from. That was fun. But yeah, just a cool little sequence here. At, at first, I will say the Kajimi section of the film when I first saw it was the one aspect of it where I felt that slowed down a little bit and kind of felt like we we're spending too much time on Kajimi before we got things going more with the plot but i don't know it seemed to flow better for me on the second time once uh we got this into juxtaposition with the characters and zori then going to babu frick's uh a droid repair center and so it seemed to flow a little better for me but i don't know about you guys when i first saw it i thought it slowed down a little bit and stayed there a little too long before things started to get picked up as once uh kylo and the first order get back on the kajimi i didn't really yeah. have an issue with it i mean the whole movie moves so fast yeah, it was almost nice um, to have a yeah. little bit of a breather. I I would say really quickly on the whole pacing of the film, I thought the movie felt long the first time, but weirdly, the last two times I've seen it, it hasn't felt long at all. And I don't know why that is. It, it definitely could have been trimmed down, I think, in certain parts and characters could have been totally taken out. Ugh, Dio. Um, <laughs> but uh <laughs> 
But that being said, I I don't have a, the pacing issues I had that any any kind of pacing issues I had were gone after that second and third viewing. I just I just have no problems with the pacing. Um, as far as Zori Bliss, excuse me, I I love the character. I thought she was great, and I also thought that it was interesting that she mentions that he was a spice runner with her and she left that thing to go to the resistance. Now that is a contradiction of Canon. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Because yeah, I had an issue with that. Cause I was like, wait, I thought Poe was a new Republic pilot and Leia recruited him. He was, but easily retcon because you could just say he was doing that on the side. I guess you could. No, it, it that's, that's what I think happened. I mean, I and I, I thought uh, when they first introduced it, I was like, oh, OK, well, maybe like as a teenager or something like he was. Yeah, he was a spice runner and then he kind of got his life straight and was in in the New Republic and then went to the resistance. But then at some point they mentioned like he went he was with Zori's crew and he left to join the resistance. Um, yeah, so, I, yeah I, 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 I didn't quite like that contradiction, but or it could have yeah. been something where she was. Mixing up the two, thinking the Republic and the Resistance were one and the same, that and when be. he left to the Republic, yeah, yeah, you can retcon it pretty easily, yeah. to be honest. I and I, I think either one works, honestly. So, but I do, like, but again, put a pin in this for a future episode because I think stuff like this needs to be ironed out. But anyway, moving on. Yeah. I like Zori Bliss a lot. I have I pre-ordered the, the uh, Black Series figure, and I oh, cannot nice. wait to get it. Yeah, I like I love Zori Bliss, and then I also love Babu Frick. Um, and so she takes him to see Babu and of course he's the tiny little alien dude. Um, and he's explaining how he's gonna, uh, you know, reset 3PO's memory. And they're, of course they're talking about, are there any alternatives? And they're like, well, if we wipe your memory, like, is there any way R2 can restore it? Doesn't he keep a backup of your memory? And, um, 3PO's like, oh, R2's memory banks are famously unreliable, like, you know, and so it's like, oh, there's no promises on that. So we're thinking this might be the end of 3PO as we know him. Um, And they're like, oh, and I, I actually love the scene when actually I think it's back on the ship when this happens. But when they're weighing the options and Ray says, you know, the odds better than any of us. Like, what yeah. do you think we should do? That was a really nice moment to. Yeah, it was. Have something. That where, was actually hearing. I didn't hear Ray say that the first time I, I just hear him. Like after the aftermath of that, where CZPA started thinking that this was the right decision to do. But when I saw it the second time, that I actually heard her say that, you know, the odds better than anyone. And that's what really kind of took C3PO back to really make him calculate that this is something he has to do. And I thought that was a great bit of dialogue that she had to say to him to make him kind of fully commit to doing it. Yeah. And it's it's a nice callback because obviously, you know, you got Han and 3PO and never tell me the odds. And like 3PO is always quoting odds and statistics and everybody's always telling Michelle to shut up. Um, which, and I'm not saying I feel bad for him cause like, it's usually funny and played for laughs and he can be kind of annoying sometimes, but it was nice to have this nice moment where Ray actually appreciated that and was like asking his input. Um, when usually he's giving unsolicited input and everybody else is getting annoyed at him. So it was a nice, actually touching character moment for him. And then of course we get that moment from the trailer where, you know, Poe says, what are you doing there? 3PO and he says, taking one last look, sir, at my friends as he decides that like, yes, we're going to go, go forward with this. Um, and oh, also, one thing too, oh, a fun thing before they actually enter Babu Frick's uh, repair center, whether they're going into that bar and they're making the way in there, 
You notice the cameo of the, who the bartender? Oh was? yeah, John Williams. I actually, I I've read and I know that he was in there, but I still haven't caught that from uh, I, all the times I've seen it. So I'm definitely going to be on the lookout for that the next time I watch it. Yeah, I didn't notice it the first time, but when I found out he did have a cameo and that's what it was, I definitely paid sure I paid attention to that part. <laughs> it was just really cool to see him in a Star Wars movie after mm-hmm. just creating such a huge part of what makes Star Wars so special in the music that he's in it now was just really fun. Yeah. Um, but then, so while they're in the, the droid shop, I think, um, Babu Frick starts doing whatever he's got to do and it's going to take a while. And so, um, oh, and they can hear like first order walkers outside. And so Zori says, all right, I'm going to go keep watch and pose like, all right, I'm going to come with you. And I love the scene where, um, Zori and Poe are sitting on the roof and they're talking about their past and she's talking about the first order and what they've been doing to the planet. And it was really nice. I mean, this is what I love about her characters. Even though she doesn't have a whole lot of screen time, they give her a nice amount of depth and layers. Like when you first mm-hmm. meet her, you know, she's wearing a mask. She's pointing a gun at people. She seems like this rough and tumble, you know, scoundrel type. Um, and then this scene with Poe and she even uh, takes the visor down on her mask, which is kind of symbolizing like her opening up to him in the way that she is. And you see that you see that she's got some vulnerability to her. Um, and she says the first order has already basically kidnapped all the kids on this planet to go take them to condition them to be stormtroopers. Um, and now, you know, they're just terrorizing people and whatever. And she says like, I can't take the screams anymore. I'm getting out of here. And she has a first order, like captain's medallion that she's obtained somehow that she says, you know, can get you past any blockade or whatever. So she's got plans to get out. And she asks Poe if he wants to come with her. Um, and, then you see his devotion to his cause and he says, you know, no, I got to stay in this fight. And uh, if we give up now, you know, all this, everything we've done this whole time will have been for nothing. Um, and so as like, I like seeing the the connection and the shared history between them, but then, you know, her longing to get out of her bad situation and his devotion to the cause that he's fighting for was um, just a really nice moment for both of those characters. Yeah, we knew there was going to be a history that both of them had in this movie. It was kind of teased that we were going to explore a little bit. And like I said, I thought they did a good job of establishing what their history was and kind of what they believe in what they're fighting for and just how eventually it comes together later on in the end. But it was a nice moment between them just seeing what type of people they were early on and what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, And like I said, cool to get that a little bit more fleshed out information on the first order too. Um, mm, and I think true, we've, true. we've heard it for, or we've seen it in some of the supplementary material and heard it talked about Finn, like how some of these stormtroopers were taken from their families as kids and they've been conditioned their whole lives. But like, at least for me, I didn't realize they were doing it to the extent of like, they're going into a whole planet or at least a whole town or whatever. And like just abducting all the children and nobody can do anything about it. Yeah, um, yeah, we kind of saw it visually on display here. We didn't actually see him take a child, but just the way they're, you know, terrorizing and harassing the residents on Kajimi, just pounding doors, dragging people out from doors, and you can see that walk around patrol. So mm-hmm. even though we didn't specifically see him do that, you know, kind of how they went about it too, and just how they operate on planets like this. Yeah, so it was cool to get some more insight on that too. Um, and then you know, of course, they're back inside the shop and. Um, Babu finishes what he's got to do with 3PO. Also, I loved when, like, right when he's about to start working on him, 3PO goes, oh, I just thought of another idea, and shuts yeah. down as Babu <laughs> pulls the plug on him. Um, but then, you know, they're like, all right, the first order's approaching. Let's hurry up. Let's go. 
Um, he's like, Bob, are you almost done? And he's like, yep. And he sparks his thing and 3PO sits up with the red eyes and reads the inscription on the dagger and says, um, talks about the Wayfinder is at these coordinates on this planet in the Endor system um, and says, you know, the dagger will show the way or something like that. Um, and then he, he fades back out. Um, and it's funny cause the whole thing of like, you know, oh, these are the coordinates that are written in the ancient runes on the dagger and the dagger will point the way, which obviously as we see later, like she has to hold the dagger up and it literally points to where the thing is. Like it's kind of corny and it's a trope that we've seen a lot in like adventure films where they're exploring like Atlantis or lost ruins or whatever, but it's not something we've really seen in star Wars before. So yeah. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. Just a different element to have in the final one. So that they're not just repeating everything. I mean, going back to the main criticism for the force awakens, you definitely can't say that about the rise of Skywalker when it comes to its overall plot and just how different it is from what we've seen in star Wars movies before. But yeah, going back to uh, C-3PO and the moment where he's reciting the Sith language and he has the red eyes. I mean, I was anticipating as we knew C-3PO was going to go through some big changes in this movie that that's how he's going to be for the rest of the movie, seeing this dark C-3PO. Mm-hmm. And like you said, yeah, maybe too. that's where he gets his bow caster and starts taking out enemies and, becoming like more like HK-47 from Knights of the Old Republic. But um, when it was that quick, I thought, oh, that was kind of anticlimactic because I thought everything that was happening. But I will say the new C-3PO that I got afterward made for some fun moments where he's, you know, just got a brand new slate. He's reintroducing himself to everybody and just referring things that just happened as something that's happened long ago, like calling Babu Frick his one of his oldest friends. So mm-hmm. that little gimmick they had for him throughout the rest of the movie when his memory was lost, I thought was pretty fun. But originally I thought all that build up to what CTA was gonna go to and be totally different once those red eyes went away so fast. I'm like, oh that was pretty quick. But I did end up liking what happened afterwards. Yeah. I wouldn't even say for me it was anticlimactic. Like I was surprised that it lasted that that it was that short. But then yeah, I loved that stuff with it afterwards when um, you know, the red eyes go away, he falls back down and Babu kind of reboots him and he, uh, sits up and goes, hello, good to meet you. I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations. And Poe just points at him and goes, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A fun problem, but <laughs> yeah. And I guess I just jump ahead just a little bit on this plot talk with 3PO where R2 does restore his memory at the end. I do wish they made it a point to say like his full memory is back. I'm kind of taking it that way because they didn't go one way or the other, but I like to assume R2 has 3PO's full memory back, dating back from the prequels that got wiped after Revenge of the Sith. So Mm. right now, until they say otherwise, I'm thinking to myself, we got 3PO got all his memories back and he remembers everything from the prequels and the Clone Wars. But we'll see if they say otherwise. But right now, that's how I'm looking at it. Yeah, I, I thought it was weird that he only lasted like two seconds for his Sith thing. And one of my, I would say, criticisms or just kind of nitpicks about this movie is the handling of the dagger with 3PO reading it and what you need to do with all of it is kind of weird. It just it's doesn't really all jive together, to be honest. Like, they, 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 they don't have the dagger, so then they have to have get 3PO to read the thing, and then right after 3PO can read the thing, they can get the dagger back. But how does the dagger... can how? How does a dagger tell them where where the Death Star wreckage is? That's what I don't understand. Well, it's so, it it was because 3PO told them the coordinates of where they needed to go, which yeah. was the other mood of Endor, Kefbur. 
And but once they go on the Star Destroyer, Ray just gets a feeling that, oh, the dagger's here and we're going to need it. She just has that feeling through the force, obviously, that they're going to need that dagger, even though they know where or what planet or moon, I should say, that uh, the Wayfinder is at. The dagger is going to have some other use, which obviously we see later. But it wasn't something that they knew right away after 3PO translated that, that they still needed the dagger. No, 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 no. no, Help me out here. I'm still confused. Make sure I get this right. So. They have the dagger. The dagger is it. It tells them the coordinates of where the wayfinder is. Correct. Yes. Correct. So how does the wayfinder say? Why is there a dagger that says the wayfinder is on Kefir with a Death Star? That's I don't dagger. know. That's what I'm saying. That, that okay. Is, honestly, no, that, that is, honestly, I do have a little bit of an issue with that too, especially because just the look of the dagger and the fact that it's you know, got the ancient Sith runes on it and stuff. Like, it makes it seem like it's this ancient artifact, but then when you realize, exactly. especially the fact that it's, you know, that when she holds it up to the Death Star wreckage, like, the edge of the blade is carved to match up with, like, the horizon line of the wreckage. It's like, obviously, this thing is less than 30 years old because somebody made it after the Battle of Endor. Exactly. And there were no Sith character. lords, so who actually... Dang it, Paul, now you're making me not like this part. Because, like... No, I, why would somebody make a dagger with the location of the Sith Wayfinder? It would have to be somebody who knew where the Wayfinder was, and presumably the only person that would have known that would have been Palpatine. So unless Palp- yeah, well, unless Palpatine was trying to leave clues behind, unless he was trying to leave clues behind for people to find him, like why would he make a dagger that points to exactly where it is? Like I don't Please know. save this. Save I think this. it was that character Ochi. He was obviously. I assumed it was his dagger. That's where they found it, where he was on that ship. And Palpatine wanted him to bring Ray back to him. And maybe he wasn't going to, he gave him some information. And the way Ochi decided to put that down was on that dagger that he had. I assume it's his personal dagger. And since he's a Jedi hunter, he maybe could be someone who knows about Sith lore and Sith language that that's how he decided to inscribe it. So no one else probably could find it other than him because it probably is a language not too many people know so to make it as hard as possible he put it in that sith language but i think he was the one that had to do that because palpatine sent him to get ray yeah and but he would if... have to go to El- i mean he'd have to get find his way back to exegol at some point and maybe he had to get that wayfinder to do it and i guess but again like he obviously found it because whoever made that dagger would have had to be standing looking at the Death Star to know how to carve the blade so that it lined up exactly with the thing. So it's like, why do you need to make a thing that points the way to it when you're right there looking at it? Uh, that's a good point, too. <laughs> so yeah, I think I need, to, I need to rewatch it again because I'm wondering if the coordinates are for... Like it's got like a heat sinker thing on it. So if you type in the any kind of mechanical computer of any kind, so like a droid or whatever, if they have the coordinates, they can kind of tell where the reading is. Maybe anywhere in the, you know what I'm saying? Maybe it's something like that. Well, you know what? I bet you because also I've I've heard some people say like, okay, so it's on the Death Star wreckage, but like to use the dagger, you have to be standing in that exact same spot because otherwise it's not going to line up. But like, so maybe the coordinates. We're actually not the location of the wreckage, but the coordinates are the spot that you have to stand on to look at the wreckage with the dagger and make the thing line up that tells you where the wayfinder is. But I mean, yeah, I guess that didn't really bother me. But the more we're talking about it and the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, that's really overly complicated. 
Well, <laughs> well, not only that, but I think when I think about it in that sense, where maybe it's just it just again whatever coordinates you put into that, it's a, it's more of like a, not a coordinates of or exactly it is, but or where the dagger saying exactly that planet, whatever, it's just telling you the coordinates of what that that signature of that artifact is, so you can locate it. So then, maybe because of the, of the Sith, the dark side energy, when you put the little thing out, it it will corrupt whatever is on the outside of it too. I mean, you can look at it like that. Again, I'm overcomplicating it, and you're right. That is one. I that's the one thing on the third watch. I was like, this doesn't make any sense, and I was like, I hate the fact it doesn't. But again, I roll with it because it's you know they got to keep the thing rolling. But I, I do think that. Yeah, might have to be something you pay more attention to, or at least I will the next time I see it. <laughs> see if there is Actually, maybe some dialogue we missed or something. Like I don't it. think there is. Kyle, like, what? Tim, do me a favor. Don't. I meant, I meant Tim. Sorry, I always do that. Tim, do me a favor. Don't tell, say any spoilers. Can you look in your visual guide and can you? Do they talk about that at all in the visual guide? I know there's a section on the dagger. So there's a whole section called "On the Trail of Ochi" and the dagger's in there. So hmm. maybe it does have some. More can you look it up? You just look it up while, we, while one of us is well, talking. Well, don't look it up right now because you don't want him to read Not it anyway. Not right now, but I'm saying no. No, but I'm just saying like just at some point during the show, I'm just saying, hey guys, don't worry. The answer's in the visual guide. That's all I need to hear. I could do that. All right. <laughs> Not, all right. Yeah, but I'll jump in. Second, to, yeah, that's fine. If I need that's to say fine. something, so no, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. All right. So moving on. Moving but, on. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, so so they figure out all that. In the meantime. um... I don't remember how they figured out they were on Kajimi. Oh, maybe because the oh, oh no, because the Knights of Ren are there. The um, yeah. and I don't know. Maybe they tailed the ship or something. I don't know how the Knights of Ren knew to be there. But you know, one of them is there patrolling the city, and they spotted them in the streets or whatever. So they they alert the First Order. Kylo's Star Destroyer shows up. Um, and Ray is looking up at the ship and senses that Chewie's on board. So they're like, oh well, we gotta get up to the ship and rescue Chewie. Um, and so they're leaving to go back to the ship. Um, Zori's with them and she tells Poe, she gives him that medallion that she was going to use to get off the planet and get past the first order blockades and whatever. Um, she gives it to them and says, maybe this will get you on board the destroyer. And, uh, Poe's trying to convince her to come with them. And she's like, no, I got my own stuff to do whatever. Um, and he goes, can I kiss you? And she's just like, nah, get out of here. Um, and I think they, they, I don't know if they established it firmly, but basically heavily hinted at that, you know, the two of them had a previous romantic relationship that ended badly when Poe left to join the resistance and everything. Um, And so uh, they take the medallion, they, they fly up there to get on the ship, um, blast some stormtroopers, Ray Jedi mind tricks some of them and is like, you know, it's okay that we're here. And um, so they get onto the ship, but then they split up and uh, Finn and Poe go to rescue Chewie and Ray is going to go look for the dagger. Um, and she gets in there, she finds it, um, and she's in that chamber where Kylo also has Vader's mask and stuff. And meanwhile, Kylo is down on the planet with the Knights of Ren searching for them. Um, and they do another mind connection and, you know, he can't see where she is, but, uh, they're talking and he's hinting more at her backstory and why Palpatine wants her dead. And, uh, he tells her, you know, search your memory and see your parents and stuff. And oh, and now this is where 
they start to, you know, unravel what they did in The Last Jedi. And he says, like, oh, I didn't lie to you when I said your parents were nobody because they chose to be nobody to keep you safe. But really, they were important. And I'm like, uh, okay, sure, I guess. Um, but uh, it, it was cool, though, because then she starts having flashbacks and actually sees uh, her parents, which I wasn't expecting. And it, her parents aren't anybody that we recognized. Um but you see like her mother hugging her and her dad saying, you know, okay, we got to go. And then the ship taking off and, and the scene from force awakens, where it's her as a little girl saying, no, come back. Um, so we're getting more of that revealed. And he's talking about, he doesn't give her the full answer yet, but is hinting at why she's so powerful. And, and again, trying to convince her to join him. But then this really cool thing happens where they start fighting and again, it's playing off of the thing earlier where like he snatched the necklace from her where they can pass physical objects through the force. Like they're having a lightsaber duel from two different locations. That was nuts. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> I mean, we saw that moment of them in the trailer destroying, you know, the ultimate Vader's helmet. But I wasn't expecting it to be a full blown lightsaber duel, let alone take place in two different locations, but yet they're fighting each other. <laughs> it was just really cool. Again, expanding on that force power of their force connection, where they're able to talk to each other from different locations. And now they're able to fight in a very cool lightsaber battle. It was, you know, we only got two in this movie, but the first one between Kylo and Ray, I thought was just really cool visually because it's just so unique to see a lightsaber fight play out that way. And also we got what I was hoping for, a lightsaber duel with Kylo Ren in his helmet, and he looked awesome wielding that crossblade lightsaber with his mm -hmm. helmet on. It was just a really, really cool sequence. You know, this was a was very much a surprise. And again, we we've all complained. We need that that mask in a in a in a lightsaber fight, and we did get it, even though it wasn't a traditional, you know, end whatever kind of like climatic battle, but it was just as good, man. I, yeah. I thought it was really, really creative in how they did it. And I love what they did. And I also love the fact that when I, I, cause again, cause I'm not a very good creative writer, the scene where it shows, we see the trailer where they're destroying the, the, the thing where, where Vader's mask is standing on. You almost think that Kyle's going to be like, no, cause yeah. you know, <laughs> that's what I would assume, but he's not. He's like, oh, that's where you are, because the mask falls on his side mm -hmm. of the of, of the force skyping, and I'm just like, what? And and I'm like, oh, okay. I love the fact that he's not like, oh, you shut up my mask, bro. And he well, because she out. didn't she didn't destroy the mask, and I thought from the trailer that she was actually going to, and that it was going to be more of a thing where she was trying to break its hold over him or something like that. But I don't even know if she hit it on purpose. Like she was kind of swinging at him and hit this thing on the side and just destroyed like the pedestal that it was standing on. And so the mask falls to the ground, but instead of falling in the chamber, it falls at Kylo's feet down on the planet. And of course the whole time they've been fighting, he's like, you know, where are you? And he's trying to find her and he wants to get her to join him and turn her to the dark side and all that. And so when he sees the mask fall and obviously he knows that was in his chambers, he goes, Oh, that's where you are. Um, and then of course he alerts everybody else and goes lock down the ship, the girls in my quarters and all that. Yeah, no, there's I think that is a we got two really we we got two really good lightsaber fights. Yeah, I don't know did. if they're like the best of the, the, the saga or anything like that. Maybe I don't I need more time to live with them. But that being said, 
they're really good though. Like, like instead of getting like we only got one legitimate lightsaber battle in the Force of, or uh, in the in Last Jedi, and even in the the Force Awakens, there wasn't both those films didn't really have a lot of lightsaber stuff in them. Um, and one of them I think is definitely definitely by design, which is the Force Awakens. Um, but that being said. I think that these two were, were just so good, though. Like, they're just really, really good. They weren't, like, amazing, but they were very, very good. Borderline amazing, the second one. But this one was so creatively done that I just can't I, – I just – I love it. And I also love that, that he's teasing her about her lineage and, and what's going to happen and, like, what – you know, where her role and everything is. Because, again, in Last Jedi, he says to her, you don't have a place in the story. You're at – you know, you're, you don't – you're not – you don't really belong in the story. And then he tells her – Oh, you do actually. So if you're not going to like it, you know, yeah. and, he, and I love the fact that he knows when he tells her it's going to bum her the heck out, man. And not, and it's not, and I, you know, people have, I've had Sean Gerber, my, my partner in crime had really criticized that, that part of, of, you know, of just re, right, just basically re, re, uh, re, uh, doing Luke Skywalker again. I'm like, no, nah, not really. Because the difference is the person telling her is someone it's of an equal, Instead of the, yeah. it's their superior, you know, yeah. and so it's and you know what I don't think emotions. you even I don't think you even needed the line where he says you know oh I never lied to you when I told you your parents were nobody because obviously he has new information that he got from like yeah. Palpatine obviously tells him off screen at the beginning of the movie what's going on with Ray so it's, he didn't know that in the Last Jedi he wasn't hiding that from her. No, exactly, and so again the lead up to that is fantastic. So. um yeah, I, I don't – again, what, what, some of my favorite light, uh, lightsaber battles are the ones that build up character or develop character or deal with character while you're fighting. Not just – it's not just a – they all just, just can't be a, a, a Darth Maul versus Obi-Wan Kenobi you know, dance, which again, I yeah. love that stuff too. But I love the ones where it's them talking and, and they're battling out. And I felt that with The Rise of Skywalker – they did a great job of developing all their lightsaber battles between the two um, protagonists and antagonists. They did a great job of developing their, their, uh, their, or excuse me, the, the characterization they had while they battled was perfect of them talking. It was a perfect balance of that. It felt very Empire Strikes Back to me. And I loved it, especially, especially this scene here. So this is phenomenal stuff. Yeah, and also, I mean, I think we mentioned this earlier too, but I love the way that this movie just leans into new aspects of the Force. And they're like, it's not just like, oh, let's introduce one new Force power. It's like, they go all out. Like, we're seeing Rey and Kylo have a lightsaber duel through the Force from two different locations. We're seeing Rey using Force lightning and Force healing and, you know, Palpatine going nuts with the Sith stuff at the end. Um so I love that they were just like, you know what, let's just lean into this and have some fun with it. Um, and yeah, I thought this duel was a really cool, creative use of that. Um, and then, of course, you know, we'll get to the actual reveal in a minute. But um, then meanwhile, Finn and Poe, uh, you know, they, they rescue Chewie. Then they get surrounded by stormtroopers. And uh, they bring them before General Hux, who's – or I think – First, they bring them before General Pride, who, by the way, I liked for I mean, he wasn't given a, a ton to do like he didn't really have character development or, or anything like that. But um, I liked him just as a, a menacing bad guy and a Tarkin type, like right hand Imperial officer type of guy. Um, and he says, he had you know, a good presence as an 
evil first order officer. Yeah. And he says, take him away to be executed. And so um, Finn and Poe and Chewie are standing there and they got stormtroopers lined up to shoot him. Oh, and jumping back for a second to something that I forgot to mention earlier, when they're in the sand on Pasana and they're about to sink, Finn tells Ray, he's like, Ray, I never told you. And then they go under and he never gets to finish what he was going to say. And then when they get under the tunnels, Poe is like, or she's like, what were you going to tell me earlier? And he's like, oh, I'll tell you later. And Poe walks by and he's like, oh, what, when Poe's not here? And he's like, yeah. Um, and then so they're on the ship and Poe's like, all right, what were you going to tell Ray earlier? And he's like, uh, you know, this isn't the time for this. He's like, oh, we're about to get executed. It's not the time. Um, which they never really resolve that. Like he does, he never says what he was going to tell her. But I, I mean, you can kind of guess it's one of two things. But I have a feeling based on some other stuff that they do with, with Finn later on. Yeah, um, they confirmed, or I think JJ confirmed it in a Q&A not too long after <laughs> what oh, okay. it was. So. But, um, so then while they're bickering, these stormtroopers are, are lined up to shoot them and execute them. General Hux walks in, and of course, you know, he's dealt with them before, and so he's like, you know what, I'm gonna enjoy this. Actually, I'd like to do it myself. And he takes the blaster from one of the stormtroopers, and he shoots all the stormtroopers down. And he goes, you know, he tells them, I'm the the mole in the First Order. Um, and he helps them escape. And then, uh, you know, they get back to the Falcon and he tells Finn, uh, you know, he's like, wait, 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 blast me in the arm so it looks convincing. And Finn shoots him in the leg instead. And he's like, why are you helping us? And he says, I don't care if you win. I just need Kylo Ren to lose. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll jump ahead for a second just so I can talk about this whole mole subplot. Because then after they get away... Uh, Hux goes to General Pride and he tells him, uh, you know, somebody help the prisoners escape and whatever. And uh, General Pride's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, good to know. And he takes a blaster from a stormtrooper and turns around and just shoots Hux in the chest and goes, contact the Supreme Leader and tell him we found our spy. Um, I thought this subplot with Hux being a mole that was actually helping the resistance was such a waste of potential. Like... It wasn't just I I don't know if I hate it or if I love it but want more of it because <laughs> I feel like this could have made for a really interesting subplot and them trying to find out who this mole is and then maybe have like a redemptive arc for Hux. But the fact that the mole is only brought up in like two scenes and then you find out that it's Hux, but the only reason he's doing it is basically to be petty and spite Kylo Ren and then he gets shot for it in the next scene. It's like, that was pointless. Like, again, yeah. I, I think they either should have cut it completely or expanded on it a lot more because I think that really had potential to be a good subplot. We've never had a storyline like that in a movie before. I mean, we've seen that in video games with Imperial defectors and stuff, but and even with Finn being a stormtrooper who defects, but we've never had like a mole in the Empire or in the First Order. So I think that could have been a really interesting setup, but they resolved it in like two scenes and it really seemed like an excuse to just get rid of Hux. Like, I feel bad for Donald Gleason. I don't know if they just didn't know what to do with his character or maybe if he asked to be killed off because he wanted to be written out. Like, I'm sure, especially with Hux getting just kind of tossed around by Kylo at the end of The Last Jedi, like, that's probably not what he thought he signed up for. They really turned Hux from, like, what seemed like he was going to be a young Tarkin in The Force Awakens to by the end of The Last Jedi, he's just a buffoon. And then they kill him off unceremoniously mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, 
And again, I'm like, you either needed to make that a lot better or cut it completely. Cause as it stands now, I'm just kind of like, what? I think that that's honestly why not, not because last Jedi and, and his, you know, and his characterization was kind of altered a bit, but I think the fact that he, one, you have so many different characters you got to introduce. You needed, you know, he, he was a way to use people and he, he was used for comedic relief basically again, and I think also they were just kind of like, okay, cool. We did our thing. Let's get them out of here. And they got rid of them. And I don't really think you needed to spend that much time on them either, because I'll be honest, I think, I think he was a very, a lot more serious of a character on in the force awakens. And mm-hmm. I, I think, I, I think they made it. He definitely, and not Domino's, this is not Domino's fault. This is the script's fault, but Ryan Johnson really did it. I'm just going to say it did a terrible job writing that character. And made him the comic relief, and it just did not work, in my opinion, in the movie. And I feel that Domhnall probably was like, you know what, man, I don't care. I don't care if I'm in it for, you know, whatever. Here's my availability. You guys can work whatever you guys want. And they were probably like, you know what, this character is not really worth right worth right now, given an arc, doing much with. Let's just, you know, we we got so much to do. Let's just use him to do this and get him out of here. And I think that's what ultimately what happened. And I don't really blame anyone for getting rid of him so fast. Cause you know what? I don't care about Hux at all. I really don't like, I didn't really care about him even after the force awakens, but after, after the last Jedi, I really don't care about him. And so the fact that he was the mole, he had a little bit of comic relief and it wasn't awful. And then they killed him right away. I'm like, hey, that's perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. See, this is actually one of the predictions I've had about Hux or just anyone for episode nine that actually I got right. Because even I said, I think in our last Jedi review episode, how the way that things were left with Hux and just that look he gives Kylo Ren as he enters the resistance base on crate, knowing that they all escaped that he was going to do something to try to foil his plans or maybe defect or just do something to make sure Kylo Ren or the first order doesn't succeed with Kylo Ren in charge. So once they established there was a mole in the first order, I kind of had a feeling it was going to be him. And it was. And I do agree that it was something that kind of got brushed aside by the time it was revealed. And it is, like you said, killed him off unceremoniously. But it was something like, what more could you do after that, really, with him? You just established that he was the one that gave him the information. He revealed himself to be the mole. And you knew he would end up probably getting caught eventually. It just happened to be... Real quick, they didn't drag it out too much where Pride knew it right away and shot him. So I really didn't have too much of a problem with it just because I didn't see them doing too much with that afterwards because I just thought it would have took it away if they had to go back to him trying to defect from the First Order to escape to join up the Resistance. And I just think there wasn't any really time for that. So might as well just kill him off (laughs) the way they did. But it was something that, like you said, if the character was you know portrayed differently in The Last Jedi than he was from The Force Awakens to more of that comedic role and not really going to do much with him further in Episode Nine, He kind of had at least some bit of usefulness being the mole in the First Order given the Resistance that important information. It would kind of be more than expected if you were really disappointed that how he's portrayed in The Last Jedi to have some kind of more significant maybe than originally thought with giving the Resistance that info about the Wayfinders. So again, I wasn't I didn't have a problem with how quick it was because just how much more could you expand on that? So it was just something where I could see coming just after things were left in The Last Jedi. So it was just, I guess for me anyway, kind of cool to see that fulfilled where he was someone who just didn't want to see Kylo Ren lose. And I don't mind the fact that it was 
petty of him because we know that rivalry he had with Kylo Ren and just how much they did not like each other. And he'd be willing to sacrifice everything just to see Kylo Ren fail. To me, that's not out of his character at all. He would totally do something like that. But so. we also know that Hux seems to be very loyal to the First Order and very ambitious and cares about his own status. Like, he he but, always has... You know, he always had that rivalry with Kylo Ren, but it wasn't just that he hated him. Like, they were always competing for, like, who was kind of top dog and who was – who Snoke trusted more and stuff like that. And so – And I think that's out the window now for Hux now that Snoke well, is dead. Well, of course, he's out the window charge, now that so. Snoke is gone, but uh, – well, I mean, I guess I could see because it's Kylo – It's really out the window now because Kylo Hux is dead. Well, <laughs> I mean, just the fact that Kylo ah. is, that Kylo is supreme leader now, maybe that's like, well, if Kylo's in charge of this whole deal, then am I really loyal to the First Order anymore? Exactly. That's why um, I think he doesn't really care about his position of the First Order I, anymore because it's probably not what it he pictured it to be with Kylo Ren in charge. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess that makes sense. But it was just so. It seemed like such a a concept that could have been really cool that was just so short and simplified that it was disappointing to me. Um, Again, I just didn't see them doing – in a movie about this wrapping up the entire saga, you can't spend too much time without a mole in the first order who just ends up being General Hux. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, on its own, that felt like it could add more potential. But yes, with everything going on, I'm not saying that like in this movie they should have spent 10 more minutes on that, but I don't know. It it, it fell kind of flat for me. Um. But then, of course, as they're escaping, you know, they're in two different hangar bays, like uh, Finn and Poe and Chewie get back to the Falcon, and uh, Ray. I think Ray's with 3PO for some reason, and she gives him the dagger and the cross, like all of Chewie's stuff that she gathered up from that room. Yeah, she makes it back to Ochi's ship, which they went there on, and so she, 3PO and BB-8 and Dio were left there, and so she just returned to that spot not knowing that Finn and Chewie and Poe were at the Falcon. So it just made sense for her to go back to where they originally boarded the Star Destroyer. Right. Um, but yeah, then she tell. I guess I, I need to see it again. I don't remember why she was there, but then sent them back the other way or whatever. But anyway, she, 3PO's got Chewie's belongings, and that's the one shot where he's carrying the bowcaster. Um, and sends, you know, she sends them back to the Falcon. She's there in the hangar with kylo and all the stormtroopers and this is where he finally reveals to her that she is a palpatine um i don't know about you guys but the first time i saw that i was not a fan because it took me (laughs) back to the days you know tim when we were doing this before the force awakens and we were just you know, all these speculative fan theories and, oh, she's going to be a Skywalker or a Solo or a Kenobi or a Palpatine or, you know, whatever. And I just always thought that was a dumb fan theory. Um, And I mean, I know some people maybe for one reason or another thought that would be a good idea. I just personally never, I was like Palpatine having grandkids. That seems a bit far-fetched. And then when he said that I was like, what they really went with that like they picked the fan theory off of twitter and put that in the movie um or reddit. have you seen that have you seen that thing of reddit where i've seen the, the, the end credits where it's written and directed yeah. by reddit 
Um, amazing. This is amazing, by the way. Oh, my God. And, so and this honestly is one of the things that on multiple viewings, I still don't love it. Um, but I, it doesn't bother me as much as it did the first time around. And I will say, now it, it's weird because it's like, it's like a necessary thing to maneuver her into place for this story arc where by the end of it, I really like it. And, you know, we'll talk about the ending where they where when we get there, but I love her, the way that she deals with this and, her, you know, the way that she basically chooses how she wants to be connected to that legacy. Um, so I like the outcome of it. I like what she does with it. And I like the end of the arc that this creates. But still, just this scene where he goes, you know, oh, the emperor, you know, wanted you because you're powerful and you're connected to him. And he goes, you know, you don't just have power. You have his power because, Ray, you are a Palpatine. And I'm just like... Uh, Tim, go ahead. I have a lot to say. So, Tim, I I just want you to have the floor before I dominate here in a second. Not yeah. not dominate like the conversation of like oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. No, no, I mean you know what I mean. Yeah, so, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Tim. I definitely did not have the reaction you did, Kyle. <laughs> to be honest, I was surprised because again, when she shot out the force light, I knew she was going to be connected to Palpatine in some way, just not exactly sure. And I was actually happy with when Kylo Ren said that because if I'm glad they didn't do it where, oh, she's just a clone of Palpatine, but yet made differently. But the fact that she is blood related to Palpatine, I think is a better way to go. And I'm just going to go back to what we talked about so much on this podcast and other conversations when it comes to Rey and her having some you know significance in this trilogy and her background to where she came from and what why she's so strong in the forest. And while Palpatine, while her being Palpatine's granddaughter wouldn't be my first choice, mm-hmm. I think it still makes sense in a narrative standpoint to how cool that can be from the grand scheme of things of the Skywalker saga. Having the daughter or the granddaughter of Palpatine be such a central figure going up against the grandson of Darth Vader. I think is really cool. And Kylo Ren even says as much, you know, the granddaughter of Palpatine and the grandson of Darth Vader are coming together. Palpatine is such a central figure in the Skywalkers, this in their family, in the story. I think it does make sense for someone to the legacy of Palpatine to still play a big factor in the story moving forward. And the fact that the granddaughter of Palpatine is with the light side of the force, I think is really cool when you look at it, that angle just as you know Anakin started off as good became Darth Vader and his offspring Luke was good it became with the light side so but I like how the opposites play with each other where Darth Vader offspring could go two ways because you know they have the light and the dark with Anakin becoming Darth Vader Luke proved to be with the light side Ben Solo proved to show that with that bloodline you can go to the dark side but I like how with Rey having just you know, Palpatine be fully blown and committed to the dark side, but yet she's someone who's representing the light side of the force. I just think that's a cool avenue to go to in that aspect where you're having someone who's a central figure in the grand scheme of the Skywalker saga be related to someone who is such a pivotal character within the saga and affected the Skywalkers in so many big ways, especially with Anakin. And yet his offspring is going to be the one who ends up being his undoing. And yet, 
still connected with the Skywalkers with her connection to Ben Solo, which we'll get to as well. But I just like that idea again, where it just didn't come from nothing, her strength in the force. We knew it wasn't just any old person who could become a Jedi, just like a Jedi Knight that you see randomly in the Clone Wars or something, but someone with significant power on the level of Anakin and Ben Solo. And it just makes sense to me that with Palpatine's blood in her, she would have that power. And I just think from a thematic story standpoint, the fact that even though she is his, his granddaughter, the fact that she's representing the light side of the force, I think plays off really well for that theme for her characters. So I was happy with that. I was just mainly glad it wasn't just, you know, the whole Ray Rando thing, but there was some significant and back, a significant history that she has with her backstory and that is connected to Palpatine. So to me, it works. And but at the same time, it opens up a bunch of questions <laughs> about information we're going to want to learn and i'm sure we will later on the line just uh, the story about her parents i mean we could probably get a whole trilogy about her parents now <laughs> and her oh let's not go that far <laughs> you never know if it's because how did they even know right away that because it's his son who yeah was, i know was, right. they, they confirmed that yeah. yeah like did he know right away that he was palpatine's son did he even realize palpatine was his father did palpatine have children before he was even a sith lord because we don't know exactly now when exactly he right. fell into the dark side and became an apprentice to Darth Plagueis. That could well, happen later in his life. So I think and, if it if it had happened that far back, she would probably she be his great granddaughter. Because yeah, I mean, I in the cool. flashbacks, her parents didn't look that old. I mean, I'm assuming they were, they looked like maybe late twenties. With a little girl who's you know five or six. Yeah, I did that. That's accurate. Yeah. So and that was that would have been, let's say, fifteen years after the Battle of Endor, somewhere around there, which would mean that they would have been born. His son probably would have been born sometime in between Episode three and four. Um. So definitely when he was already on the dark side, or at least when he, you know, definitely when he was already a Sith Lord, it was not before Phantom Menace for sure. Um, yeah. It was all post, it was all post, um, uh, Re Republic. Yeah. That's true. And then the other question is, was it his son, a natural birth? <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. when he's that old, it kind of makes you think probably not. So it's just raises a bunch of questions of, Okay. How this all played out. So I know you got more to say on that. Paul. Sorry, so sorry. I'll throw it to you. But again, I was happy with it mainly just because she comes from, again, it's just her, her source of power comes from a significant figure who plays a big role in the Skywalker saga. And exactly. the fact that it's on the side of good, I think is this is a good way to go about it. Where it's just not, Oh, Palpatine's granddaughter automatically, you know, should be some of the dark side. It's something that she has to deal with and toy with. Obviously if the, that being her ultimate destiny, but the fact that right away, the representation of the awakening of both the dark and the light, and the light is coming from someone who's related to a Palpatine, I think that's cool thematically. Yeah. So here's the deal. And everyone knows, who listens to this show, knows that I can't stand Ray Rando only because, again, the significance of the whole anyone can be a hero is, is a great story idea. It, it's definitely in in Star Wars and in places we've talked a lot about a new hope. Luke is is that person at that time. And then Lucas changes it and all of a sudden bursts a modern mythology onto us and is 
been changed ever since. And then we also know that's kind of Finn's story too now, but even that's being kind of altered now that like you know, anyone can be a hero. All of a sudden he's force sensitive anyway, but here's the deal. I was talking again. I, I'm going to go back to my podcast with the Fandalorians because Sean was kind of arguing with me a lot about, about this saying, no, anyone, you know, cause he said like anyone could be a hero, you know, you don't have to be from a special bloodline to be a, a powerful Jedi. I'm like, well, and, and, and he kept kind of saying that to me over and over again. I'm like, that's great. You're right. Like, that's been Jedi forever. Like that's, there's nothing substantial about that at all. And that's kind of my point is that you're right. There are tons of more really powerful Jedi out there, but even then, like I said, he, and I said, but you know, even Skywalkers were nobodies. I'm like, no, 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 no. Time out. No, you're wrong. And, and this is where that line of thinking is wrong is that the Skywalkers are established in episode one when a little boy has twice as or what three times as many midi chlorine count as master yoda the most powerful jedi in the in the universe mm. not three and times he just says even master yoda doesn't have one that high irregardless um that's but, not a word but my point <laughs> <laughs> um no but as i'm saying this they're establishing the fact that this this is not a normal case mm-hmm. and that again Lucas at that point after he made Empire Strikes Back created and realized and again I've had people tell me that the mythology thing is something that he kind of thought afterwards and let's be real here I'm gonna say this for a record right now George Lucas changes his mind constantly and his reasons for doing things are always changing but in the end this is what he's created and this has been the most consistent I think since the original trilogy that he wanted to build a mythology. He didn't want to just build like oh, I'm going to make sequel to a Star Wars you know if he could easily have just went down a different path and have done the thing what we talk about like have a, a hero or be anybody or whatever. But no, he wanted to be about a family. He wanted to have a mythological thing that we can kind of have a modern myth to watch. And these modern myths have to be special. They have to be godlike kind of beings. If you go back to like the days of Zeus and things like that, those myths back mm-hmm. in the day. So you're so the whole like anyone could be a hero. Yeah, that's great. That's a great story that you can do another side story. Ryan Johnson can do that on Disney Plus. That <laughs> do that story there. Okay. Because that's not this. That's not the Skywalker saga. The Skywalker saga is a saga mythology that is full of people that are are way more they're above the power level of the other power levels that they've kind of are, are birthed into, if you will. And they are stuck in a world of trying to conquer these things that are trying to take over this universe. And they are basically the Skywalkers are essentially uh, tasked to take over and protect the universe essentially. And that's the whole point is that in this, in, in, in this there's tragedy and things like that. So with all that being said, the reason I bring all that up is that when you make Ray Rando just be an, like anyone could be the hero. You totally neuter that. That is the truth. And JJ in his infinite wisdom and though making, <laughs> no, here's the thing. I decided just never thought I'd hear you say those words. I don't <laughs> go back to force awakens day. <laughs> and the reason I know, and if you don't like the Palpatine thing and you, you cringe at me saying infinite wisdom, bear with me for a second. Listen, hear me out. The thing is, that he knew he had to do something from a dramatic level. Even if you just look at it from a the power level and make it kind of all make sense, you gotta you gotta up the ante because Ryan killed your and the, the guy who was overseeing everything the last movie. And so for me, and we kind of talk, I think we talked about this before the uh, episode, Kyle, is that obviously 
um, or no, I think we talked about it on the show. Obviously, that JJ and Chris Terrio and and Kathleen Kennedy and and Lucasfilm and, and Disney all agreed that they wanted to have a redemption story with Ben. And to do that, you had to you had to do something to make make it worthwhile for Ray and Ben to team up and actually and actually have a convincing turnaround for Kylo Ren to back to Ben Solo. And by doing that, you had to make Ray be on the same level. You had to give Ray some more dramatic ties because now you could bring back Palpatine, make her you make her all of a sudden have more justification of her power level. And also have more drama that way and also be able to have her a reason for Ben to get redeemed. And you also tie all the other trilogies together. It was a real no brainer at that point. It's a, is it the, the problem is, is it the easiest to explain? No. And that's why I was getting back. I wanted to chime in after you were talking about the son of Palpatine, because in my opinion, by making Rhea Palpatine, you up the ante of drama. You give, you add the mythology, the idea, or you kind of, you take the, you reverse it a little bit. It is a mirror, and it rhymes with Luke being, you know, the whole that thing. But it's different because, you know, in the end, Vader saved, uh, you know, Luke mm -hmm. at the end. Well, she didn't have that. She doesn't have that luxury. Instead, she has the whole Jedi Order on her, on basically on her shoulders, depending on her to overtake the Emperor. And, and that's what. Good. So I'm just real quick. Yeah. Luke having that hope that there is still good in Vader. Exactly. I mean, Palpatine, there's none of that. So she has that burden as well. Really mm -hmm. struggling to make sure she doesn't fall into that bloodline of just being completely yes. into the dark side. So it's not, it is not a complete ripoff. It's very different and it's played differently. And, and I think it really works. And now with all that being said, with the whole like that she's a granddaughter and it does cause a lot of problems in a sense of where why you, know, you have to lot to explain. And that's where I think a lot of us would always say, what's the easiest to explain in the, in, 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 a, in, a, in every Ray theory, what's the easiest to explain. And to be honest, being a nobody is probably the easiest to explain of all time. And, but here's the deal. And this is why I love <laughs> JJ and Chris Terrio. They said, you know what? Star Wars needs to be weird and be wacky. And here it is. Bam. And you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. We never knew he had a son on all this stuff. And, that to me is where the genius of this is. And now I say genius because you're like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And we talked about this, I think, Tim, before when we just initially, there's a in there's a problem in introducing a son of Palpatine. But in the problem, it's also brilliant. And the reason I say that is because now they've advanced the mythology forward. They have introduced an idea that they we never we don't have any idea about. We have a million questions on, and they introduce it and they go forward with it. And know what they told? Know what they basically tell Lucasfilm? Have fun, and they <laughs> and they run off. And the reason why it's brilliant is because now going forward, they actually Lucasfilm now in the story group and whoever's in charge of this, Lord hope they they treat it well afterwards. But now. They actually have some meat to play with, and they will now decide how this all kind of goes out at some point. But and okay, I disagree with you ahead. there, though. That it does not make it a genius move for the movie to throw something in that seems random and out of nowhere and go, oh, but I, now this creates a lot of opportunity to fill in that backstory it, with books and comics movie, and stuff. You're right. Like, that doesn't make movie, it a yeah. good movie. 
Yeah, no, no, no. I didn't say it for the movie. I said it's a brilliant move. And and the reason why I say it's a brilliant move is that you have to, you have to take it at face value. You have to you have to accept the fact that he had a son and he has a granddaughter. And there's so many different things. And again, what has this movie done already? A lot of it's done, and it, it will do later on in the movie as well. On in in more even more serious parts, it makes you really kind of say, how does that work exactly? And it makes you start thinking of ways it could work and how does it and how it does. There's no definitive answer. You have to, again take it face value. At some point, Palpatine had a son, but like you, but see, Tim, you did the right thing. And, or not the right thing, but the thing that most people that that it works for him will say, well, who's the son? How did it happen? I mean, did he do the deed with someone, which is really weird and to think about? That he, <laughs> yeah. and, and I, and I think most of us would think that he wouldn't have a wife, and you don't want to get into a weird like like some kind of like you know Dune. By like, the way, uh, on on that note, if you haven't watched the pitch meeting for the Rise of Skywalker you have got to see that it's hilarious and addresses some of these questions. And obviously they're poking fun at it, but there's one part that just had me dying. So, so like, it's not, I hope it's not like Dune and they have like, you know, like he has a concubine. And if he has no Dune, that's a Dune reference. Um, uh, anything like that, that'd be weird. Right. So you immediately think, but let's assume he was in love and there was some really weird evil Sith. You know, maybe it was like mother Talzin or something like that. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) so, but, but, but here's my thing. My point is this. We don't know who the son is. We don't know that, again, you know, what does uh, the Hobbit say? He says, you know, Sith is for cloning and things like that. Because I thought that that's what, who she was. He was going to be manipulated and she he was he was experimenting with his own bloodline just of, like, mm-hmm. himself and created Ray. That's still on the table. You could still retcon that at some point. I know it doesn't, for the movie, you have to be like, oh, I hate this. Oh, it sucks. I get it. But eventually, you... Lucasfilm can do whatever it wants and tell a story however it wants later on. It's because all it matters is in the end is that Palpatine took away any kind of idea of she would have some kind of family to be a part of one and two, he's connected to her by blood. That's it. And that those are the two most important things of being a Palpatine that's significant and is, does cause drama that you have to know and, and really work with the whole how, be, why, and, yeah, it gets complicated, but you know, it's you have to kind of go with it a little bit too. And I understand it gets it gets weird, but my point is this is that with the Emperor, we don't know how it happens, and there's so many different ways you could do it. And again, like with a son, we don't know that because what I immediately for my own personal headcanon, I'm I'm a betting man and, and I've been wrong plenty of times, but I'm probably thinking that what probably happened was he was he was like he was with Anakin. He was creating. He was trying to create a life, not with many chlorians, but he was trying to get a clone or something like that, and get a person that he could create, like a test tube baby, if you will. And it's from his own. I'm assuming his own body, but, um, but whatever. And he creates this child, raises it to think that it's going to be his, his, empower him, like with the dark side of the force, that you know, be powerful in the force, and he's not. And so he's like, crap. What do I do now? And he's like, well, you know, he's, he can't just throw him away. He's thinking, well, there's gotta be, there's gotta be something there. And he thinks, well, maybe it'll be a granddaughter. So he leaves him open to basically say, okay, if he has any offspring, I'll see if, you know, they become a threat to me, you know, just like with Darth Vader or something like that. You know, we don't, again, there's different things we can, we can talk about, but the reason why I thought that 
it's it's not even a, a slam dunk that that's maybe like he's literally her granddaughter his her his grandfather necessarily is because just for, for just for simplicity's sake if because maybe she was a clone or, or she was altered you know genetically like that is he gonna sit there and explain it to her all the way through he gonna say i am your grandfather and then those and maybe she was stolen from him and he could say that but he's like hey, it's just easier to say i'm basically your grandfather because you know we all come from the same blood i don't know but well, they did they me, really make a point that he had a son. I mean, it's not just right. Like yeah. Yeah. He says your father was the son of the emperor and my yeah. mother was the daughter of Vader. And he he's and apparently that's why they have this bond in the force. The dyad. Like, no, yeah. And, and he again, didn't. Th- that wasn't really super clearly explained either. But that I'm more OK with, like, because that is one of those things, kind of like Anakin being the chosen one where the mm-hmm. force. Exactly. I, I take that as the force acting like. The force needed that to happen, needed yeah. to, to bring them exactly. together. And even though and Sn- even though Snoke says he created that bond, it's pretty clear that like it's more than just that. It's not just them communicating, ahead. but it's the them really being a, a duality, a two sides of the same coin, which we've known all along was kind of true from a story standpoint. But now it's like in universe, in the force, that's how they are. So yeah, go ahead. I have to circle back after you. In the force to do that to like needing these two beings who are really strong in the force aren't as one. And as Palpatine says later on, like haven't been seen for generations. It just makes total sense that it would take from arguably the two most powerful bloodlines that we've seen in the Skywalker saga, the Skywalkers and the Palpatines. It just, to me, it just fits so perfectly. And just going back to the possibilities of Palpatine's son, to me, I'm just, as you were talking, Paul, it's making me think about that Charles soul comic, the very last issue where everyone thinks he was responsible for the birth of Anakin, where we see him like kind of, over Shmi was when she's carrying Anakin, hinting that he's the father. What if that they take that idea? It's he didn't create Anakin; that he was still birthed through the Force. But having known that about Anakin being the Chosen, he wanted to try that for himself. Exactly, and that was his son as he tried to do that Ooh. with and connecting it to what we saw in that issue of the comic, where you know it had to be a biological birth, where it just wasn't his son wasn't born in a test tube. But he was the one that really manipulated the midichlorians to do that. And maybe his son, for whatever reason, wasn't force-sensitive and as strong as he hoped, but had that potential where his son's offspring can have what he didn't have, and that's what Ray is and why he wants her. So, God. But see, see this Paul, is what I'm talking about. Paul, I'm going to sound like you talking about The Last Jedi, though. Because you okay. guys are throwing all these theories about, oh, what if his son was this and what if he created him or what if he had a natural son, but he wasn't strong in the force or whatever. And when you were talking, you know, when we were talking about that scene in The Last Jedi that you have so many issues with, with Luke going, to, Luke conf- with Luke going to confront Kylo. And you <laughs> yeah, said confront. you said you hated that kill, it's so subjective because like I gave an explanation for it. And you said, OK, I get that. But like if that's the case, they should have explained it better. That's how sure. I feel about this. Because no, I get it. Yeah. Because and and because one of my gripes with this is if you're going to establish that Palpatine had a son, I don't need to know like who the mother was and exactly when it happened and whatever. I mean, the one thing that I do like about this, I'm glad that she didn't end up being like a Kenobi or something, but because at least Palpatine's a Sith. And Sith are all about mm-hmm. passion and attachment, and so Palpatine having romantic entanglements, I don't have any problem with. But they make such a huge deal about, oh, Ray, you're so important because you're the granddaughter of the emperor. It's like, well, then wouldn't the dude who is the son of the emperor also be important? Like, why are we just skipping right over him? But and yes, and, and, there yeah. are explanations for why the force could have skipped a generation. Maybe he renounced that or maybe he uh, 
you know, uh, I don't think was, he was chosen. Wasn't, wasn't, he was wasn't, wasn't strong in the force. Maybe Palpatine didn't even know he had a son at first until he was older and had go. his own daughter or something. But again, <laughs> like that's open to interpretation and I don't think it should be like, and, and, you we know, need and, more and, concrete answers fair. on that. And that, and that's a fair, here's the thing. And this is where I would say that's a fair criticism. And I would say that if that's something that, that would ruin the movie for you, I, I, and it, it doesn't ruin the movie. I, not for you, me, but not not you, not not talking about you personally, but just for people in general. Because I know that's going to be a big problem for a lot of people. It's for people that I know that I'm good friends with. It's a big deal for them. And you know, for me, it just it doesn't it, it works because again, like Tim said, the Palpatine's a big. It's you're it's not just some random. If it was just some random thing of like another you know, whatever, it would be it'd be like like Snoke's granddaughter or something. That'd be way stupid. But it's not. It's Palpatine. It's yeah. a legitimate name. It's again, like Chris Terrio said, it's the two houses that are pretty much the whole Skywalker saga. It makes sense. And I love that. Again, it's building off the mythology, the diet. Now, OK, really fast. And I'm going to be done. We can move on. And I, I appreciate you guys letting me have my my time. In the well, sun I got here. more to say about this when about. you're done. <laughs> no, all right, all right. So there's a couple really quickly. A couple things. The dyad is basically expanding on the ideas of the chosen one which i freaking love and i and now it's what's genius about the dyad is that it's very powerful and it again explains a lot of why uh ray and kylo ren have an instant connection even in the force awakens when you see that which again i was well i've been watching the force awakens and now i'm on the last jedi was things going so long um and i'm <laughs> uh and i'm watching this stuff and i'm like man Already, Force Awakens is way better knowing of that dyad connection. There's an actual, and she's a Palpatine, and there's a real live connection between them. The Force has brought them together because of that, of their two houses, and the, of kind of like being on the opposite ends, and that they form that dyad that they talked about. And that, that's a, and that's something that they haven't seen in mo in many generations. That's what the Palpatine says. He's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even see that coming. Like he forgot about it. And that's again building the, the Jedi and the Force mythology phenomenal stuff right even look at um look at uh it kind of goes back the die i could even go back to the mortis trilogy right where they have the son and the daughter and you have the the, the father is the one balancing them mm -hmm. you could the die i could be a form they of that could have oh been the last gosh. ones before ben and ray <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh, so, okay so now that being said now everyone likes to say you don't have to be, to be a jedi a powerful jedi you don't have to be from a powerful bloodline i get it but listen to this. What if, and I'm just spitballing here. What if that there's a reason why the Jedi don't don't have offspring and attachments, and it's not just because of things like of Anakin. But what if is they're afraid of creating a Ray and a Kylo Ren, mm. if you will, and that if the, because if they allow Jedi to basically. I don't want to say the word breed, but, you know, have offspring together and whatnot, that their offspring will be so powerful in the force if they were to turn or to be, you know, enemies or whatever, that they would be really hard to bring down. What if that's a big reason why they don't have children together? And that's not and that's kind of forbidden. And I've thought about that. And I'm like, huh, that would make that would actually make a lot of sense. So that way, it, so if you were birthed from a big bloodline, it would make sense of why, one, the Jedi wouldn't want to do that all the time because if they did that, you don't know what you'd be getting, essentially. Now, if you keep it in the – if the Jedi did what Lucas did, which, again, 
was a George Lucas idea, and it kind of blew, kind of blew all our minds. You know, as far as who grew up on the original trilogy, we assumed you know there was no rules like that, but there wasn't. And now because of that, I'm thinking maybe there is a real reason why they don't have these Jedi, and maybe there's a story somewhere they'll tell where a family of Force users, there's like the dark side gets in there, corrupts things, and all of a sudden this powerful Force force user maybe not sith but it becomes a dark side user and then that person is hard to bring down and causes lots of death and destruction because they're so powerful in the force and they come from a powerful force family and there's not enough jedi that can match them you know mono a mono again going back to yoda and obi-wan where you know obi-wan's like somebody to kill the emperor i'm as powerful as he is I'm, anyone could be a hero and yoda's like you're not strong <laughs> enough dude you know and so yeah, whatever so my point is I wonder if there's a legitimate reason and that's why they don't have kids as far as Jedi together, right? Does that seem interesting? I think that's interesting. I yeah, mean, I never thought about it like that. I mean, right now possible. we know it's... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Tim. No, I was just going to say, right now we know it's because the Jedi don't form attachments, so they don't get corrupted by the dark side like Anakin right. did in form, but it could be something where they didn't... It could be expanded upon. I'm not going to rules that out too where if we ever learn more about the jedi code and what exactly is all in there that could be some because you make a good point where it could be an interesting way to explore it where they there was this big you know battle or catastrophe or this tragic event that happened in the jedi history that just hasn't been explored on and that could have been played a reason to it so i kind of like that idea i just don't know if they'll ever fully yeah. go in that direction but, but yeah it's cool I, mean, to think about. I think it's a possibility but i don't think it I don't think it has a whole lot of bearing on this story, at least. Like, no, but but I'm just saying, like, because everyone's talking about, like, you don't have to be from a great bloodline. Like, I get it, but I mean, what if? Because I always thought I was curious. Why don't Jedi just, you know, if they just, you know what I mean? Like, why don't they just let them? You know, it, here's my point: if Jedi were able to, or powerful Force users were to have children together, it's I'm assuming that they would be probably really strong in the force too. It, it is because well, but if we're assuming now, that, then why isn't Palpatine's son important? Because we don't know where his mom came from. Well, pa- Padme wasn't strong in the force, and yet Anakin still created Luke and Leia, who were very strong in the force. So I don't know that you need sure. both halves. No, um, no, I agree. No, I agree. I, I, I'm not. I'm just saying, like, we just don't know. And again, the force. This is the force we're talking about, and it could, it could again, it could skip a generation. We don't know, well, we, right? We and that's why I don't th- because also if a, if the force can skip a generation like that, or if we assume if we take it at face value that Palpatine didn't create Anakin, that the force really just did create the chosen one. Like if the if the force can create the chosen one out of nowhere, or if people who are non Jedi can have a kid that just happens to be force sensitive, then I think on the flip side, two Jedi having a kid together that kid might not have force powers at all. So yeah, that's true. That yeah, could I be think, possible I think too. Legitimate, yeah. And I think it could yeah. be somewhere. It just wasn't like if, how the force works where there was a time when the light and the dark side awakened, just going back to what said in the force awakens. It wasn't the force didn't see Palpatine's son in the time period where he was born. He was needed to be that mm-hmm. strong in the force. Yeah. It had to wait. So when Ray becomes, you know, the awakening arises in her and that's when the force decides that, you know, this is where, Palpatine's power from his bloodline is going to resonate in his grandchild where it wasn't the right time for his son to manifest that. If you believe in, you know, the force being at will of all these things taking place and the reason for uh, these characters having these abilities and being so strong in the force in these particular times that the Skywalker saga takes place in, because would you assume that he might be the same age as Luke or not too 
I think he'd be younger than Luke. He'd be, he'd be younger yeah, than I think Luke. Yeah, I think he would be younger than Luke. Because if that's the case, then Luke is feeling the need of what the Force needs from the light side at that See? point. And not mm-hmm. Palpatine's yeah. son, where later I, on, Ray would. I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, it feels kind of cheap to just explain away any plot hole in Star Wars with, oh, well, it wasn't the will of the Force. But at the same time, that is an established element in the story, so... It's kind of up in the air, but the one but other the one other it's issue like, that I have with the Palpatine reveal, going back to the beginning of all this, is, I mean, I know you're talking about like bloodlines and how Star Wars is like this mythology, and the Skywalker saga is a family story, and I'm not saying I wanted Rey to be like a Skywalker or a Solo or whatever, but it's like we've had. This has been, like, not just one character, but a family established over all these movies, right? You had Anakin and Padme, and then you had Luke and Leia, and now you got Han and Leia and Ben. And so I'm totally okay with, like, characters in the new movies being the offspring of the heroes from the previous story. And continuing, you know, just that family story. But it makes the universe feel smaller and makes things feel just too convenient when then all the other characters in that story are like the kids of all the side characters in that movie. Like, I want a story about the next generation of Skywalkers, but I don't want them to be teaming up with the next generation, you know, teaming up with Lando's kids and being mentored by Obi-Wan's kids and fighting Palpatine's kids. Like, I don't want everybody to be related to everybody. And I know you're saying that, like, this, the the Skywalkers and the Palpatines have always kind of been at odds for this whole story, but there is no the Palpatines. There's just Emperor Palpatine <laughs> who's been the villain behind this whole yeah. thing. Like, it doesn't feel like we need the next generation of Palpatines. Like, nobody was wondering. I mean, aside from wondering about Rey and like, oh, she could be descended from Palpatine. But aside from that, nobody's like, hey, I wonder what Palpatine's kids are up to these days. <laughs> like, you know, like, it just, that's why I it didn't. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. And so that's why. And again, I love where they go with the trajectory of the story arc. I love that she, you know, again, we'll, we'll talk about it at the end, but, uh, but I love how she ultimately deals with that and processes it and chooses her own path. But the initial reveal, especially just for whatever reason, him here, like hearing him say, Ray, you are a Palpatine. Like, like I said, there's never been like the Palpatines. Nobody's ever said you're a Palpatine. Like Palpatine was just one dude. He was the evil dude ruling everything. And like, it just Ooh. felt, it came off it's as, so, as, it was so weird. It, when he's like, it came off no, as, it came off as corny fan fiction to me the first time I saw it. it. No. And I think, okay. Uh, I love that we're talking about this and it's such a big deal. And we're like already like what, four hours into this freaking thing. Yeah. And, I, yeah, and, and we're like halfway so through, I, and we're like halfway I through know. the movie. So to those of you that were replying to us on Twitter earlier saying like, oh, this better be an eight hour episode. You might get your wish. I don't know. Which is fine. Which is what hilarious thing is I've been eating like food this whole time. And I've just been, and I have not been tired one second. Yeah, I'm not tired either. I, you know what? I drank coffee before we started this, so I'm probably going to be up all night. But I was like, I, it's worth sacrificing one night of sleep. Yes, like we got to have a Star Wars party. It's ten o'clock at night for me right now. I've got DoorDash from Wendy's on the way right now, so I ain't slowing down anytime soon. All right, so here's here's the deal. Like, you bring up some great points, and I and I and I want to say you're right too. Like, if it was just everyone's kids versus everyone's kids. It's Game of Thrones, and, and and that's that's not what George is is implying either, and I think that. But part of we all know the problem is there was no set idea going forward, 
And because of that reason, that's why we got what we got. And, and I, I'm with you. I, I, I do. If, if I, is, is Ray Palpatine the thing that I would have wanted? I wanted out of everything. Absolutely not. I would have preferred, I, I still think her just being a, a clone would be a way more, it's way more easy or, a, or some kind of manipulation in the force from Palpatine's like DNA is a way more easier thing to explain than being See, like, I don't, I don't like that. I, I don't like that idea I either, but me neither. I, I, See, I think it's better, but at the same time, you guys have said you don't like it. So, for, but to me again, they, they were one thing that Chris Terrio said in this, um, in these videos. Um, and, and this is where I really, and again, right to, to Ryan Johnson's credit, he did the same thing. And as creative people, you have to do this, whether it's music art, drawing, writing, whatever you want. One thing Chris Terrio said was the thing about it what, that was really evident for us while we made this movie is we had to follow our heart, what we thought would be like the best, most compelling story. And it wasn't, and that was, and that really felt authentic from him. I know a lot of people give Chris Terrio crap for BVS, which I think is, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but I think it's way more hate than it deserves. Um, but that being said, the whole Martha moment, and I think he he was really convicted on the Martha moment. He talked about it, and everyone shredded it, you know. And I think it's way over over hated, to be honest, too. I'll go um, as someone that's that not a huge comic book fan like you guys, that was dumb. Well, okay, I can see, go into but, reasons why it wasn't dumb, but right, <laughs> it's not but, that podcast. But, 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 yeah, it's a different podcast. But my point is. Again, he followed his heart and thought something that was really dramatic and thought it was really, you know, it wasn't just like, I'm going to do this because I think it's really clever. It's like, no, he really, I can tell Chris Terrio wants to do things when he's inspired by it. And I think that he he really thought that, oh, I, I got onto something that's really interesting and whatever. I, and I'm not saying the Martha moment's like the best thing in the DC, you know, cinematic universe or whatever history, but it was, it gets way more hate than it deserves, in my opinion. Now, going back to Star Wars. What he said was we had to follow our heart, you know, and what we thought needed to be done and what would be the most compelling, most dramatic and best way for us to write this story. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I really think you guys need to seek it out because he says to him, it just it, to them, it made sense to have the to have someone to link everything together, the previous trilogies. It just made sense to them to put him in this movie. And I think that either way. That's what they that's who they needed to put in this movie. That's what they felt they needed to do. And they did it. And they did it the, the easiest way for people to you know, again to get behind. And I understand. And again, I me personally, I would have been like the easiest way to be like, I, I genetically altered you and you're basically my blood. We're family. I'm the only family you have. To me, that's the easiest way to do it. And but you guys both didn't like it. I'm assuming most people would of the two of the two things would probably prefer the sun aspect. And I think with the sun aspect, they, again, they're just going to tell everyone we we cannot explain the sun in this movie. So we're just going to have to we're just going to have to you know say he had a son he didn't know about and he and he, and he was killed and we're going to have to let this, you know other people figure it out. And again, the brilliance in that is that now they Lucasfilm can really develop not just the sun but other aspects of the emperor's life and build up to the sun and have it give it more meaning instead of just having them write it on the spot and shove it into a movie and have it be haphazard. So I think, I think it's definitely a legitimate criticism you could say of that, but it's so out of this world weird to me that it works. 
and that I look forward to Lucasfilm developing it later on and developing the Emperor even more so now because of this history that he has. And I think that to me is what what ultimately wins me over on that reveal. And because ultimately it doesn't matter in the end anyway, right? As we'll get to eventually in 12 hours. But <laughs> my point, my point to me, is it makes it better. In, I'll say that. No, exactly. It, yeah, yeah. So I think that to me, it's a legitimate gripe. I, I totally understand, but I think there's br- the brilliance in it is that just like, just like I think George Lucas, who created the chosen one, we all didn't know what that was all about. We said our prophecy was a prophecy. He didn't go on and explain everything about it. Now, this is very different, but it's in the same vein, in my opinion. And I think that you could go deep into it, and I think they're going to have to. But yeah. at the same time, it's in, if you, does that make sense, Tim? Like, it, you're in. You don't have to hit everything, you know, explain everything in the movie. You just got to be like, this is it, and we'll get there eventually. And you have to take it at face value sometimes. It's a fine line you got to walk, I think, exactly, doing that yeah. movie where you don't want to not explain anything and just have it be, okay, you decide. It almost seems like lazy writing where you're just leaving everything open. So you got to have a little foundation there, which I think they did. And I'm, if, I agree for the most part with you, Paul. I am excited about the possibilities of what new stories it can create and just add more to Palpatine as a character. And I, I, again, it is a criticism that I can totally see what people having with it. But for me, to me, it did walk that fine line just enough for me as a fan where there's a little enough seeds planted to how it could happen and how it can make sense for me. And I just know it'll be explored fully later on and I'm okay with it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's already one of those things that really bugged me the first time I saw it. And I've, become more and more accepting of it over time and it's definitely easier to swallow because um because of the way it plays out and so it's almost like I don't like it but it's necessary for some good stuff in the story that comes later but and it's not even again my main issue with it isn't even like how it happens or the fact that it isn't explained like how Palpatine conceived a son or anything like that it's just like, I don't know, just the reveal, you know, hearing him say, Bray, you like, oh, I told you you were nobody, but now you're not nobody. You're the granddaughter of Palpatine. Like, it just kind of feels a little ridiculous. Um, But I don't know. Like I said, I'll, I'll see how my views change on that over time, if at all. Um, But... I mean, I we probably spent like a whole hour just on that scene. We still got a lot more stuff to get to. Oh yeah, um, hey, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, all yeah, the build up of finding deal. out who Ray is. This is yeah. it. We finally got the definitive answer. So yeah, <laughs> we've had to discuss it for this lengthy amount of time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then so you know from there, and he's telling her. Uh, you know, trying to get her to join him, and he's like, "Join me, and together we'll take down Palpatine, and we can rule together." Um. And I think he even tells her, he's like, Ray, you know what you have to do. And she's like, yeah, I do. And then the Falcon comes up with, you know, its engines facing the hangar and they kind of hit the engines and it blasts, uh, you know, exhaust or whatever into the hangar, knocks over all the stormtroopers and Ray jumps out into space and Finn takes her hand and they get on the Falcon and they get away. Remember when I first saw that image, I thought it was going to be related to Palpatine, like that force energy. Yeah. And like. It was related to Palpatine, but not in the way I was expecting. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The energy wasn't coming from Palpatine. No, he was, or the name Palpatine was heavily involved. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, of course, so after that is when Hux gets executed. Um, 
and then uh, I think Kylo has a conversation with Palpatine and he says, uh, you know, you let the girl get away and don't fail me and whatever. Um, and then next thing is our heroes off to, uh, I forget the name of the planet, but it's the one that's in the Endor system. Um, Kefbur. Yeah, Kefbur to find the, the wreckage of the Death Star. Which, by the way, while they're on the ship traveling, we haven't talked about Dio yet. Um. And I don't have a whole lot to say about Dio. I mean, he's kind of funny. I but have zero to say d- about Yeah, didn't <laughs> add a lot to the story at all. So No, he was pretty much worthless. Um, yeah, especially because he gives them a piece of information at the end. But then, like, I th- I feel like they already knew it or they find it out. Like, it's it's redundant. It's not like Dio gave them a crucial piece of information that only he had. Um, but anyway, so then they go to Kefber, uh crash land the falcon because apparently the first order like disabled the landing gear or something um which was a little i don't know out of left field i mean it feels like they put that in there just to give them an excuse to like have everybody stay behind and fix the falcon while ray left to go to the death star wreckage so it was another thing that just was kind of like oh whatever let's just throw this in here um but you know it wasn't like a huge thing that bothered me or took me out of the movie by any means um, but I like the introduction to Janna here, like we, the, the Falcon crash lands in the middle of this field and then um, they're walking up, they see the Death Star wreckage, but then um, Janna and all these guys come up riding on the uh, Orbax and um, at first you think they might be kind of hostile to them, um, but they become allies, they offer to help fix the Falcon and uh, you got the cool scene where Finn and Janna are sitting in there, like, fixing the Falcon together, and you realize that she's a stormtrooper also. Um, he She gives him a part to to fix the Falcon, and he goes, oh, this is a First Order part. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's from a stripped cruiser that crash-landed here, and it's the one that all of us were assigned to, and then we, uh, you, you know, we defected from the First Order. We took our transport, and then we brought it here and stripped it for parts and whatever. Um, and again, giving more backstory on like the first order, talking about them abducting kids and how they program them all to be stormtroopers. Um, but I also like that. I think this is maybe the first time that they really start kind of hinting at Finn's force sensitivity here because he's talking to Janna about how he defected from the first order. Um, and she says, you know, oh, we were at the battle of something island or whatever, and they ordered us to kill civilians, and we just couldn't do it, and we laid our blasters down and left. And he, uh, she's like, I can't explain why. We just, you know, knew what to do. And he's like, yeah, you can't explain it. It's like an instinct or a feeling. Um, and he pins it, he, he basically explains it as the Force, and he says, it was the Force that told me to do that. It was the Force that brought me here and brought me together with Ray and everything. Um and then you see that expanded on even further later on. Um, and I like them going this route with Finn. I mean, a lot of us had maybe speculated about that in The Force Awakens, just the fact that he can use a lightsaber, which I also thought that movie explained well enough with the fact that stormtroopers are trained in melee combat. So I didn't think they had to add this, but I also, I just really like it. Um, I like Finn as a character. I like what he got to do in this movie and um, opening uh, opening him up to that, for sensitivity. Now, I don't know if they were to continue the story and make an episode 10 or something, if we would see Ray training him as a Jedi, or if he's more like a Chirrut type character where he just believes in the force and maybe to, has some innate level of, of force sensitivity. Um, 
but, you know, isn't powerful enough to be a Jedi or something like that. But I really like them adding that layer to his character. Although I did kind of, I feel like it was a little unclear when he's talking about, um, just the instinct, how he knew to lay down his blaster and not kill people and walk away from the first order, that that was the force and how Jana was just describing how her and all the other troopers did that. So I'm like, so are they all force sensitive or is this trying to still include Ryan Johnson's idea of like normal people just being able to use the force or at least feel the force like, um, and sort of including keeping the normal people included in it, even though we're making Ray a Palpatine. You had to bring up Broom Boy and all that stuff. Yeah. I didn't say <laughs> Broom Boy. You didn't, but you insinuated it. I'm like, anyone? Well, you know what? I I, I like bro- I like Broom Boy. Come at me. Um, Are you serious? Yeah, I love that ending. I I said that on our last Jedi commentary. because again i don't feel like it's necessarily saying everybody can use the force i like that that's basically saying like no hold on let me do some exercise real fast we'll use the force hold on a second do our force it's showing that the it's showing that the kid is force sensitive i know they're being force sensitive kids around the galaxy is nothing new i know i'm just being difficult to be a jerk i'm sorry <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I think that really quickly, and I know I've talked a lot this last little bit, but really quickly about Finn, I don't think he's like a chariot. I think he's legitimately force sensitive because I think, he, again, I was watching the Force Awakens while we're doing our commentary, and I just watching Finn interact in the scenes that he he picks up the lightsaber. He's very natural with the lightsaber, even though I know they they have melee combat and that's how they. That's whatever. But he was able to go toe to toe against Kylo Ren and hell his own for a minute. Like, I mean, that's you can't just do that as a regular stormtrooper. You have to have some kind of force sensitivity, I think, in my opinion. And I think that, again, because remember, it's it, it's not just a melee weapon you, you can be good at. You take you have to have a connection with the force, the, the kyber crystal and everything. Uh-huh. It's, there's there's a legitimate like thing. You kind of they're kind of one, even though I, maybe I'm I'm misreading what people have said. But I kind of look to it as like the kyber crystal is kind of works hand in hand with the Jedi, and it kind of maybe helps you or a little more you handle it easier because maybe that's my own head canning. But that's how, how I kind of interpret it as because anyone could use a lightsaber, yeah, but you could be good with a lightsaber, but. To be really good with lightsaber, you got to be a Jedi or have be force sensitive or whatever. So, to me, and plus, there's and there's they they definitely have hint at different things in the in the in the movie here where he can read people like oh I, I sense them on this thing or whatever. Kind of, excuse me, kind of like Leia in Empire Strikes Back. You know, like he's like oh I I sense, uh you know there's the things over here I I can just tell and Leia can like tell Luke is you know and you know somewhere and she can she can sense things and whatnot. So. I think that there's, I mean, two very different examples, but you get what I'm trying to say. There's, I think there's an established idea that I think Finn is, and I think that's what he's trying to tell Ray is, you know, Ray, I, I can tell because even he he knows something's wrong with Ray, and he understands there's something. He 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 knows there's something wrong, but he can't really tell what it is, and that's why he's like, Ray, tell me, because he it's not just because like I know something's wrong, Ray. Why don't you tell me about it? Like, no, no, no. He can feel it from her. Like mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. is a connection there, and that's what at least I read into it. No, yeah, I totally agree. But at the same time, I remember just talking in our, our Force Awakens commentary how I liked the idea that Finn wasn't Force-sensitive, but yet 
he could still hold his own with a lightsaber. And I still like that idea more, but it does make sense that he would be force sensitive for what has transpired and especially in the force awakens. And they're just kind of expanding on that idea more. So, um, I don't hate that they're doing this way, but I just did like it a little better where Finn was that character who could use a lightsaber, go toe to toe with Kylo Ren because Kylo Ren was injured more than anything um, in that fight with him. As far as I think why he was able to go toe to toe with him. Oh, but yeah, if you want to make that force connection that Finn has now, I mean, I'm okay with it. I did prefer the other way a little better. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I I was fine with it in The Force Awakens, but just adding this element to it, I I like that even more. Um, but um, yeah, and oh, you know what? <laughs> this is a weird time to bring this up, but as you guys are talking, I had uh, a track from the soundtrack stuck in my head, um, and so might as well throw this in here because it's not like a part, a specific part of the plot. I love the soundtrack to this movie. Um, John Williams finished off the Skywalker saga with some of his best work. I think, um, this is definitely my favorite soundtrack of the Skywalker saga or of the, the sequel trilogy. Um, so yeah, I don't know what you guys think of the soundtrack. Um, when I saw the movie, nothing stood out to me too much besides, you know, all the classic themes that we've heard before, but not really none of the new stuff. But once I actually got the soundtrack and listened to it. Um, there are some great themes on there. Um, the main Rise of Skywalker theme is great, and mm-hmm. I believe it's called like the Evil theme, or oh, it's like anthem, anthem of Evil. Yeah, so yeah, that one's really good. Um, I still will say that I think the Force Awakens soundtrack is my favorite from the sequel trilogy, just because of the new themes we got in there, like Ray's theme, the Jedi steps, the Resistance theme, Kylo's theme, and the uh, Torn Apart. Those are some of my favorites from uh, the sequel trilogy. So. It's I wouldn't call it my favorite, but definitely listening to it just on its own. I got to appreciate that, you know, again, <laughs> shocker. But John Williams does another great job conducting it or composing a new Star Wars score. Mm-hmm. I personally here's the thing. I think it's the best original music since the the whole trilogy besides Ray's theme. I, I don't think the, I think Rise of Resistance is overrated. Or that rise of resistance, whatever that theme for resistance is, I'm not really. I think it's pretty whatever. Um, but I think race theme is is by far one of the best maybe themes of the of Star Wars potentially. It's but besides there. that, yeah, it's up there. Um, besides that, I think this might be my favorite. And I remember a friend of mine was telling me why it's all you know. This is my favorite is why it's all rehash music from before. I'm like. No, there's a lot of new music that I've heard. In, I've heard in this that was blended with original music. And I mm-hmm. felt like they were kind of it, it did a great job of intertwining them instead of just having a, a medley of like multiple things. It would have new music and then go to like a, a familiar theme and go into something more original. And it wasn't all like 100 percent memorable, but it just felt I just I, but I heard new sounds and I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds good. Whereas I didn't really feel that way in Last Jedi and The Force Awakens, and I really liked the music when um well get, I don't want to get that far, but when Ray and Ben are kind of at the very end of the, of the movie before that whole thing happens and and whatever um when they have that moment, um the music was really sweet and like was really like did a great job of building. I'm like oh my gosh, like it was telling me what was gonna happen. I'm like oh my lord, mm-hmm. and again that was the music is what led that up to it. And I, I said, wow. And that made me think like this is the first time besides, you know, Ray's theme, which is phenomenal. Um, 
like the music, it actually is like, it's very subtle, but it's also a great job of getting a different, you know, it wasn't just a, here's someone's theme kind of a yeah. thing. It was more of a natural soundtrack. Exactly. I love the subtlety to it. And I love the new, there's a track called the rise of Skywalker. That is a, it's a very like hopeful, uplifting piece. Yeah. And I think in the movie, it's kind of used as like sort of the, like the main trios theme. It's like the sort of the Ray Finn and Poe adventure theme. Um, and it's a very, it's so classic John Williams. I keep humming that theme in my head and like five minutes later without realizing it, I'm humming Indiana Jones as if it like just naturally <laughs> transitions into that. Um, and it's just a beautiful piece. But yeah, the rest of it, it doesn't really have any like recognize, like immediately recognizable new themes for like new characters or planets or anything like that. But it just fits the movie really well. And like you were saying, Paul, like they do a good job here. He does a good job of mixing in some of those recognizable themes. Like you definitely hear the Emperor's theme and the Imperial March and stuff like that. But every scene with Palpatine in it doesn't just have Palpatine's theme playing under it the whole time. Like there's some other uh music and sounds and stuff that go along with that and then he just drops that in at certain points for uh for emphasis um so yeah i i love it i think it's great um but then yeah going back to the stuff on uh kefber so when they get there you know ray pulls the dagger out she sees exactly where the the thing is pointing to and it's pointing right at the the tower where the emperor's throne room was. Um, but then the waves are all choppy. And so, you know, Jana says like, Oh, I can take you out there on the skimmer, but you know, we'll go first thing tomorrow. And they go back to fix the Falcon. And then at some point somebody's like, Hey, where's Ray? And they realize that she took off without the rest of them and left to go over there. So she's on the skimmer. She's going over the big choppy waves and she gets into the death star wreckage and she climbs up and gets into, uh, you know, Palpatine's throne room. Um, which, you know, of course, was just cool to see on a visual level, the old wreckage of that. Um, and then she goes in. There's like this little side chamber. She opens it up and goes in there. And it's like this little hall of mirrors kind of look in place. But the Wayfinder is floating right there. And this is where she sees the the dark vision of Rey. Um, and has a quick little lightsaber duel with herself. Um, and of course, you know, so it's like a, a Dagobah cave thing all over again. And then r the dark ray just kind of hisses at her with sharp teeth and Ray recoils backwards and falls out of the door and she's back standing there. Um, now <sighs> this part, I also start to have some issues with, um, just because there's some things that I think they were trying to do that I think needed to be explained better. And again, going back to your issues with that scene in The Last Jedi, Paul, I feel like there's some things that, like, as I've talked about this scene and thought about it, I'm like, oh, you know what? I think they maybe were trying to do this, but if that's the case, it shouldn't have been subjective. Like, they needed to explain it better. Um, because Ray at this point, still doesn't really, at least to me, seem like she's being tempted by the dark side. I mean, now I know that finding out that you're the granddaughter of Emperor Pal of Emperor Palpatine would make anybody like struggle with their identity and maybe think some dark thoughts or something. But there's no pull to the dark side there for me. There's nothing like, you know, Anakin's need to save Padme that would convince me that Rey would actually go over to the dark side. So after she just goes in this room and sees the dark vision of herself and then gets the artifact out and she comes out and Kylo Ren is standing there. And uh, he's like, 
look at you. You can't go back to Leia now, just like I can't. And it's like, so she's evil now or she's been corrupted somehow just because she's got this wayfinder or because she saw a dark vision of herself like it didn't really ring true for me and then of course they have the lightsaber fight right after that and after a couple times of of seeing it I realized like Rey is on the attack the whole time especially because when she falls out of the um when she falls out of the the chamber um, she drops the Wayfinder and Kylo picks it up and then he crushes it because he's got the other one. And he says, the only way you're getting to Exegol is with me because he still is on the whole thing of just wanting Ray to join him. So he he destroys it. And obviously that makes Ray angry. Um, and so when they start the lightsaber fight, she's the one attacking him. And as I thought about it, I'm like, I think they're really trying to make us think here that Ray is like struggling and being tempted by the dark side this whole time. But I'm not really seeing it until I sit down and think like, oh, well, why would they do that? Oh, I think maybe they were supposed to be making us think that like, but it really doesn't come across, especially the first time I watched it. It it felt like something was missing there. But what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I didn't necessarily think she was being tempted by the dark side. It's just that potential of knowing where she comes from, that that could be her future. And plus she had that vision early on where she saw herself sitting on the Sith throne with Kylo Ren. I think that's in the back of her mind too. And then just getting that short little vision of dark Ray and having that little skirmish of the lightsaber, which was pretty cool of seeing her use the double blade of lightsaber, but it was short, but it was a short, but sweet fight. Um, but I just think it's not because she's being tempted by the dark side per se, but just knowing that, that outcome could be there because she is related to Palpatine. And I think when Kylo Ren says you can't go back to Leia is because I think in Kylo's mind, he's trying to convince her that, Oh, Mm -hmm. because you know, she knows you. If she finds out you're a Palpatine, she's not going to accept you back. She's not going to train you. I think he just, that's kind of his way to manipulate her and try to get her to join with him. Um, Even though that isn't the case, obviously once we find out later when how Leia realizes that that's how she'd always been. But so, that really wasn't an issue for me at all as far as they're trying to make it like she's going to the dark side. I just really think she's just in a rough state of mind right there for good reason. Yeah. And just going all out against Kyle. She's just frustrated and just taking that frustration out on him in that lightsaber battle, which was great. I love this. was one of the big highlights of the movie for me. Just seeing them go at it and using the force in this battle was awesome. Using the force to stop their lightsaber attacks, the jumps that they would make to go over the waves. It was just really cool. And I just, I said this even in the trailer. I just loved the t- determination that Ray had in her facial expressions in those trailers. And it's on display even more so in the actual fight of just, and having that context of why she's feeling that way. It just really made this lightsaber fight have a lot of weight to it. And geez, I'm sure we'll go into it <laughs> pretty soon, but how this lightsaber fight ends and what it leads to was some pretty big stuff. So, but just overall, I never got the impression that they were trying to make you believe that she was being tempted by the dark side. She was just in a rough state right there mentally and just venting kind of her frustration for everything that's going on here because it's being brought on by Kylo trying to get her to come with him and making it as difficult as possible for her to complete her mission when he destroyed that wayfinder. So that's what I took out of it more than anything as far as trying to show that maybe she might go to the dark side. It's just something that is possible because of what we now know where she comes from in her family. I think that that whole scene, and again, this is where I think the movie really takes a great turn and not, I don't want to say turn necessarily, but once, once it's revealed to Ray 
again, this is the differences between Luke and Ray is that once it's revealed to Ray that she's a Palpatine and that her father or her parents were destroyed basically by her grand, her evil grandfather, who's essentially the Hitler of the universe and, you know, destroyed her family. They tried to protect her and pretty much destroyed any chance she could have of having a family and not having that growing up. She starts turning to the dark side. She basically starts getting, she's so angry. She's, and she said, and that her whole thing is, I'm going to get this wayfinder and I'm going to get him and I'm going to destroy Palpatine. And she says that to Finn. And so when she gets to Kifber, um, you know, Endor light. And uh, so um, basically, you know I'm sorry, Paul, real quick. That's a good yeah. point that I forgot about that. She said where she's going to destroy him. Mm-hmm. That is yeah, a pretty Finn's big thing like, about hey, That's her. not you. Yeah. Exactly. So it kind of takes back a little bit of what I said. So there might be a little more indications of, you know, possibly going more to that way of, you know, hate and revenge that leads to the dark side. So well, and I, 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 I think about there's something afterwards that really leads to that. But I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But Paul, go ahead. I, I'll, I'll be. It, yeah, it's really, really fast. Um, I think the whole thing with Kif Burr is that when they go to. When she go and you know she doesn't even wait. They're like, you know, let's wait till this, you know, whatever. And she's like, uh, uh-uh, I ain't going. And because she's like, you know, a powerful, you know, basically Jedi. Excuse me. She uh she can basically get over there way better than anyone, and she doesn't care. She's like, I'm just gonna do it, you know, and she's and she's doing it, and she's got to get there and get this thing, and she's got to find Palpatine and destroy him because whatever. And then when she goes into that thing to pick up the the dark side uh, relic. She obviously the dark side, you know, is corrupting the area. And I think, again, that Pathfinder thing or the whatever that dagger thing is, I think there is there is something you could say that when you point the thing, the red dot will line up with whatever it corrupts around it. I, I honestly think that's a part of it. Like, I don't think it's a it's an exact thing. I think you use that to kind of see, like, where is the corrupt at? Like that red point points to the corruption and there's a different tint to that whole part of the Death Star because of that, I think the dark side energy, if you will, again, this is my own head canon, so that justify these things. Um, so, but it would make sense too, because if she walks into this thing and then all of a sudden she's got um, a force vision of herself that's like evil and it like turns into Gollum halfway through, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. It, it it's showing her what I think it, the, what it's what it's basically showing is that what she'll what she'll become, but what or uh, but basically what she is at that moment in full darkness. Like if that was if that's what she was at full darkness, or um, does that make sense? Like if this was if she was at full darkness, this is what she would be at at this moment. And she kind of was like, whoa, wait a second here. And I think that was kind of like a revealing thing. Like she's just kind of like. What was that? And it was kind of the, the Sith was telling her, like, this is the power you will have if you do that. Like, you see how yeah. powerful she was. She I mean, I, I still out. think it's similar to, like, the Dagobah cave with Luke seeing himself inside Vader. You know, like, is. this is what you have the potential to become if you go down the wrong path. No, Yeah, exactly. That, I think it definitely is that. But I also think that it's it's not really the same kind of cave idea where – or actually, you know what? I take it back. I think it is. I think it is like that because you know what? I talked about a Sith shrine and the dark side corrupting the physical realm around it, and that would make sense because the the relic is that's dark side energy. And then when she walked in, it was corrupted. You know, and the, it got a force vision, just like Yoda and Dagobah on the in the Clone Wars and Luke in the Dagobah cave. And now we know Ben in the, the comic book of Dagobah, Dagobah, the 
Dago Bakave and the comic books uh, and everything. So, um, so yeah, so I think that whole scene makes sense, and it's just, but it's also adding her her anger. The difference between Luke and her going facing their dark side, the dark side caves, if you will, is that Luke kind of saw the light a little bit, or kind of came out of it a little bit of like, what was that? And she just is feeding her anger, and then it's, it's amplified because of Kylo Ren showing up and basically telling her like, yeah. no, you've got. He's egging her on because mm-hmm. he has to bring her in. That's what his whole his because at this point Kylo Ren's like I'm gonna bring Ray in and we're gonna rule the galaxy together, you know as as to you know we're gonna be we're the dyad. He knows together they can destroy the Emperor. And again, maybe that's why Darth Vader needed Luke to destroy the Emperor because he needed to have that dyad. Maybe he thought that they were the dyad. Maybe they can retcon that into the into the canon somewhere. <laughs> nah, I think I'm that's a new dyad. thing. I like know, it's not I like know, oh, we've I always know. needed a dyad to defeat a Sith Lord. I know, I know, I know. I just I just got to say that. So, but my point is, I think he he knows how powerful the dyad of, the, of their their connection is, and that that they he needs that in order also to not only because he I think he cares about Ray. But I think in, in, from a, you know, relationship standpoint, I think at this point we, we get that now. Raylo is real. Um, but I think that he also needs her to overcome the emperor. And he knows that he needs her on her on his side also to be his equal. So he, she doesn't ever oppose him. So uh, there's a lot going on there, I think. And I think all those things are factoring into him basically egging her on because that's what i get out of that every time i've seen it now or mm. the two times i've seen after the first time is that it's kylo ren he's egging her on he's yeah he's causing her to lose her mind like he did with with her using the dark side that one time with the with the, the electricity coming out oh yeah 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 well yeah and he even tells her that like i was testing you because i needed Either like I forget he says I needed to see your power or I needed you to see it for yourself or something to like see your potential. Um and then we you know, like you talked about Tim, we get the lightsaber duel, um, which is awesome visually. I mean, seeing them you know, just fighting with the waves crashing around them and we even see them use some cool new force powers in the I mean, I guess they're not really new force powers, but we haven't seen them used this way in a duel before where they're like using the force to stop each other's blades and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, that was pretty dang cool. Now, where I have a problem with the lightsaber duel is with the way uh, I mean, the fight itself is great, the choreography and everything. Um, but then the way that it all wraps up and the way that they pull Leia into it and the way it's just obviously so first of all we cut back to the resistance base while they're fighting and leia suddenly like senses that they're fighting and just kind of drops everything and go wa- goes and walks off on her own and you have maz Kanata step in and be like oh leia realizes that the only way to reach her son now is going to take all the strength that she has left or something which and as i said earlier I don't want to really criticize too much anything that they did involving Leia in this movie because I know what limited amount they had to work with, and I think they really did a good job with what they had available, with her character specifically. And as she's walking off, I go, oh, okay, this is how they're going to, you know, have uh, Leia's character end, essentially, is she's going to do the same thing Luke did and project herself and, uh, you know, apparently because she's more powerful in the force than we realize and she's been training Ray and stuff. So now she's going to do the same thing Luke did and she's going to reach out to Ben and then uh, that's going to exhaust all her strength and she's going to die. 
And that's exactly what happens, except she doesn't even, like, appear to him physically. She just says his name, which, by the way, you know, then uh, Ray and Kylo are fighting. And, like I said, Ray, for the most part, has been the one that's attacking him out of anger. And, and she's been the aggressor for most of the fight. But then it, you see that she's kind of getting worn down. She's getting tired. And then Kylo just starts beating her down. And he's got her on her knees, disarmed. He's got his saber up like he's about to kill her, which I'm like... Hold on, I thought his whole deal was he wanted her to join him, so why is he now about to to take her out? That goes against everything that he wanted. And then he hears Leia say his name, he turns around, he drops the lightsaber, Ray picks it up, she stabs him, and then Leia dies, and then Ray like senses that Leia dies and suddenly feels bad about killing Kylo, and so then she reaches down and heals him. And then she jumps in his ship and takes off. And it just left me going, what the heck just happened? It was so much crammed in so fast. And it, I, I kind of like what they were going with. And I do like, I think that was a fitting send off for Leia to use the last of her strength to reach out to Ben. But then the way that that wrapped up or tied into, you know, his reaction to that and Ray's reaction to that and everything else that was going on with the lightsaber duel, to me, it just felt sloppy and didn't work. And this is essentially the moment where Kylo Ren turns back to the light side and we get Ben Solo back. And I love that. This whole time, I thought it would be really interesting to see him turn back to the light side, especially I'm glad that we got, that we turn, see him turn back to the light side and then actually get to fight alongside Ray. As a Jedi, I didn't want him to, like, turn to the light side at the last moment and make one final act and sacrifice himself to save her. And then it's like, oh, he's good now, but he dies. Um, I'm glad that he makes that choice and he turns back to the light side and we actually get to see light side Ben Solo for a brief period of time. But the way that it got from point A to point B is there's just a disconnect there for me because I know that he's always had conflicting thoughts and that he's always felt that pull to the light side. But this whole movie, he's been talking about, I'm going to turn Ray to the dark side. So he's still on the dark side. He has feelings for Ray and he's probably still feeling conflicted, but he says, I'm going to turn her to the dark side. He's not. And even though he, you know, he's not subservient to Palpatine, he's got his own ambitions for, for taking out Palpatine. But he's like, Ray, you're going to turn to the dark side and you're going to join me and we're going to fight the emperor. And then somehow, Hearing Leia say his name and then getting stabbed and then getting healed turns him to the light side. Like, am I missing something there? Tim, I got a lot to say about this. So if you have anything now, sit forever hold your peace. <laughs> well, <coughs> let's give me a little choke on my popcorn that I'm eating right now. <laughs> I do agree when it first happened. I had the same reaction as far as Leia's involvement. Like, what exactly did she do it exactly? Because to me, it just had to be something more significant than just her saying his name. And that's kind of what got him back to old Ben Solo. And I can't try to remember how you were saying where he hesitated to kill Ray. And I think that was before Leia actually spoke to him. Like, he was going to, he like raised his arm up with the saber to give that final blow. But I think he caught himself beforehand knowing because he didn't want to kill her. And, but then after that is when. No, I don't think so. Voice. I think Am he's, I remembering that wrong? I think he's got the saber raised up. I mean, he pauses, but it's like, 
it's not a pause like, oh, wait, I'm having second thoughts. It's like just he's got the saber raised and it's just like a dramatic like I'm about to kill you. And then he pauses. And I mean, it's before he hears her say his name, but I think it's like he senses her presence. Like he stops and like starts turning around as if she's there before he actually hears her say the word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's like sure it's exactly it's Leia things. reaching out that makes him pause. Yeah. Okay. But to be fair, just because he's lifting up, could what maybe he would have done not a fatal blow, but something just to you know incapacitate her, do some damage, obviously, but not necessarily kill her. But and plus, in the heat of the battle, you know, you sometimes maybe go a little too far with what you were planning to do. But um, yeah, I just think I just not sure entirely what. Leia did exactly. Is there more than her just reaching out to Ben and him feeling in the force that she died in her and when she died, that's kind of what makes him go back to Ben Solo. I just think there's more to that, but I'm just not sure exactly what it is. It, did she somehow, you know, make a special connection with Ben that because there's something that happens later on at the ending where I think that could lead you to believe that she did something to connect herself with Ben Solo in that moment and that's what took all her energy and they are connected in a way we just I'm just not exactly sure what that connection is did she give some of her life force to him or did she just did she even though she died in that moment because her body doesn't fade away and we'll save that for later so there's just something about what she did in that moment that I'm not exactly entirely sure or clear on what it was in order to get Ben to or Kylo Ren to snap out of it, get back into Ben Solo. And to be fair, he didn't fully go back to Ben Solo just yet. That's what happens afterwards and who he talks to later. But right. I, to be honest, I really liked how this sequence played out, though. I just I wish it was a little more clear for what Leia did. But I did like how it was that moment where he hesitated. He did feel Leia's passing that did stop him because we know even from The Last Jedi as much as he says he hated Han Solo, he didn't necessarily feel that way about Leia and wouldn't even pull the trigger to destroy the Radish ship mm-hmm. when she was on the bridge. So there's that connection or that feeling that he still has for her that he doesn't necessarily hate her like he did Han Solo. So I did like how that scene played out and how it ended, though, where Ray took advantage and just took his lightsaber and just stabbed him with it. And I did buy into the, the where just the death of Leia, it is such a big deals for Ray in that moment too, because she spent the last year training with her and to have that affect her where, you know, not only did she just feel the death of Leia, but now she's responsible for the death of her son too. To me, that could, I could totally see why she would go back a little and do what she did to heal him just to, you know, make sure that the death of the Skywalker and the solo line just all doesn't end right there. I mean, that would be another big traumatic thing for her to experience. And so, yeah, the only thing issue I really have with it is just not being 100% clear as far as what Leia did in order to reach out to Ben in that moment. But as far as uh, what Ray's reaction was and how she stabbed Kyle and then ended up healing him, I did buy it to the reasons why she did it, or I could see the reasons why she did it and then left left there because she just went through a whole lot and... I did like her because that's where she said too, where I would have taken Ben's hand. Right. Because mm-hmm. I think that played a role too in getting Kylo Ren to go back into Ben Solo as well. As far as 
getting that idea in his head. And then, of course, what transpires afterwards with what Ben does. So I did like how it all played out in, in the end to, I guess, say it without fully explaining the reasons why that I wish it could have been perfect just if I knew more of what Leia's role was there. But overall, I really liked how that sequence played out. And again, it just added a lot of weight to that lightsaber fight for me and just ending it in the way that it did with that big moment of the passing of Princess Leia, just the effect it had on her son and uh, her student for the last year. So I thought it would played out uh, nicely, in my opinion. Yeah, well, and Paul, if I could just add one more thing that Absolutely. I wanted to add on to the what I was talking about earlier with ray dabbling in the dark side and i wish that they had played that up more and made you really feel like oh shoot she's gone over to the dark side in this fight because at first i was really confused i was like kylo ren's about to kill her and then he stops and so she just takes advantage of the moment to grab his lightsaber and stab him instead it almost seemed like in self-defense and then she senses leia dying and somehow feels really bad about killing her enemy like i get that it was her son but I was like, why would that suddenly change her mind on killing Kylo Ren? Like, that it didn't click for me at first. And then I realized, oh, well, I guess if she was giving into the dark side and was really, you know, had kind of lost it and, and lost control and was, you know, almost like in a trance this whole fight and then stabbed kylo and that was like the climax of it and then she sensed leia dying and that was what made her snap out of it and go oh my gosh what have i done like i didn't actually want to kill him that i'm okay with but i think that needed to be communicated more clearly you know like because again she doesn't really seem like you know just from having that vision and then and then the fight with kylo it doesn't seem like she's giving into the dark side um, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I think that's what they were going for. And I think that's the only way that that makes sense that she stabs him and then senses Leia dying and then feels bad about stabbing him. I think it's because she was just caught up in the heat of the moment and, you know, again, was just giving into that anger and then Leia's death made her s snap out of it. And so it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I suddenly feel bad for Kylo Ren, but it was, oh, I acted out of anger and rage and suddenly realize you know i've kind of come back to my senses and realize like that's not what leia would have wanted me to do okay now i think this is one of those things where again not ex over explaining everything to the audience and having a little bit of the mythology if you will the mysticism of the force and things like that plays to our advantage because it goes back i go back to the original trilogy how's obi-wan a force ghost why isn't everyone a force ghost why is it you know why does obi-wan say i'll become more powerful than you ever imagined and all of a sudden he just winds up as a you know as a uh, he was first a a, uh, a a voice spirit and then he became showed up as a blue ghost how's that work i mean there's no explanation for a lot of these things and we just have to take it at face value a lot of times right i mean again this is a little more complicated i'll give you that but this is where, again, I think the subtlety of the writing by Chris Terrio and JJ is not getting enough credit that it deserves. And I'm not going to take full credit for this explanation. And I'm going to find her name because she was on a pod. She was on the Underworld podcast and uh, she had a kind of a theory about this whole scene. And it's on my Twitter at Herman 22 two ends. And I I said it was brilliant. 
she basically she basically breaks down this whole thing, and I think it's beautiful. So what happens is Ray and, and Kylo Ren are fighting, right? And and Kylo Ren basically is beating the crap out of Ray, and she is physically exhausted. She cannot overcome physically Kylo Ren. They are equals in the Force, but he is just a bigger person. She's smaller, and so the physical side of that is was going to outweigh. Because at that, because now she is he physically out, kind of outdoing her at that point. She's emotionally and phys- physically exhausted. She is like just kind of put all her energy out, trying to get to the Death Star and all that stuff. And and Ben just kind of shows up, and so she's kind of just worn out at this point, and he's just wearing her out, and she can't you know do it anymore. So I think Leia knows that. The future is so she's she can sense that the, the end is coming. And so she knows that something's going to happen. And, and and so she basically instead of, you know, basically of, of Ren bringing Ray to to Sheev or whatever, he she says Ben and he kind of gets distracted. And then obviously we have, uh, you know, Ray, you know, puts takes the lightsaber and shoves it in his stomach. And then he's out for the count. And then that's when, you know, Leia's, you know, basically kind of dying too. And they, or she dies at that moment as well. Right. And then we realize they put the blanket over her or whatever. And, and, and Ben's dying and we know Ray's like, what are we going to do? And basically I think, you know, she stops Ray or Ren from doing all that by just using all the force energy she can to communicate to Ben, say Ben once. So she sacrifices herself for Ben and for Ray at that moment. She knows she senses what's happening and she knows, and she cares about both of them, right? Cause she's a master of Ray and she was the, the mother of, of Kylo, which again, that's kind of a weird thing. Again, the force dyad, right? Cause the mother of Kylo Ren, anyway. Um, and then that's also, Funny enough, it's ironically, it's also Palpatine's training basically Kylo Ren in leading him, which is like, oh my gosh, it's kind of blowing my mind right now. Um, <laughs> how the connections of all those things are, it's really weird. Um, so what's interesting here is that because Leia essentially sacrifices herself for Ben and Ray at that moment to basically kind of stop what's going on, Ray then through the force, really, you know, in her anger kills you know hits ren and she's like holy crap i just did something really awful and then she's like what am i gonna do and he's like he's dying i think when she did that when she she used all her force energy to sacrifice herself she took the rest of her energy over to ben and to ray so when she saved when she heals ben she not just heals ben that wound she heals him completely because you notice what goes away when she heals him not just his wound, his face wound heals mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I didn't notice that right away. But yeah, yeah I didn't it, either. Yeah, someone also mentioned like they were making fun of it at first, saying like, "Oh yeah, they get they, they screw up the scar and everything." And I went, "What? That's weird." And then later on, I was like, "No, no, wait. The scar was the scar was healed." So when she, my friend was like, "No, no. When she healed him, she healed the scar." I went, "Wait a minute." So this 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 girl on this podcast was basically saying that Leia sacrificed herself. That basically for Ray and Kylo Ren at that moment and the life essence basically that she gives herself to Ray and to Kylo Ren at that moment, they don't know it, but she sacrificed herself and is transferring herself to that moment because 
she heals everything. And I don't think even Ray realized what she did. So when she heals everything, I think the darkness inside of him that was being corrupted was also clean in some way. Like it wiped all of that away. So it was almost like he had a fresh perspective and all of that was right there. And she, and he was like, wait a minute. Like, cause if you think about it, if you go back to the last Jedi, again, that connection between him and his mother, he wasn't able to kill his mother. Right. See, I don't like so, that though. If the idea is that Leia sacrificed herself and her life essence somehow cleansed him because that means he didn't choose to turn back to the light side. Well, I, and, and that, and maybe that you could play on that a little bit, but either way she like, she helped give him more healing than he was in than she, even Ray was anticipating because I think that if it wasn't for Leia putting her life essence in Ray or excuse me in, in Ren or whatever, I don't think he he survives. Does that make sense? Like, I don't think she has enough life energy to survive for both of them if she doesn't if if Leia doesn't do that. So well, basically see, that could make sense because another big problem that I it's not a huge problem, but it is kind of a plot hole that I have with this scene is when we see Ray heal the snake earlier, it's basically it's got a boo boo like it's got a right. scratch or something, right? And she, I mean, it, it looks like a, a fairly deep wound, but it's, you know, a, a slash or a bite from like another animal or something. And she heals no, it yeah, and, and she exactly. heals it and her hand like hurts a little bit. This, she inflicts what looks like a mortal wound on Kylo Ren. And then she completely heals not only that, but his scar with no repercussions on herself that we can see. And then we see this power used again later at the end of the movie. And you see, once again, it drains the life of the person using it. But in this moment, it's like they conveniently forgot about that. And maybe it's because Leia transferred life to her somehow, but they did not explain but that whole, at all. No, no, no. They, but no, here's what and this is where you're wrong, because I think they do. Because what what happens then? She He gets healed completely physically. Right. And she's like, I would have taken I would have taken Ben's hand. And I think he re like, again, I think he's got a clarity moment because of that, because he was, again, he's, we see every wound on him healed at that moment. So he has a moment of clarity and then he has that moment where he connects with his father again. And again, I'm not sure where that's coming from. I think that's from Ben. I think he got a moment of clarity and he, he, he realizes at that moment that he was, Ray was going to sacrifice herself for him. And that's something that he hasn't experienced yet. And he, maybe he's realizing that through his mother that sacrificed herself, he's like, Oh man. And again, it's not overly telling you that, but later on, what happens with Ben when he dies, when he, when he, that's the big thing. Yeah. See exactly. Once he disappears, who disappears right after him? Leia. Yeah, so they're connected in some way when exactly. she did what she did. We just but don't know exactly what to, that connection is, though. They no, need, yeah, they need to explain no, that. Like, and Yes, they do. And again, Paul, this is where Anakin, I feel Anakin, the same way that... Anakin's Force Ghost to be explained in Return of the Jedi? That's completely different. No, it's not. It's the same mm. thing. You don't have to over-explain. Again, not if you don't count the prequels, if you're just counting Return of the Jedi in 1983, if you just see this old guy show up who has you have no idea why does he show up? Why does he get to because show up we already him? know well, that Jedi become one with the Force when they die? We've yeah, already seen the Force ghosts of Obi Wan and Yoda. That, yeah, you yeah make, be, that's why you can make the assumption that any Jedi could do that. And, yeah, and there's I'm just saying, they, there's no explanation of that. You can make I'm making the but we have previous context for it. 
We have but no you have previous a, context for whatever do, it is that Leia have, does here. As soon as because because Leia doesn't disappear, and you figure that she's just passed away at that point. You you take again. You again. It's multiple viewings, and it's a subtle thing. And this is why I like it because it, you have to really think about it. Because Leia is just sitting there. Because I I was a little surprised. I'm like, oh, she didn't disappear. Okay. So when Ben disappeared, I went, that's weird. And then when Leia disappeared, I went, wait a minute. There's again, it's it's again building the mythology of there's a connection. It doesn't have to overly tell you things. It kind of to kind of play around with it a little bit. And again, I like that. That harkens back to the original Star. Again, going back to Darth Plagueis, right? The 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 infamous Darth Plagueis the Wise. What does Emperor Palpatine do? He tells Anakin the tale of Darth Plagueis the Wise, midi chlorians. Does he overly tell us that Darth Plagueis created Anakin? Does he, does, does he tell well, no because about, he didn't. No. Well, we don't know that, but it insinuates that. Mm, I disagree. I don't think the movie oh, insinuates oh, oh, that. All right. Tim, help me out here. You got it. Come on. I never actually took that. as. Yeah, he's he's, the whole point of him telling him that story is to tempt him with the ability to save Padme's life. It's not about Anakin's creation. I I, that is so funny because I never I only took it as the creation of Anakin. He's yeah, I never took it that way. No, I've always gone by the I've always gone by the explanation in the Plagueis book where. Yeah, They're tipping the balance of the force to their end, and the force counters that by creating Anakin. Yeah, no, because because Palpatine literally says he can manipulate the many chlorians that create life. And to me, I looked. I'm, I'll never forget it. Insinuate. I always insinuated that he was created by a even before Darth Plagueis novel. I always and multiple people online. I remember talking about this. Saying that they insinuate how the origin of Anakin Skywalker, like how he was created, that the Sith try to use to create some kind of you know super jet super Sith, and that it ended up not going their way. I always thought that that was some kind of manipulation. From I, mean, I can... Lucas was going to flat out say Palpatine was Anakin's father, so to speak, in the early drafts of Revenge of the Sith. That was kind right. of his intention. Yeah. But no, I can I can understand that point of view. But or or how but they, well hang on hang on what I'm saying though is if whether or not you buy into that the movies st- like your your understanding of the character of Anakin doesn't hinge on that like but you you aren't understanding with those characters too you don't have to understand the characters to do to, to do that either because I think in the end because on the face value Ray stabbing Kylo Ren is what and then her healing him is ultimately what what makes him realize I'm doing something wrong because she sacrificed some of herself into him. Now, again, I think they're subtly, again, they're subtly telling us that Leia also sacrificed herself to give life force over to Ray and Kylo Ren to make that work. Cause again, what happens when Ray, when Ben takes Ray and saves her life at the very end, again, he passes away. But he, here's you know, the thing though. Like when, <clears throat> Just the fact that Leia is projecting her consciousness all the way across the galaxy just to communicate with him, we know that that killed Luke. And so that in and of itself should have been enough to kill Leia. I thought that's just what they were going for. And there's nothing about her transferring her life force into him or something like that. Like, 
and that could be what they were going for. But if it is, it's super unclear. And like you were saying with The Last Jedi, this is something where I feel like that needs to be explained better. And I'm all for subtext. Like I, I enjoy I mean, that's subtle. I enjoy subtleties in storytelling and not always having to bash the audience over the head with information and over explain everything. But when it's a major turning point for a major, you know, your, your main villain of the trilogy turning back to the light side, like we need to understand his motivations for doing that instead of, instead of sitting there scratching your head and going, well, maybe it was this and you're like, Oh yeah, I guess I can kind of go with that. I'm not saying that it's, that's the only thing that contributed to it. I'm saying it's a part of it. Well, I'm just saying the whole scenario in general, there's so much going on that happens so fast and you're given and you're given so and you're given so little explanation. And then there are all these emotional moments that they don't give space to breathe or give you time to process. But Mm. they do because because Leia literally dies by trying to talk to Ben. And then again, again, the only reason I, I buy into the fact that she is somehow connected to Ben at that point is because they literally show us the subtext that you talk about at the very end when when he sacrifices himself to Ray at the very end of this movie both he and his mom's body disappear together and that's not coincidental and again I don't think they have time or want to over explain just like in the dark plague scene that I keep talking about they don't have to overly explain like by point A point B point C Every little detail about that, but this What's is completely whole... different from the Plagueis scene, though, because. It, it, but no, no, but it, but it's not because this is why you don't have to overly explain every little detail. That's what I'm saying. Well, no, no, no. but the now, reason it's different is because, like, when Anakin turns to the dark side in Revenge of the Sith, we understand why. When Ben Solo turns to the light side in this movie, even though I love that it happens, I'm like, how did he get to this point? But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm okay. I'm just I'm saying as far as Leia and this is why I love what they're I think what I think what they're trying to say again it's very it's not an obvious thing and I like that it's not just banging us over the head there is some a lot of interpretation to it but at face value if you take the Leia thing completely out of it you just look at it from Ray, the perspective of Rey and Kylo Ren you know in Last Jedi there's a connection between the two characters when they touch hands there's a connection, that dyad thing between them, right? So when so when you have, you know, he's basically egging her on to be the dark side. She's in that dark place. It would say he got distracted by something else, and she just stabs him in the stomach, and he's like, crap, I'm going to die. What does Ray do? She sacrifices part of herself to save him, and she says, I would have taken Ben's hand, and then walks off. And you know what? She realized she made a mistake, and then he realized – I just caused this person to basically kill me and she just basically saved my life. And that's something that he, you can take on face value that can say, man, and again, you see the physical representation of his scar of the, the, the thing between them is healed as well. Again, a metaphor for the relationship. So you can already see that the subtext of just that alone on face value should be enough to say he's starting to question himself because of what, what Palpatine is, what he represents and what she did for him and what she continues to demonstrate for him. So for me, it all makes sense. The Leia stuff is all icing on top of the cake, in my opinion, because again, going back to the mythology of it, 
the idea that he's linked with his mother and his mother is the one that helping them together and keeping their there's a there's some kind of life bond there helping Ben makes a lot of sense when you add the idea of what he does for Ray, Ray at the end. So all of that, again, there's the obvious thing and there's the subtle thing that you can leave for interpretation. Just like I keep bringing that Plague scene. And it's not just the Plague I bring that Plague scene up again because there's multiple instances instances like that in Star Wars. That's not It's not hitting you over the head with you know obvious answers. And I think, again, I, I like obvious answers, but I also like interpretation. You can, it leaves us for speculation and leaves. This is the fun stuff is that like what well, exactly right. was laid. But again, I love speculating about Darth Plagueis and the origins of Palpatine and all that kind of stuff. Right. But that scene is not the turning point for Anakin Skywalker. When, when Anakin chooses, when Anakin chooses to turn to the dark side, you don't have to read into subtext of like, Oh wait, now why would he do that? But- but that's only one part. It's, it's not even. It's a. It's a side point, because again, when he sacrificed. Because again, what is Force Ghost? We all again bring up sub subtext, right? What is what was the whole point of the the uh, the Clone Wars three up Yoda arc? Was for him to, to figure out how to become to keep your life force, um, to keep your uh, identity after death, right? So that whole thing, does it overly tell you how you accomplish that? No. It never you don't learn. We don't learn as an audience through Yoda what exactly that is. Exactly. We don't know. We don't know any. But that's still to me is neither here nor there because it's not a matter of how it's not in this scene. It's not a matter of, oh, I need to know exactly how it happened. It's a matter of what happened. Yeah, that's the thing. (laughs) No, I think. But again, I think at face value, you see what happened. Ray stabs him and saves him heals him completely and then he realizes that man this woman that i just caused to be angry basically killed me and could have left me for dead and i could have been dead and then she saved me yeah that's all good i just what leia's role in it is but what see, and again i like but this is where i like that it's not overly telling me because again going back to the going back to the yoda arc because listen to this what the last episode's called sacrifice and ultimately, we talked about this a lot, Tim. We both agreed. I remember we both agreed to this. That so you have to, I, I'm holding you to it. Um, <laughs> but we both said that the way to become a Force Ghost was what is the last episode title: sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Leia sacrifices herself for her son, and 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 ultimately, when you sacrifice yourself, just like how the daughter did in Mortis and everything, and how the father did all that, and he and he disappeared at the end and whatever. Um, the sacrifice part is how they they keep their essence, and that's what Leia did, and essentially, right? Because she saves, she basically causes Ray to essentially like do something that sets a set of motion, things in motion, correct? And because of that, she like it heals Ben. Again, I don't know her if it, it deliberately heals Ben, but she basically intervenes and uses her last life force to sacrifice herself to change the outcome of that moment. And because of that, she's linked to those two people. Is it to Ben directly? I don't know. Again, I like the idea it doesn't overly tell me because we see Leia just be a body, dead. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. I thought it was weird myself. Yeah, we, I, I still think that's really weird. When, but then ultimately when Ben sacrifices himself, he disappears. Just like that I was talking about how we, me and Tim said, it seems like they're trying to tell us not overly – but basically, to become a force ghost, you have to learn to become to sacrifice yourself, and which that's makes how you perfect sense. Identity. 
But that well, doesn't explain too. why Leia disappears at the same time Ben does because when she, she died halfway earlier. Herself for Ben because she, when because her life was connected to Ben at that moment, and when he sacrifices himself, a part of her was connected to him, helping him, and therefore they both disappeared again. I, I love, but it. that's again, I, I that's all it. conjecture. So, would, are you taking where the reason she died and to, the last bit of energy she used was just to have Ben hear her name, just that, just so her voice could be projected to the to the planet so that he can hear it? All I'm See, saying is know. that's all the movie gives us to go on. I know, because but that's the thing. I could buy into that, but the thing that just makes you think of it has to be something more is the fact that she disappears once Ben disappears. And that that's why I have a hard time thinking of what exactly she was intending to do just to project her voice so you can hear it or for somehow her life force go into Ben, into his his mind, his heart, or just right a connection See? to the force. But and that's I, the and thing. I also have to and wonder how much of that it. how much of that missing information is them just wanting the audience to fill it in with subtext and how much of it was exactly. just well no, no no or how much of it was we can't shoot more stuff with Leia with Carrie Fisher so I, this is what you got to go with guys think, think about this I think ultimately anything everything hinges on her in this movie is what they have left and but this is where I think it's brilliant, and I I'll, I'll I'll I will gladly defend this to 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 everyone because I do think this is a beautiful moment. The subtext of oh, this it is, is I just want to know what exactly happened. But I don't <laughs> think yeah. we're but, but you know be, be, if you look back to the, the Last Jedi again, I, I I literally just watched the scene. Um, when he goes to destroy the, the Death Star or bleh, destroy that ship with Leia's on, he doesn't, and there's there's that obvious connection between yeah. them that he didn't. But hold on, he doesn't have it between his father and him. No, and and that's why I think it's it, it's it's it is again the subtext of why does all of a sudden his father show up at that point? We don't. I think there is a force connection between them that is greater, and again would make sense if her life force is saving him. Because again, going back to the the Mortis episode, right? A daughter transfers herself, her life force into Ahsoka. I know I'm using these things from the cartoons, but but bear with me. That's all part of the, the you know, of I, the idea oh, that, she, yeah. So I, I, so I think that again, she, tra- she says Ben and then she, when she passes away, I think she, 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 again, she's sacrificing herself and her life force is still out there. It's still living and breathing in this world, but she's just not, but it's just not gone on to the nether world because she's keeping again. Because look at the the sister of Mortis, right? She still exists in that owl thing. So mm-hmm. to me, it would make sense that she's somehow her life force is in Ben helping him. You know, again, she sacrificed herself. Her body is still here on the physical realm because it's not, you know, what again, I'm, I'm getting really out of the weeds here. But again, it's subtext because it makes sense because as soon as, as, as Ben dies and he disappears, she disappears. I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. And the more I think about it, the more I argue about it, the more I love it. And you could say I'm crazy and whatever, but I, I just, it really makes it. And I remember I said this on the, on the other podcast today. It, to me, it makes that passing of Leia's character that much more beautiful. And it, and again, it's not just like a really clumsy way of being like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice myself guys. And make it very obvious. It's more, again, it's more, it's, I love the way it's done. And I, it feels just, it feels right. 
And I love, and I, again, I love just the artistic way they did it. And you know what? A lot of people are going to go, oh, I don't get it. And I get that it's not hit you over the head. And I'm not saying you're, you're like, you get it too. You get it, Kyle. And I understand you wish you had a little bit more to go on. And I totally get that. That's a fair thing to say. But for me, it's once someone to kind of explain that, it seems pretty obvious that that's the connection between them, that she's basically connect. They're somehow connected. You can interpret it any way you want, but somehow her and Ben are connected at that point. We already have that established in The Last Jedi. They have a way deeper connection in, in spiritually through the Force. And now it's helping keeping Ben alive. He's using that to, you know, and when he sacrifices himself, that's when they both are disappear into the netherworld and keep their, will probably keep their identity. So it's, yeah, I, I love it. And I, I, I've talked a lot about it, so I'm, I'm done. I appreciate you letting me spew my, my thoughts out. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff to, to mull over and just to think about exactly. So, cause you bring up some good points. It's just for me, I agree too. It's beautifully how it all narratively, it's beautiful. How, that's how Leia goes out to save her son in that way and they are connected i would just like it if i knew exactly what was it that killed her was it just sure. her and that's getting, fair. getting her getting ben's attention by saying his name or was it because she then transferred some her life force into ben so could she ben. hold on could she have said ben and then like and use that as a transfer say ben right Mm. And then whatever she had left, she put over to him. Like, like it was like Ben. Yeah. And when she said Ben, and for what was, purpose too? Though, like, what? Why would he need her life force? Because he wasn't stabbed yet. Well, yeah, Ray and there. that's what I'm now, thinking. If anything, if there's any weight to that, it would be that he heard her just say his name, and then somehow in the moment of her dying, Ray was able to like transfer her life force into him. And use that to heal him instead of her own energy because then, like I said, she doesn't seem to be suffering any repercussions from healing him from what should have been a mortal wound. So, I don't know. Like it, of, did she I love play this. A, it, did she play a part to have Ben physically see Han Solo there? I know he says you're just a memory and it's obviously he's not a force ghost, but the idea for him to see his father was that what leia tried to do to get bring that out of him i don't i don't think so and let's let's transition over to that scene because we've spent a lot of time talking about yeah. just <laughs> the the end of the saber duel and i don't want to be here all night um i mean and you know what just to wrap up on that paul i'm glad that you like that and that it makes sense to you like i i take no pleasure in having big criticisms with this movie. Like I wish I loved it as much as some people do, but this is probably the biggest thing for me that just doesn't work. And I really wish it did. Um, but the scene after that, I mean, I think the, the very next scene is the rest of the crew getting back on the Falcon and, and leaving the death star wreckage. And then, um, and of course Ray takes off in Kylo's tie fighter. And then you see, uh, Kylo standing there on the edge of the death star wreckage, just by himself looking off into the distance. And you hear, a voice from behind him. Uh, I think that just says, Hey son, or something like that. And he turns around and hey, Han Solo's there. Or Hey kid. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he well, has was a surprise, by the way, that, it I was, was a surprise. I was very surprised. And at first yeah, I will unfortunately, say, unfortunately that was something I got spoiled on. <laughs> oh, that's a bummer because it was like maybe early in 2019, maybe even a year out. There's 
uh, everybody is not making Star Wars saying the classic character returning to the uh, episode nine. And this is where I just really wanted to get confirmation if Anakin was going to be a force. Oh. And there I go. So I won't mind if I find out that Anakin's confirmed. This might be it. And I clicked on it. And I was also like, don't. You <laughs> know what? Now that. that I think about it, I think I did hear a rumor about that somewhere. And I don't know if it was from making Star Wars, but it was. It was so far back, and I think I had gone, no, that's stupid. They wouldn't do that, and it was completely out of my mind. And so I I wasn't like, oh, I know this is going to happen. I just, you know, I had heard – like once I saw it, I'm like, oh, I remember hearing something about that. But I didn't think they would actually do it. Um, And I have to say, the first time I saw this, I – really didn't like this either because it felt like because i mean as he's talking to han he says uh he's like oh you're just a memory because i was like oh han can't be a force ghost and so this felt like an excuse to like have force ghost han but he's not actually in the force because it's just ben saying he's in his memory it felt like sort of like nostalgic fan service and then they give just like a paper thin explanation for it that was my first take on it i actually love this scene now and it's because of one line in The Last Jedi where Luke says to Ben, he's or to, mm-hmm. to Kylo Ren, he says, strike me down in anger and I'll always be with you just like your father. And obviously Han can't be with him as a force ghost. But and of course, Snoke also tells him in that movie, like the you know, you killed your father, but the deed split you to the bone uh, or split your spirit or whatever. And so I imagine that he's had a lot of these internal dialogues between him and his perceived memory of his father and this is just obviously the first time we're seeing it um but yeah i mean lazy the the first time i saw it i was just like oh shoehorned han solo cameo but on subsequent viewings i kind of got over that and i was like oh i guess this there is a line in the last movie that makes this make sense and i just love the emotional core of that scene i love the conversation between the two of them. I love seeing Han again. Like I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, so it was just great to see that. And then some of the callbacks to the force awakens where he says, I know what I have oh, to man. do, but I'm not, I don't know if I have the strength to do it. And Han just says you do. And then I didn't even catch this line the first time around, but probably my favorite moment in all of this, when suddenly, you know, Ben has pulled his lightsaber out, obviously, and and he he says, yes, you do have the strength. And you see him visibly getting emotional, and he says, Dad, and he pauses like he's going to tell him something else. And then Han says, I know. And I didn't catch that till (laughs) I think the second – I think just the second time Um, because I remember talking to Allison about it afterwards. And we – because we saw it the first two times together. I saw it by myself the third time, but we were talking about that afterwards. And she still didn't catch that the second time around. And I I pointed that out to her and she was like, ah, my heart. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that was – and then, of course, he he turns and chucks the lightsaber away. Um, And I – absolutely love that scene now and this that's the part that does make his turn to the light side feel earned to me it's just i still wish him getting from dark side kylo to that point where he's struggling with it and just wants to throw it all away i wish that was a more clear step but this being the final step of him turning back to the light side i love it this was a great scene and even though i was spoiled on on solo recurring how it was going to play out i wasn't expecting this and i absolutely loved it it was simply beautifully done i mean this 
kind of being the opposite of what happens in The Force Awakens, what we all wanted to happen when Han Solo made his way on the catwalk to get Ben back. This is what we wanted to see happen so he could get his son back. And the fact that we, because I talked about, and we talked about too how that scene in The Force Awakens, one of the best Star Wars moments ever, just for how beautifully it was done. And the fact now we get to see it again, but have a different outcome and be just as beautifully done, it's just amazing. The acting by both Harrison Ford and Adam Driver in that sequence was fantastic. And once Kylo Ren says, Dad, and he's almost about to cry, that's where I got a little emotional. They're just getting a little up in my throat, just seeing not only just got Han Solo back with his son, but just the acting by the emotion Kylo Ren was showing there. Or I should call him Ben now, because this is really when... He returns to being Ben Solo. And like I said, Han Solo is saying, I know. It's just perfect. It's just so well done. It was kind of a nice surprise, but not a nice surprise. <laughs> I know he was going to be in it, but not expecting it to be done in this way. It was just fantastic. And it is one of the best parts of the movie, which, you know, just is a great arc for the culmination, not necessarily the culmination just yet, but a big point in the arc of Ben Solo here and just seeing it played out the way it did, it just was fantastic. I just really, really love this moment. Yeah. I, I, again, I'm just going to really quick, quickly say, I think this is, but you could say this is potentially tied with, with Leia. I think there's potential there. I don't, I don't know if it is for sure or not, but I think there, there is something to it. That, that's where I, that's where my head went to when I was, when I was, yeah. M, it's, or when I was, it's still, I'm trying to figure out what exactly she did. This is something that I think, she could have played a role in as well. I, I think it would make sense because all of a sudden, again, I love the subtext of the fact that as soon as she dies, what happens and that he kind of heals and then he's kind of thinking about stuff and then he hears, hey, kid. And then he gets a, a, a thing from his father because obviously him and his mother, that and that connection they have, the, you know, whatever. I think he he there's always there is some kind of deeper connection they had together. But him and his father do not have that yeah. because because even before he killed them, you can tell that there's not there's not a lot of love lost between them or there's a lot of love lost between them. So and just there, the fact he calls him dad and not. Han yeah, Solo mm-hmm. was such a big thing. And yeah, that's it's a big like, moment. Yeah. 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 So I it's a beautiful moment. Like, I again. It was something that I necessarily, if you would have told me before, I would, I would have been like, meh. Now I'm like, yep, I'm into it. So, yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that was, you know, like I said, great scene there. Um, and then, uh, and I think there's probably a scene in there of all the resistance gathering back on uh, on Agent Kloss. Um but the next scene, you know, we see Ray take the TIE fighter and fly off back to Octo. And she's standing on the island burning the TIE fighter. And she's, you know, it's burning. She's chucking wood into it to keep the fire going. And then she unclips the lightsaber from her belt, tosses that into the fire, and a hand reaches out and catches it. And Luke Skywalker walks out. I'm pretty sure I started the applause in my theater when this scene happened. (laughs) Um, Yeah, good job. It was so cool. And this is probably one of this is one of my two favorite scenes in the movie Um, is uh, just the scene between Luke and Ray as he's. Oh, and I love the line here when he catches the lightsaber and he says a Jedi's weapon should have more respect. Now, this line. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
there are people out there saying, I've heard a lot of people saying this movie is so disrespectful to Ryan Johnson and it undoes so much of what The Last Jedi did and there's it's course correction and whatever. There are really only two scenes that I can see as being sort of undoing what The Last Jedi did. One is giving Rey an actual lineage and making her a Palpatine. And two is this line where Luke says, a Je- you know, he catches the lightsaber and says a Jedi's weapon should be treated with more respect. And it obviously, it seems like an apology for the people that didn't like his first scene in, in The Last Jedi where he takes the lightsaber from Rey, chucks it over his shoulder. This is not a slap in the face to Ryan Johnson at all because this is where Luke is at at the culmination of his story arc in The Last Jedi. Like, if this scene happened at the end of The Last Jedi instead of during The Rise of Skywalker, he would have said the exact same thing. I totally agree with that. And at the same time, I do think it was put in there as a little, like, It was, yeah. It's it's pretty obvious that it was, but at the same time, it totally works in-universe for why Luke would do that. It's kind of a little wink, but it's like almost Luke making fun of his past self. Exactly, I, I say this all the time for those who just absolutely hate Luke in The Last Jedi. They, it ruined his character. It just seems like they forget the ending of that movie mm-hmm. where Luke comes back and learning from his mistake from being that way. So to me, the, like I said, it's just kind of a thing that works on both ends on a meta front, but also in universe to how Luke's character where he's at now. Of course, he would say that looking back on what he did and kind of going back to how I viewed him using the blue lightsaber when he faced off against Kylo Ren, how he did feel it was a mistake to just chuck it over his head and not show the respect. And that's why he was using that there in that fight, especially when it's the Skywalker family lightsaber. So that kind of leads into more how I like to think of why he used that blue lightsaber there, knowing that the respect it deserves. And he's just saying it's already right there. So yeah, it's a week to the fans who were upset of that happened in the last Jedi. But at the same time, it still makes sense that Luke would say that to her now, just where he's at moving on from where he was in the last Jedi. Yeah. I'm totally, I, I, I think it's like you said, Tim, I think it's definitely not meant necessarily to be like a, a disrespectful thing to JJ or to Ryan. But I also think it is saying to fans like, Hey, we, yeah, we, we know he screwed up there. And <laughs> I, but I don't think it's, 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 I'll say this. I don't think JJ is being overly malicious in some of the things he did in Rise of Skywalker, but I also think that he's like, you know what? I'm going to fix some things that I think need to be fixed. I don't. I, there's no way he does the things he does, at, and and he's like, Ryan, let me just talk about this with you. I mean, he's like, I'm doing this. I don't care what you think, and I don't think it was meant like in a, like I don't care what you think, dude. I want, but I think just like Ryan did what he wanted. Well, yeah, exactly. Think, yeah, so I think, but I think obviously right now Ryan Johnson's put in a very awkward position. This is why I don't think they've said anything about his trilogy being canceled right now because I think it's, uh, I think they knew the the course correcting they were making, whether it was out of respect or disrespect or not. I mean, I don't I don't think it was ever disrespectful for Ryan Johnson, but. I do think because of this, it obviously Ryan Johnson's been kind of been he's been a little salty on social media and out there a little bit. Let's be real. He's been a little bit defensive and he's always been like that, but he's been kind of showing up again in Star Wars recently. And I think he's a little bit salty over what's going on. Just his people, how people are responding to him, his movie now in response to Rise of Skywalker, et cetera. 
I think that's why they're probably waiting to announce that he's not going to come back. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I don't think I am. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's overly disrespectful to him. But I definitely feel that it's, they're, they're definitely making changes and telling some fans, you know what? We're, we understand where you are frustrated. But no, I don't think it's a malicious thing either, if that makes any sense. Yeah. No, and like I said, I think it's a per, – like regardless of how you want to view it from the outside, it perfectly makes sense within the story. Um, and then of course, you know, Luke has his little sit down with Ray and she tells him about, you know, the stuff she's been going through. She says, I'm, I'm doing what you did. I'm going to, you know, uh, stay here and, and walk away from it all. And he's saying like, no, I was wrong. What I did was motivated by fear. And that's when he tells her, you know, confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. And, um, she's basically telling him like, well, I don't know if I can do this because, and he goes, because you're a Palpatine. And he's like, yeah, Leia knew it too. Um, basically confirming that, I mean, it seems like Luke maybe knew this all along or at least realized it before she did. Well, which, yeah, well when he probably got reconnected himself with the force when, which was right before she left. And, you know, he made connection true. with the force again. And then he sees her with Kylo and then she leaves. After yeah. She confronts him. Um, yeah, I, I was just wondering. I was like, I wonder if when he says, I've only seen this strength, this raw strength once before and it didn't scare me enough then and it does now, like if maybe then he had some idea. But if he somehow sensed it through the force, then yeah, it wouldn't be till he reconnected somehow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was interesting. He said like, oh yeah, Leia knew it too. And he said, you know, she still trained me. Um, and then of course we see the flashback scene, which this was really cool. This was amazing. Yeah. Wow. Luke talks about training Leia as a Jedi. And he says that on the last night of her training, um, she had a vision and sensed that if she continued on her Jedi path, it would lead to the death of her son. And so she laid down her saber and told Luke that one day someone else would pick it up and finish what she started. And he goes, or Ray goes into Luke's hut and pulls out, um, oh, because she pulls this out before that that flashback scene. Um, she pulls out a thing, and I thought, oh, we're finally going to get to see Luke's green saber again. Um, but instead, it's the saber that Leia had that we never even knew she had. Um, and then he gives that explanation for, you know, why she had given it up. And we see just this really cool flashback scene of, like, Luke and Leia having a lightsaber duel. Um, and of course they did the, the, I'm sure they probably did like the CGI, like de-aging on the faces or whatever, but it looked really good, especially yeah, Luke. Great. Like, like I was like, how did they get, you know, 1977 Mark Hamill in here? Um, and then with Leia, I mean, I could tell it looked a little bit CG, but I would say it was, it was a, a small step up from, uh, the Leia they had at the end of Rogue One. Um, and of course, the fact that it's nighttime and they've got lightsaber glows reflecting off their faces probably made it a little bit easier to hide the the digital effect of it all. But um, it was just a really cool scene, really cool bit of backstory storytelling, um, at least giving us a little bit more of a glimpse as to what Luke was up to Jedi wise in between episode six and seven and revealing that he did actually train Leia. And I think it's been revealed somewhere, right, that Leia was his first Jedi student. Um, and that she, you know, then gave it up or never finished her training or whatever. I think that was in a book or something, but really cool to see that play out on screen and then to get to, to see her lightsaber, 
Um, and then, you know, Luke tells her, all right, you're going to take both sabers, uh, which immediately I'm picturing Ray and Ben both with blue lightsabers, you know, facing off against Palpatine. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. Um, and then, of course, Ray's in the dilemma where she brought Kylo's TIE fighter there. She burned it and she's got no way to get off the island. And Force Ghost Luke raises the X-Wing as Yoda's theme plays. And um, so good. <laughs> no, again, this was also one of those things that the first time I saw it, like – I really? liked well here here's the <laughs> thing. I liked it, but I also felt like it was a little too I felt like Luke in The Last Jedi when R2 shows him the hologram of Leia and he's like, that was a cheap move. Like I was I was clapping at that part, but I was also like, Okay, I see you, JJ. Like you had to go with that. But then the next two times I watched it, I just love that scene with no you know, like I unabashedly love it. Now that whole sequence of the conversation with Luke, the flashback, and then him raising the X-Wing leaves me with a huge grin on my face every time. Yeah. That flashback with Luke and Leia was probably the biggest surprise in the movie for me that I wasn't expecting that I just absolutely loved. I mean, first seeing them train with lightsabers, their skill with those sabers that they both were displaying on there was just so cool to see. And at first I was thinking, oh, they got, you know, their helmets on with the visors down. They're not going to show their faces because, you know, they don't maybe they didn't want to go the CG route with uh, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. But then when they lifted it and we saw their face and they looked great, I was like, oh, man, can we get a standalone movie about this mm-hmm. <laughs> a TV show? I mean, it'd be super expensive, but man, would it be amazing. But just the fact that we now have this as part as Leia's history, as far as, you know, really fully training at the Jedi with Luke. That's something that we've, at least I have always felt even just when all we had was the original trilogy and return of the Jedi was the last of the saga. And we knew Leia was Luke's sister and she was force sensitive as well, that it would just make sense that she would become Luke's first student. And just seeing that on display in a movie that after so many years, it was kind of surreal to see that. And speaking of surreal things to say, uh, to see in the movie, just Luke as a force ghost as well. (laughs) It was kind of surreal too and it looked a little strange because correct me if i'm wrong this is the first time we see a force ghost out in broad daylight where anytime obi-wan yeah. or yoda appeared it was that night i guess so, you're right because there was just something about it that looked a little strange as far as like is it just because we're seeing luke as a force ghost which is crazy but it it's in daytime too but there's just something about it that looked different from the other force ghost appearance but it was still amazing but yeah, that flashback sequence, it was just a, such an amazing surprise. It was just really cool. And then, like you said, him lifting the X-Wing, it was fantastic. I mean, it just how can you not think of Empire and Luke just saying, like, I don't believe it. And you're just saying, that's why you fail. And then it comes full circle. He's uh-huh. the teacher now with Ray, even though she doesn't say anything like, I don't believe it, but just him lifting up that X-Wing when she needs it, just like when Luke needed it most. It was just... Ah, so beautifully done. I just love that aspect. This whole sequence, we knew Luke was going to come back as the Force goes. Didn't know what capacity or for how long, but I couldn't be happier with his role in this movie and what 
he had to say to Ray, and then just getting that extra stuff with the flashback with him and Leia, it was just fantastic. This scene just really blew me. This whole sequence really just blew me away. Like you, Kyle, had a humongous smile on my face both times when I saw it. Yeah, and it was a re- it did a really good job of picking up on a little subtle touch from the Last Jedi because there was really only one shot where you saw that X wing underwater, and it was kind of in yeah. the background. Um, but if that shot wasn't in The Last Jedi, I would have been like, where the frick did the X-Wing come from? You know, and it would have felt sort of, you know, just like a cheap nostalgia shot. But the fact that it was established in the previous movie, and I think even in The Last Jedi, I kind of expected, I thought that maybe Luke was going to raise the X-Wing in that movie. Yeah. And then he was going to take that to crate, and that's how he was going to get there. Um but instead he did the force projection, but then they're like, well, they still have, you know, that X-Wing is still there. And we, you know, the fact that he was able to give that to Ray, it was pretty cool. No, I'm with you. Um, I just think it's cool too, to see Ray piloting the X-Wing as well. She got the helmet on. She's fine. She, they call her, yeah. it's still the red five X-Wing <laughs> that they refer to it as. It was kind of cool to see our main protagonist for this trilogy using the same one that our main protagonist from the original trilogy used. So I did like seeing her in the cockpit of the next wing. She got to pilot both the next wing and a Falcon. Not, not too many people get to do. So Yeah. And not only that, but I just realized this as we're talking about it. One of the first shots you see of her in the force awakens is her sitting there yeah. in that old X-wing pilot helmet, just dreaming about getting off Jakku. Yeah. And now she's in an X-wing pilot flying Luke Skywalker's X-wing. It's a pretty nice uh, full circle moment. See, I think that would have been a more appropriate time for her to yell out saying, Woo, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, X-Wing, I want that. She's British. She's not from Kentucky. Whatever. <laughs> so just for the record, if you guys ever want to hear, if you if you don't want to hear a really bad explanation or, or a reason why that X-Wing doesn't make sense, Never talk to John Beerley about that. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I know it's been underwater for five years and the electronics probably still shouldn't work. No, but no, come no, no, on, no, it's a that, movie about the, space wizards. The the X-Wing door is uh, a part of the X-Wing is part of uh, Luke's door in The Last Jedi. Was it? What? Yeah, yeah it's straight. I It's, it's oh. legit. But if you, but I also just watched the last Jedi as we're as we're talking, and when when Ray looks down at the X wing, it looks intact still. So I, I don't. Know, well, it, I don't remember it looking like I, that, like missing the door. Yeah, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I do remember it maybe looking a little bit like worn, or like maybe pieces of it were missing or something. But I'd have to go back and look at it. But at least for now, I mean, it that doesn't bug me. I mean, if you can retcon Poe's whole backstory, you can retcon a piece of metal. Um, <laughs> they could just use it from some of the TIE fighter that still hasn't burnt off yet. <laughs> yeah, because I would say, I mean, I could see where maybe it says in the visual dictionary or something that he used a piece of his old X-Wing as the door. But I think, I mean, I've watched The Last Jedi several times and there's nothing about that door that makes me go, oh, shoot, that's from an X-Wing. So I don't have an issue with it. Um, but then meanwhile, the rest of the resistance, you know, Poe and, uh, and Finn and everybody's back on, uh, Agent Kloss. Um, oh, and of course they come back and find out that, uh, Leia's dead. And so, you know, then you see, have a sad moment of them all reacting to that. And, uh, oh man, Chewie's reaction. Yeah. That got me, man. He's the one 
in both Force Awakens and this, his reaction to both Han and Leia, oh, that's what really sells the emotional gut punch that yeah. those deaths have. And oh, having to leave both of them. Like that. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, and so, and I love the scene where Poe is sitting there um, looking at Leia's body that's draped in the sheet and he's basically talking to her saying, you know, hey, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how we're going to win. I don't know how you pulled this off. Um, and, uh, then Lando walks in and he's like, Hey, none of us did like me, Luke, Han, Leia, like we didn't know what we were doing, but we relied on each other and we had hope and, um, basically, you know, gives Poe this nice pep talk. And again, just love, love, love Lando in this scene. Um, he's just got such, such this like warmth, like it feels like. Maybe it's because he reminds me of my grandfather a little bit. Like I've seen certain image, I've seen certain images of Billy D. Williams where he actually does look like my dad's dad, um, from certain angles. I mean, it's not like he's a spitting image of him, but he, it reminds me of him enough. But um, also, just you know, within the story, just it's nice to have, um, even though Luke and Han and Leia are all gone, to have someone still there who fought with them to be able to pass on. Uh, sort of their their lessons and their hope to the next generation. Um, it was really cool to see, and I I love just that nice little moment there between Poe and Lando. Totally. So then, you know they they all start rallying for battle. Um, oh, and then this is also when uh, they start picking up a signal um, because Ray, you know, she gets the X wing, and then she also finds the other uh, Sith wayfinder that was in the wreckage of Kylo's Tie Fighter, and so she's now on her way to Exegol, and she's beaming her coordinates to uh, back to the Resistance, and so they're they're able to follow her and chart a path through the unknown regions, and so Poe is like, okay, we've got a plan now, we've got hope. He says, Lando and Chewie are going to go in the Millennium Falcon and fly to the core systems and rally allies, like, and, you know, get whoever they can find. Um, And meanwhile, the Resistance, you know, they're going to go to Exegol and, uh, you know, do whatever they can to fight the First Order. Now, like I said earlier, I have an issue with this when they set up a certain time limit and then what... Lando and Chewie do seems like it happens in an unreasonably short amount of time. Um, And also, I don't know if you guys felt this way, but I, one thing that bugged me a little bit is that like one thing I love about the end of the last Jedi and Luke's sacrifice is that, and, and one reason I love the ending with the kids that are talking, you know, telling each other the story of Luke Skywalker is that Luke, (sighs) Luke didn't just sacrifice himself to save the 20 members of the resistance that were left hiding in a cave. He sacrificed himself to give that spark of hope to the galaxy. And I think that's what that last scene represents. It's that people around the galaxy now have hope because of the sacrifice of Luke Skywalker. And so it was a little disappointing to get to this movie. And obviously we see that the resistance has grown a little bit more. We've got some new characters. They've obviously got more ships and stuff than they had at the end of The Last Jedi. So they've rebounded a little bit. But to still have, um, I think Poe's talk, it's when he's talking to Zori Bliss and he says, um, you know, we sent out a, a distress call for help at the Battle of Crate and nobody came. 
Um, and he's talking about how, you know, everybody's so afraid and nobody has hope and nobody wants to fight. It's like, it's a year later and they're still in that same dilemma. And so I guess Luke's sacrifice didn't really help with that, or at least nobody's done anything about it yet. But now sending Lando and the Millennium Falcon to, you know, go knock on everybody's doorbells and say, uh, hey, we've got a plan now. You want to come fight? And that's going to get everybody to suddenly show up. Um, so I wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, but I don't know. Did, did you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that was one of the complaints I had with it. Just kind of how Luke sparking that hope was pretty much ignored in this. I would have loved it if someone, if Poe mentioned that or someone in the resistance said, hey, we even at the beginning, our numbers have doubled or whatever since uh, the Battle of Crate and Luke inspired more to join us here. That would have been enough even, but I would have liked to have it play a little more of a role in, you know, all those ships that came at the end here, just kind of being inspired by what Luke did. It, it's kind of hard to say that, it, I don't because if they were inspired, they would have been there from the beginning and Lando and Chewie wouldn't have to get them. So, yeah, it's one of those things that I wish they would have picked up on from The Last Jedi, because that was one of the great things about Luke at the end of the movie, is igniting that hope and becoming that legend that would inspire those that or the view him at the legend already to have him fight against the first order so in the visual guide it kind of does make reference to that about those who are in the resistance at the beginning it is bigger and that is because of what luke did but it would have been nice if it was you know something that was on a bigger scale than what we just see with the resistance being as small as it was and i agree with you about poe's line where he's talking to zori there about the battle of crate just being such as lost cause and was something that was a total uh, blow for the for the resistance and he didn't make mention of all about luke being that spark that they hope would uh, get the forces that they needed and he didn't even mention luke at all there so that was a little disappointing so i agree with you that i wish that was a thread that was picked on a little bit at least in this movie yeah um the the post of the post of the space stuff is not my favorite um i enjoy it more it's my favorite space battle of the sequel trilogy which isn't saying wow. much. I'd actually yeah. say it's my least. <laughs> oh man, I take the Force Awakens one is just so it's all X wings and boring in my opinion. <laughs> um, so and and there's not really one. I don't really count the Falcon flying around on crate as one, but uh, the beginning of the Last Jedi space battle I really like. Yeah, you know that's yeah. not. Yeah, but it's not very long though either. It's like it's well, neither much is like, this one. <laughs> yeah, it's, this one's not either. Well, it's it's a little bit. It's lo- it's longer than the, the Last Jedi. Like oh, it's no, bigger do... in scale, but you don't actually see much space battling going on. Yeah. Um, well, you know, let's let's dive into that because I mean, there's really two big things left to talk about, and they kind of intercut back and forth a lot. Um, and obviously, Ray goes to Exegol, and and Ben joins her there, and we'll, we can talk about all that in a sec. But first, yeah. So the space battle. So the resistance shows up there. Um, now this is also one thing that I, I kind of don't like in movies in general, whenever there's like an overwhelming amount of bad guys and you know, like, okay, well, obviously they're just going to take out the head bad guy and that's going to knock everybody else out. Or there's a bunch of ships. We just got to take out the mothership or the control tower or something like that. Um, cause obviously there's like an insurmountable amount of star destroyers. And so I kind of had a feeling I'm like, there's going to be some kind of like, base or tower or something like that that's just going to be the main objective of the space battle um 
And I, again, not that that like totally pulled me out of it or anything. It's just kind of like a tired trope that I've that we've seen a lot before. So when they're like, OK, and so it, there's all the Star Destroyers and then there's the one ground control tower. And because, the you know, when the countdown is over, then the Star Destroyers are supposed to spread out all over the galaxy. And but they can't do it without this control tower. And so we take that out and then they're stuck here. Um Oh, the other thing that I didn't even mention about the Star Destroyers is they oh, all have planet-killing weapons on them yeah. now, and they sent one to go. This is blo- terrible. They they sent one to go blow up Kajimi, and I was like, really, like at this like point, I was, just couldn't resist not having yeah. a Death Star in this. <laughs> <laughs> it was like I felt the- nothing when Kajimi blew up. I was just like, yeah. well, at first I was like, oh, I guess if Zori was there, that sucks. But I was more like, oh, I'm so over planet killing weapons by this point. Yeah, same. same. Here. But I, there's a part of me that think it's kind of cool that they got that technology down now, where it is simplified just to be connected to a star destroyer, and that would give pretty much ultimate dominance over all these planets and systems where you don't have to have this one space station travel to a planet if you want to keep it in line. You just got all these Star Destroyers at these different planets and systems now that could obliterate it if they get out of line. And to me, that does make sense where it would be something that evolved to this. But at the same time, in this last movie, it was something we didn't need and it didn't play a factor at all into the final battle as well. Because at least in Return of the Jedi, we saw the second Death Star take out a few Rebel ships and just showing that you know, it's operational and it's doing damage with this. They just use it to blow up Kajimi and that's it. So. Yeah. And it was like, oh, let's give them a super weapon that can, uh, you know, blow up a planet. And so that'll make it seem big and scary and threatening. But then let's also make that the weak point on the ship. And so if they blow up the cannon, it blows up the whole Star Destroyer. And that'll make it really easy for them to win the space battle, too. And we kill two birds with one stone. And it just was like, okay. Like, why build this entire massive fleet of Star Destroyers if you're then going to give the good guys a really easy way to take them out? Mm. Yeah, this whole space battle is probably my biggest disappointment of the movie, where it was built up in those trailers to look like this massive space battle to end all previous space battles that we saw in Star Wars. It got massive amounts of Star Destroyers. It got every type of rebel ship, X-Wing, Y-Wing, B-Wing, A-Wing, and then... We get all the other ships that came to help with the Falcon. It should have just been this crazy battle of seeing these ships go at it. And it just wasn't that. We saw a few sh- like X-Wings and Y-Wings take down some of the Star Destroyers. And the Falcon really didn't even play a role in it until it had to rescue Finn and Janna at the end. Which was a great line where Orlando just says, you know, not as fast as this ship. And the, the Falcon saves the day. Yeah. and Which so I've was- seen some people be mad about that. Like, let Poe rescue his friends. Like, why do we need Lando to come in and save them? And I'm like, how are you going to fit two more people in that X-Wing anyways? Like, yeah. Poe had good <laughs> intentions, but it makes a lot more sense for them to get on the Millennium Falcon. And just seeing Lando, they didn't, like, we didn't, again, not seeing the Falcon do much in that case, not seeing Lando and Chewie get to do much in that battle, too. And apparently Wedge <laughs> was in the gunner seat of the Falcon, which yeah, was cool to see. Yeah, for two seconds. Yeah, like, could have, should have put him in an X-Wing, too. Yeah. <laughs> so there was just not much going on to it. Nothing really new that we got in that space battle. It, just, it was disappointing to me being at the big finale in the climactic battle of this Skywalker saga and the Rebels or the resistance versus the first order or the Sith or the final order, I should say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it just wasn't as epic as I think it could have been to be the final battle. 
Um, and even the ground battle was cool in concept. And the stuff we got in the trailer looked really cool, but it just wasn't more than that. It just yeah. said really fast cut to still haven't gotten much of soldiers versus soldiers. We got more than we did here than in crate, which was cool. The Sith troopers didn't really do that much. We saw them get shot and then a jetpack Sith trooper took down some of the resistance fighters. So I have to say they looked awesome, but they didn't do much in the battlefield or kind of disappointing. So just overall, this whole final big battle between the resistance and the final order was a letdown. This could have been bigger in my opinion, just have it to close out this big epic battle of the Skywalker saga of good versus evil. And we just didn't get that. So All right. that was let's, a bummer. Let's move on. Let's move on. This is this is this is insignificant. Yeah, the meat of the stuff is coming. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I just right. wanted to say though, no, the please. one thing that was disappointing for me about it was not necessarily even the scale of it. It was one thing that was just kind of again just disappointing. It felt unoriginal because they I don't know if you guys noticed this, like it felt so clearly like they ripped off Endgame. And I was like I don't know if that was intentional or if it's just a coincidence that they came out the same year, but like to have the good guys be pushed to their breaking point and like snap Wexley gets shot down and Poe's all alone and everybody's like, Poe, what do we do? And he's like, my friends, I'm sorry. We, you know, I thought we could win. I thought we had a shot, but there's too many of them. And then, and then Lando comes in and is like on your left. I mean, uh, there's more (laughs) of us. And then there's the massive fleet and then they just start taking them, taking them out left and right. So we we don't even see much of (laughs) all, all I'll say about that is I don't think so because they set up the fact that no one showed up last time in last Jedi did it pay it off again in this time because they had someone like anyone, everyone could identify with Lando and Chewie and the Falcon to be a symbol to come back. But you know what? Who cares? I don't care about the space battle. The space battle is fine. It's not terrible. It's enjoyable. It looks good te- technically from a special effects wise. It's cool to see what you know, Wedge go. I shot Lando. Blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. <laughs> you know, let's get to the let's get to the good stuff. Go. Yeah. So then you know, in in the midst of all that, you got Ray. Showing up on Exegol, uh, going down into the Sith temple or whatever to confront Palpatine. Um, and he's there hanging off his crane or whatever. And, you know, he says, you know, welcome. We've been waiting for you. And there you see that throne that we had seen in the trailer and everything. And he's, you know, basically offering it to her and calls her Empress Palpatine and wants her to take his place, essentially. And... I guess somehow, you know, he turned this into some Sith ritual thing where, you know, obviously she wants to kill him for killing her parents. And he's like, yes, good. Strike me down in anger and my spirit will pass from my body into your body. And then you can rule as me and rule over all the Sith. And I mean, that didn't entirely make sense. But I will say I like the setup of it all where suddenly this is like, you know, again, there's like Sith dark side stuff going on here that's like straight out of a, a old republic video game where you've got like this chanting crowd and it you know it almost seems like an arena that is like i mean the way that i at least interpreted it is like these are like the spirits of sith and not like force ghosts necessarily but it's sort of just in a dark side force way like representative of all the sith who have come before and they're all there to witness Ray, you know, taking the throne and like the final victory and final ascendancy of the Sith. Um, 
And it was just this really cool visual setup with with all that stuff going on. Um, but then in the meantime, uh, you see Ben Solo show up. He comes down there to join her. And uh, Ray gets surrounded by uh, Palpatine's guards. Kylo goes down there, gets surrounded by the Knights of Ren, which, again, I loved seeing them in this movie. They look really cool. We didn't really get any story explanation for what they've been up to or why they're suddenly in this movie. But I liked being able to find out from that comic that Kylo is not, you know, he didn't create the Knights of Ren. Like, they were around before him, and then he became their leader. But the fact that he's now gone back to the good side, it makes sense that they would turn against him and that they're working for Palpatine now. Um, And so he shows up. They start beating on him. And uh, meanwhile, Ray's there with Palpatine. He says, do it. Make the sacrifice. And she... I like that he did say do it. (laughs) I I loved that. That was fun. Um, And she reaches... You know, she takes the lightsaber, pulls it back behind her like she's going to, you know, swing overhead and kill him. And, but she senses that Ben is there and it's it's cutting back and forth between their faces. You know, you can see them sort of silently communicating with each other. And she hands the lightsaber off to him like through the force. Um, Just like we'd seen earlier, like when they had the lightsaber duel through the force and whatever. So that we've established this sort of physical connection across spaces. So she's able to hand him the lightsaber and you see the Knights of Ren now surrounding him and they kind of back up like what and he gives this casual little shrug like oh well sucks for you guys and then proceeds to just take them all out it was so freaking cool this is my other favorite scene of the movie um my first is luke and ray on octo um and my second is this fight with kylo fighting the knights of ren and ray fighting palpatine's guards because she hands him Luke's lightsaber and then she pulls out Leia's and starts fighting all of Palpatine's guards and it's just cutting back and forth between these two two cool fight scenes I think choreography wise it's like not quite at the same level as their fight together in uh The Last Jedi but on an emotional level just seeing them fighting together not as sort of enemies who are fighting a common enemy but as allies who are now on the same side um, and you know, teaming up against Palpatine was just that was awesome. I actually really like the choreography of this. I mean, it seemed more stylish in the way that how they were deflecting, or at least Ray was deflecting those blaster bolts from Palpatine's guards, and how she was using those the force to deflect it back, just out of you know, without the lightsaber, it's using the force and directing the blaster bolts to the enemies, but at the same time deflecting them too. It was just Really cool. Going back to how she was training and using the lightsaber with more finesse and then seeing that on display when she's actually in battle was really cool. And again, Kylo or Ben, I should say, going all out against the Knights of Ren with his lightsaber, which is so cool. And he did a move that uh, reminded me of Anakin's in Revenge of the Sith where he has the lightsaber kind of behind his back. Mm-hmm. Where Because I think there's a moment where in Revenge of the Sith in his fight with Obi-Wan where he, he just they do some crazy stuff in that fight where Anakin just kind of does the lightsaber behind his back to block one of Obi-Wan's attacks. And it just reminded me of that. But just such a great moment of her passing the lightsaber to him. And again, one of the thematic themes that I love of both of them, the Diet of the Force, using the two Skywalker lightsabers, Luke and Anakin's and Leia's too. It's just something really cool about that uh, to take down 
their enemies and then meet up to take down Palpatine. And my, if I had one disappointment, I was all hyped up and geared when Kylo met Ray. They stand in their lightsaber posed, ready to attack Palpatine. Yes. But he just immediately just <laughs> uses the force to lift them up and knock away their sabers. I was hoping maybe for a little bit of a skirmish, both of them taking on Palpatine, whether it was necessary, not necessarily a lightsaber fight with Palpatine where he has one, but if he's using his force lightning, they're deflecting it and just doing some type of little battle with Palpatine before he uh, takes them out of commission and gets their lightsabers away from them. Because there was a little somewhere you're just all geared up to see them fight together again and it doesn't even take place. He just, Palpatine immediately seizes control of the situation. So, But yeah. other than that, such a great moment between these two characters. It was just so well done. All right. So because it's getting late, I got I to gotta head out. I'm going to kind of wrap up my thoughts and talk about this ending here. Um, there's a lot to process, to be honest. And it's, it's going to be hard for me to be concise about everything. But um, kind of wrapping up what I think about this ending here, I, I really like the ending. And just before I go as far as the emperor and things like that, uh, you can hear a little bit of more of my, my ending thoughts. I think on Fandalorians, I talk a lot about Ray versus Palpatine and cause, uh, my co-host who are less enthusiastic is, is who, uh, Sean from uh, Marvel newscast is less enthusiastic about this movie than we are even more than so than Kyle, if you can believe it. Um, but, uh, no, no, Kyle, you like the movie, but, uh, Sean did not like the movie, but, I got to talk a little bit about Ray versus Palpatine and, and that kind of stuff. And I, I, I guess got to say, I talked a lot of, a lot obviously about um, Ben Solo and, and him sacrificing himself for Ray at the end. Um, you know, I, I love the Ben Demption. I, I think that, I think the one, <laughs> I never heard one, that referred to it as, but I, I oh, then you're heard. following the right people on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. But, but honestly though, there is, I think that that J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio successfully did something that I thought was going to be really hard to pull off, and they did it. They made, they pulled off redemption for Ben Solo, and it had it, and it it, it felt very natural. It it worked, and I think that it worked in the context of what we got. And one of the things that John Brilly told me and pointed out to me before I even did any of these podcasts, um, that Ben Solo, uh says one word when he's been solo after he leaves kyber he only says one word he says ow <laughs> <laughs> now that's now true. now but but I, I don't say that to be like as a funny joke either i mean it is funny but but i mean that to be serious like it's adam driver does all the acting through his face and in his body language and it's phenomenal yeah i I love it. It's it's a it's a you can there is a literal shift in Kylo from Kylo Ren to Ben Solo, and it's all through the the physical acting of Adam Driver, and it's incredible. And the moment he when when really fast when Raylo happens and they kiss, I I was shocked, and I oh, said I wasn't I I, I could was. see that I could see that coming a mile away. I I, I said I said. JJ is trying to give everyone everything, man. Like he tried his hardest to give a little bit of everything to everyone, which I really appreciate. I'll be honest. I really do appreciate that. 
Lord knows I didn't get everything I wanted out of the sequel trilogy, but you know what? I got enough. I'm happy. It's like Christmas. It's like, you know, I didn't get everything I wanted, but I got most of it. So I'm pretty happy, you know? And that's what I, that's what I feel about this. I didn't get everything, but I got most of what I wanted and I'm happy with it. I'm grateful for what I got. Um, anyway, but yeah, I, I was shocked when he, when he, when he, I, I really thought they were going to survive. I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's going to be Skywalker babies. It's going to be great. <laughs> oh, oh he, he just died. Oh, dang. So, um, so yeah, it was really surprising about how that all ended, but I, I thought it was beautiful. I, th- I thought the end with the Jedi Jedi, which I know you guys will go more detail in, um, was really cool. Um, I, I like the idea of like, it's literally the Sith versus the Jedi. It's all the Sith going against all the, all the Sith versus all the Jedi. It is, yeah. it was cool. It was cool. But kind of fast forwarding to the thing I really want to talk about, which is, um, the very end. Oh, yes. And, and I, I just got to talk about that really fast. I know I'm, I'm, I'm rushing you guys. I apologize. Oh, that's but, fine. We're going to back up to the very beginning of this and talk about everything. But, but, um, I, I have to say that the, it was nice. It was really nice to get the title of the movie and, and to be the end of the movie. And I think, and the nice thing that I think that JJ did is he telegraphed it on purpose. He wanted everyone to know this is what it's because I think JJ understood after Ray Rando, it just, it honestly just didn't feel right. I think from a, from again, from a context of the overall story and, I just, I think he knew, like, and I think, and honestly, we all know he met with George Lucas afterwards or before the movie, and I'm sure they probably talked about it, and that George probably emphasized to him that this is a family saga, and they probably said, you know what, we've got to figure out a way to to connect this all together, and I think it's beautiful of how Ray um, takes, again, she takes all this 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 negativity and this and this wanting a family and she doesn't she has not connected to a family at all and the only thing she comes close to connecting to is the Skywalker family and she ends up and again she's back at home at at the original or a family of the Skywalker's home and takes that name that's the last line of the movie is Ray Skywalker uh and it's beautiful it really is a beautiful thing. I, I was watching a uh, Star Wars theory on YouTube, which I'm not like the the biggest Star Wars theory guy. I think he's I think he's solid. He doesn't seem like a bad guy or anything, but just not like a, a guy. Who, I'm not I'm not I don't subscribe to him, but I watch his videos from time to time. And he talked about he that's he didn't like it. He goes, I he's not a Skywalker. She's Palpatine. And I'm like, it, it, you know, if you want, you, whatever, right? It's like you that's your bloodline or it's not your family name. You should take you know take the name and make make better make it better because it's Palpatine. The difference is, is that one, she has no connection to that person at all. Like there's no connection. There's no personal connection other than just the blood in her veins is similar to Palpatine's right now that surname. What's also interesting is that remember I brought this up to you guys a long long time ago about solo Mm -hmm. and what, and when solo walks into the Imperial uh, cadet thing and he goes, what's your name, son? Han Han who? Who are your people? And Han says, I don't have people. And he goes, Han Solo. And he just gives him this random name, right? I know everyone didn't like it, but it sets a precedence for the fact is, yeah, Han has a real last name, but he didn't want to identify with it. He didn't have 
that name. Mm-hmm. He knows who his dad is. Yeah. Right. He says, "Oh, it's my dad. My dad used to make these things." And when the when the guy when it, when it came down to it, Han didn't want to identify with it, and so some guy gives him a rando name, and he's like, "Cool, I'll take it." And he just went with it, and he became Han Solo. So really. Uh, ben Solo is not even really like his real last name, right? If you think about it. So, so see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's like, if Solo is his real last name or not. That's the name he took and takes and identifies with and now it becomes, we don't think of Ben Solo as weird. That's his name, right? Han Solo's always been Han Solo. So, Rey Skywalker, she is cho- just like Han Solo, she's Instead of, you know, it was his name was just kind of given to him because, you know, he just didn't have a name he could think of. And he didn't, and he didn't want to identify with what was given to him by birth. And there was nothing wrong with that. And so he had, he just took the name Solo and went with it. Ray chose the name Skywalker. She knows who her, her bloodline is now, but she doesn't identify with it. She doesn't want to identify with it. She identifies with the people that showed her love, which is the Skywalker family. So, you know what? It doesn't matter if she's by blood or not, she's chosen to go by that name. And it's not, you don't, you know, you don't choose your family, but in some cases you do because you don't have to be beholden to your family either. And you know what? There's plenty of people out there who aren't close to their family and they identify with the people that they, they care about, which is their friends. And that is their family. And some people change their names because they don't want to be associated with the people that they were, they, again, they're people quote unquote. And you know what? With Ray, she didn't identify with that. And I think that's the beautiful thing is that she identified with being a Skywalker, what it represents to be a Skywalker. And that to me is more powerful than, than her being a Skywalker by blood. And so I got what I wanted out of the sequel trilogy. And this is where the sequel trilogy, or excuse me, the Skywalker saga can continue to go on from there. Because like Han Solo, he took the name Solo and made it his own. And we only know him as Han Solo. We don't just call him Han. No, it's Han Solo. And now going forward, and, and we when we eventually get 10, 11, and 12, because we're, we're going to get them eventually. Maybe not for a long time, and I don't want it for a long time, but we're going to get 10, 11, 12 eventually, and it's going to be the Skywalker saga. It will continue, and Rey will be the central focus of that, or and whoever her family is at that moment, whether it be her blood family or her adopted family or her found family. It doesn't matter. Whatever that is, the Skywalker name will live on through Ray and or that name and that title and that it can go through because she is part of that Skywalker family. She did basically have a relationship, a close relationship with both Leia and Luke and Ben Solo, all part of the Skywalker family. She's part of that family and will continue that line or and continue that theme and legacy in the other films. And I think it's a beautiful way to do it. So. So yeah, I, I I love the ending. I think we all knew the ending was gonna probably end up that way. Um, There's other things we could have we could have went with, but yeah, I I think this was ended beautifully. I I think the yellow lightsaber is amazing. I don't understand why they didn't do that from the very freaking beginning of the movie. That's a whole other podcast. I feel I got talk I got talk for hours about how they could have just <laughs> just give her the freaking yellow lightsaber at the very beginning of the movie. You could have sold more toys, right? Well, we will definitely have to do another 
I mean, I, I think you got to get off. Tim and I are going to yeah. stay on for a little bit longer and, and talk about some of our thoughts on all this. But I mean, I've got some things that I've got issues with that I want to hear your response to. And I'm sure, right. you know, right. once right. we once we process things over the holidays and probably see the movie a couple more times, we'll come back after the yeah. new year. And this is hardly going to be the last time we talk about the Rise oh, of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so before I before I actually hit mute and turn off my Skype, if you guys didn't know. I love this movie. My favorite movie of the sequel trilogy. And I, yeah, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for Chris Terrio and JJ Abrams. Not kidding. So, all right, guys, continue on the thoughts. I will talk to you all later. All right. Well, you know, it's not the end of the podcast yet, but you still got to sign off, Paul. Oh, in that case, Godspeed, Rebels. All right. Well, um, so where's Rio? Back up to I mean Tim, you and I left off talking about the uh the oh the fight with Ray and Ben um fighting all the guards and stuff before they get to Palpatine. Yeah. And then uh so they, they take out all the guards, they get up to him, and like you said, immediately he uses the force to disarm them, you know, pulls them in close to him and he senses their bond and like drains the life force from them and it starts healing him. And he's like, you know, he realizes, Oh, you're a dyad in the force and this is powerful and it hasn't been seen for generations. And I can feed off this energy and use it to restore myself as the one true Sith emperor. And so he's sitting there draining their life force and, his his fingers are growing back his eyes that were all white and glazed over are now the glowing yellow sith eyes again and it's like palpatine restored to his full strength he looks like he did in uh revenge of the sith um after he you know when he's like taking over the empire and stuff um and then uh, Ben starts getting up and Palpatine just uses the force and tosses him away. And he says, so once I fell, so falls the last Skywalker. And he throws him away and he falls down a pit. And, you know, he's not dead yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then uh, Ray gets up and. um, Oh, she doesn't get up yet. So so then Palpatine, of course, he's he's got fully charged and got his unlimited power. And the space battle is going on overhead. And this is after the massive fleet has shown up. And so the the resistance is starting to push back against the final order. And Palpatine just shoots massive amounts of lightning into the sky. <laughs> like, it was crazy. I don't know if I liked it or not, just because it felt so over the top. And like I said, it felt like something out of a video game. And also when people complain about the movie trope of like, oh, they just got to fly into the sky beam and shoot the thing and whatever. And like, I'm like, he literally like made a sky beam out of force lightning. Um, but it wasn't but, something they had to just like, the good guys had to destroy it was just palpatine unleashing his power like right. never before and it was such a cool visual to see of his power on display like that and honestly yeah, it I was cool to was... just see like like i said new uses of the force yeah and when she was draining the life force out of ray and kylo i actually thought we were going to see palpatine as a young man hmm. and i remember when there was the reports that matt smith was going to be in the movie and there was rumors about him being a young palpatine I thought, oh, this is it. We're going to see Palpatine as a young oh, man. Oh, that would have been interesting. In his prime, and it was going to be Matt Smith, but it didn't play out. And I, I did think that would have been kind of cool just to see what Palpatine would have been like in his prime with the full power that he's taken from Ray and Kylo. So we didn't get it, but it was still 
kind of cool to make that reference to see him to drain that life energy because they were a triad, a triad in the force. And the sum, as he mentioned, wasn't seen since generations, which again is that mythology aspect I love seeing in Star Wars. So it's kind of working back to the chosen one, but it sounds like this is something that has happened before. It's just been so long since it's ever showed up. But again, showing that importance of both Ray and Ben Solo here and what they mean to the force. So I just love that whole aspect of it. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, and it almost seems like this whole dyad thing, it's – I wonder if there were Jedi prophecies about this because it seems almost like not just the Chosen One but like the Chosen Two. Mm-hmm. Like the Force chooses this yeah. to happen at pivotal moments. Um, but then – so he's shooting the lightning up there. Uh, Ben's already been tossed away and Ray starts waking up and – she goes back to the beginning of the movie where she was saying, you know, be with me and, and trying to get these Jedi voices to, to come to her. And so she's looking up at Palpatine's sky beam lightning and she starts saying, be with me, be with me. And the camera kind of zooms out past the lightning and into space. And you hear the voices of all these Jedi, which was just, this was really cool. It it was like the the world between worlds and rebels, where you hear the clips oh, yeah, from like all the different scenes up. in the movies, mm-hmm. um, and you hear. I think the first voice you hear is Obi Wan, and he says like yep. Ray, these are your final steps. And but you hear the voices of all these different Jedi just inspiring her and encouraging her and saying, you know, get up, Ray, continue the fight, Ray. And you hear the voice of uh, Hayden Christensen as Anakin saying. Uh, bring balance, Ray, or he like be the balance as I once did, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love that they got all these original actors in there. You hear Frank Oz as Yoda, you hear uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu, you hear Liam Neeson as Qui Gon, you even hear Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka. Um, which Freddie Prince Jr. as Kanan, yeah, which for whatever reason I know he's in the credits, I haven't been able to pick out Kanan's line. Um, you know, I did just, it the first time. I the did movie. the second one. Like I can definitely pick out Ahsoka and Anakin and like most of the other ones. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't know if just in that scene, I, he probably doesn't have that long of a line, but I, I couldn't really pick out what Kanan said. Um, but then you also have uh, even like Ayla Sakura and Luminara Unduli. Um, and I think that's all of them. But just really cool to hear. Uh, you know, all these voices. Oh, and you also hear, I think there's another um, Obi-Wan line later and it's Alec Guinness. Um, yeah. And I think it's just him it saying, just, Ray? Like, yeah, as, the same one they did in TSA. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but just a really cool moment to just be hearing all those voices again. And, you know, one of those things that they put in there just to really make it feel like it's tying all nine movies together. Um, and like all these Jedi that we know from the prequels and stuff that their legacy is being passed on in Ray. So that was awesome. Yeah, I loved it. And it was something where we was hoping for, hoping for that force ghost moment where we see all of them and we didn't quite get it, but at the same time, I'm still glad we got something. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just the fact of hearing Hayden Christian's voice as Anakin and given it wasn't just saying get up Ray. He said some substantial dialogue referring to himself as the chosen one. And we hear him again, and I just don't remember exactly what he says, but you do hear him twice, and it was just great. I was just geeking out at this whole moment. And then hearing Ahsoka, that was the icing on the cake for this amazing moment. Just getting these animated characters from the Clone Wars be recognized 
in the Skywalker saga in the live action film was just great. I just had a big smile on my face. And but I will say there's a part of me that thinks, hmm, are they gonna have to do some retconning too as far as why she's hearing all these voices from Jedi who shouldn't be able to be force ghosts? Because they were never trained on it? <laughs> I don't think so, because we never actually see them as Force ghosts. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's... And at the same time, I'm glad you brought up the world between worlds, because I thought of that, too. Once we see that open space of just stars, it looked like that we just weren't seeing those walkways that Ezra was going through. But it seemed like she was tapping into that because of hearing those voices like Ezra was hearing in that episode. But he was hearing voices from like the past and the future mm-hmm. all at the same time. But we're in all these Jedi's were actually referring to Ray, calling her name, saying Ray, get up Ray, and all that type of stuff. So it just makes me think, did they were maybe Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Yoda able to do some weird type of training because their life force was still in the cosmic force and they were maybe able to commune with them that way. And even though they couldn't manifest themselves as force ghosts, they would be able just to be enough like Qui-Gon where maybe they can have their voices be heard from those trying to commune with them. Yeah. Having that basic step of the train, but not going full on forest goes. So maybe that's, there's more to it than we know, but I'm hoping that's something that maybe we'll get more information on. Cause I'm, you know, fascinated I am. And I know you are, and a lot of other fans are with learning more about the force and what it entails and just learning new things that it can do. And in this aspect, I think it would be great to find out if there's more than just what we know so far about how to become a forest ghost, which we really just found out not too long ago with the Clone Wars. So yeah. if we can expand on that, that would be cool. But still, just a great moment of hearing all these voices from uh, the past Jedi. It was just fantastic. And again, giving recognition to the Clone Wars. It was just great. But I think it could also maybe even be like, rather than the individual Jedi all talking to her and, you know, they've all learned how to preserve themselves somehow. It could just be that the Force itself is speaking to her through the voices of these Jedi. Like, it's just mm. taking on these different voices and sort of, again, like, inspiring her with that message of, like, you yeah. carry the legacy of all these Jedi in you. Um, and so, of course, that gives her the strength to get up. Now, I will say – oh, sorry, were you – did you have some no, I was going to say, that would make sense, too, because the ones we hear that have the most dialogue are the ones we know are Force Ghosts. Anakin, yeah. Yoda, Qui-Gon. Oh, and, of course, Luke is in there, too. Yeah, mm. Um, so yeah, and I think that also has to do with the fact that those are just the most prominent and recognizable characters. Um, you know, they're not going to give Luminara a whole bunch of prominent dialogue, but, um, yeah, I just like hearing that many Jedi in there. That was awesome. Yeah, I loved it. Um, and then of course that gives her the strength to get up and continue the fight. Now, unfortunately, as much as I love their fight to get to Palpatine, I mean, and, and then, of course, the scene with the Jedi was really cool. Then Rey actually confronting him was kind of anticlimactic. I mean, he's just shooting lightning up in the sky, and then he's like, oh, I'll shoot lightning back at you instead. And she blocks it with a lightsaber. And then uh, he says, you know, I am all the Sith. And she pulls out the second lightsaber and starts blocking it with two sabers and says, and I am all the Jedi. And then that makes the lightning go back at him and he destroys himself with his own lightning, which you think the guy would learn um, after Mace Windu, (laughs) like, I don't know. Overconfident. Yeah. And just the fact that like, you know, once it starts hurting you, why don't you stop shooting it? 
And but also, how come Ray is like, oh well, with one lightsaber I can block it, but with two lightsabers I can deflect it back at you, and now you're dying. And and then of course Palpatine, you know, he seemingly seemingly gets obliterated, and it destroys all, you know, the whole Sith arena thing around them disappears, and it you know kind of destroys all the the stuff around them. But I'm also like, well, how do we know he's dead for good this time? Like, he sure seemed dead, but falling down a shaft and exploding and then the Death Star exploding, he seemed pretty dead back then, too. So um, We never saw what became of the body there. And I think I was, I can't remember exactly what we're saying. This might have been on this earlier in the episode, but it's been so long. But um, how Palpatine probably just had plans for everything for him to go if, if he were to die and is as his body fell down the Death Star shaft, it could have triggered something where his followers that most people don't even know would be able to retrieve his body because th- some time does pass before he's thrown down that shaft and the Death Star blows up for his body to be treated somehow and then just get it to wherever it needed to go if it was directly to Exegol. But, you know, and then relying on the dark side and his hate to keep himself alive until then. But this time we see what happens to his body. It just obliterates like you said and no one could do anything to get it unless again there's a if you're going to go back to the clone aspect he has other clone bodies somewhere hidden but i think this is meant to be this is it we see what happens to a body it just disintegrates and there's no way he can cling on to the physical realm and his body with what ray did to him and i know what you mean about it being a little anticlimactic where it's just her blocking his lightning attack but at the same time i still think it was a powerful moment of her saying that line, I am all the Jedi, and using Luke and Leia's lightsaber to do the final blow to Palpatine, I thought was great. And I kind of thought what you did a little bit as far as, like, if how do we know this really is the end? If they could have given, like, if Palpatine said some type of dialogue, as long as this body remains, <laughs> um, I will, you know, always be around, but then we see her destroy that body and knowing that there's no way out. It could have brought it home a little bit more clearer, but at the same time, that's, I think it's pretty obvious to take it that way where you just see his body just obliterate. There's no way he can come back from that. But um, again, it's just a small little nitpick I have about it because I really liked how this scene played out and just Ray using those two lightsabers, the Skywalker's lightsabers, both of them. And one we didn't even knew existed, but having it there mm-hmm. was just great representing the jedi and i one thing i said in my initial reaction about this i'm um, coming out of the theater and a tweet i sent is how they could have gone even bigger in this movie in certain areas this was one of them one of them definitely was a space battle but <laughs> if they wanted to go full-blown do even more fan service as ray is kind of deflecting the lightsaber or her, his lightning attacks back to him you see the force ghosts some of them come up behind her showing that they're all with her and giving mm. her strength I was kind of expecting that, and it would have been awesome, and that's where we got our big Force Ghost convention, but uh, we did it, and, and it would have kicked it even to another level for me if we did get that, but it was still being represented in what Ray was doing there and what you said as far as being all the Jedi, so in a way, it's still there. We just didn't see it, but it would have been awesome if we saw it visually, seeing those past Jedi, the ones that could be Force Ghosts were there with her, but still, I, I liked that, how it culminated into her defeating Palpatine. I do think Going back to what I said about her and Ben being de- taken out too quickly by Palpatine, it would have been cool also if Ben played a part in the destruction of Palpatine as well. 
But I kind of go back and forth on that because it would have been cool to have a Skywalker still be a part of that. But at the same time, with Ray actually being a Palpatine and her being his demise kind of makes sense for me in a narrative standpoint, too. So but just know how connected they are. It would have been cool to see them both have a hand in definitively taking out Palpatine. But this yeah. is a little something that goes in the back of my mind when I think about that sequence. Overall, I'm just really happy with how it did end, though. It's also too bad, and and this isn't like a criticism on the movie, just something I would have loved to see, would have been the two of them in a lightsaber duel together against either Palpatine or if he conjured the spirit of some other Sith Lord that could fight them with a lightsaber or something, um, just to see, you know, those two Skywalker lightsabers together in action and not yeah. just against blasters, but in an actual lightsaber duel would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, so so Palpatine's gone, so all the ships that were falling out of the sky being zapped by his lightning, you know, they recover and they keep taking out the Star Destroyers. Um, oh, and uh, in the middle of all that, that battle, you know, we talked about like the Wedge cameo and stuff, and also Zori Bliss comes back. Um, she's in the Y-Wing with Babu Frick and, uh, you know, Poe's all happy to see them again. Um, and then Ray, after defeating Palpatine, basically just collapses from exhaustion. Um, it's funny. I watched one guy review and he's like, man, the force is just killing people left and right in this movie. Um, (laughs) it killed Luke in the last Jedi and then it killed Leia and then it killed Ray. Um, but you know, and then Ben climbs out of the pit that Palpatine threw him down. He, he rushes over to Ray and like, she's dead. Like, yeah. Eyes rolled back like she's already turning pale like you can tell she's not just exhausted and like on the brink like she looks dead Um, and he you know holds her close to him and he touches her and, and heals her in the same way that she healed him Um, and so she comes back to life she kisses him which well, I mean again just as soon as she came back and they linger on it for a while where they're just looking at each other and I was like she's going to kiss him isn't she and then she did um, I didn't have a huge problem with it except I really wish like it didn't quite feel earned and I know that there's always kind of been this tension between the two of them and there are some people that have always wanted to see them get together and I've always seen it as a possibility but I think you know he goes from like being evil and murdering people and just because he's turned to the light side now, like that should be enough for her to be like, okay, maybe this can go somewhere eventually, but not like I'm going to make out with you right now. Um, so that but felt such a big moment though, where he brought her back to life where it's not, and again, yeah. going back to that connection that they've always had, this this kind of like cemented that how strong their connection is even more so now where he brought her back from the dead. <laughs> I guess. I mean, like Paul said earlier, like he the only word we actually hear him say as Ben Solo is ow. Like it would have been nice (laughs) if they had at least one like character moment between the two of them where they had a conversation and talked about him being back on the light side or something like that. Something to build up their relationship a little bit more now that he's no now that they're no longer enemies before they just get to all the kissing stuff. She did call him Ben when she woke up and saw him recognizing that he is fully back right as right. not kylo ren anymore. but still i just mean it would have been nice to actually have some some relationship building between the two of them um but you know they share a kiss and then he dies because it took all of his life force 
that he had to transfer into her to bring her back because she was dead. So, I mean, that makes sense. Um, but the, I mean, and again, that raises a couple questions like, well, cause then he, he, like, as soon as they kiss, he falls back and immediately disappears, like becomes one with the force. Mm -hmm. And then Leia does at the same time, which I know Paul was thinking like, oh, that must mean he was connected to Leia somehow. And it, you know, makes perfect sense. And I'm glad that makes sense to Paul. I'm not trying to talk anybody down and convince anybody that this movie's bad because I really want to love it. And I do, I, like I said, overall, my feelings on this movie now are a lot more positive. I still just have things that bug me about it. And this is one of those things that just didn't work for me. I was like, Leia died half an hour ago. Why is she still there until he goes down? Um, yeah, there obviously is a connection there. It's just not clear what exactly yeah. it was. Yeah, like, was her life force I, still living on in him or something? Because, mm -hmm. well, I mean, we've never seen that before, so that should be explained somehow. Like, if if your life force energy can be contained in another person. So, I don't know. Um, But also, I was like, well, how come Ray dies? And, like, she was clearly, like, dead, dead, right? So... How come she dies and just lies there long enough for him to come and heal her? But then when he dies, he immediately becomes one with the force. He's like, hi, I healed you. No heal backs. I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because it was more in that sacrifice vein that he did it, like giving up. And maybe it's the way, like I said, giving his life force to someone else that maybe because it, it didn't happen right away. He obviously he, they kissed. He smiled. And then once he finally dies, that's where he goes. Maybe it's well, right. And I don't it. mean he didn't disappear as soon as he healed her, but as soon as he died, yeah. he disappeared. Yeah. Whereas that didn't happen with Ray, obviously. Yeah, maybe it is the difference because of giving your life to someone that just—that's all you have. And you just immediately go into the cosmic force that way. But that is, it's a good question though, because it is something that I didn't really necessarily think of when watching it, but. When you think about it, it does make you wonder why exactly that is. Yeah. So, and again, like it, it's not a huge issue for me and I hate to like nitpick these little things, but it's like you're establishing these rules and then going against them and it is kind of noticeable. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the, the emotional impact of it was good. Um, and, and then I do like that. This was the ending for Ben Solo's arc where he ultimately sacrifices himself yeah. to save another person. And it is mirroring Darth Vader, but it is different enough where it's not totally copying it. It's the same thing. Um, yeah, because... I'm just glad we got to see him fight on the light side before yeah. sacrificing himself. That it wasn't like, oh, I'm evil and now I'm turning to good and my final act is going to be to sacrifice myself. Like we got to actually see him fight as a Jedi for a brief period of time. No, totally. Yeah. And I like that aspect of it too, where, and it wasn't, he was the one by himself who defeated Palpatine right when he turned good, like Vader. I'm just glad they didn't mirror that exactly, but he did the same thing as far as sacrificing himself to help someone and save someone else. And which is why, he, um, you know, again, fulfilling his arc, in a satisfying way for me anyway. And that was a big question going into this movie. What would happen to Kylo Ren? Would he die a villain? Would he go into exile? Would he be redeemed? And they went the redeemed out, the redeemed route. And I thought they pulled it off successfully where I bought into it. And yet it was something different and not just a Vader copy. Cause that was my biggest uh, concern about if they were going to redeem him, would it just be the same thing that we saw with Vader? And thankfully mm -hmm. it wasn't, I bought into it. 
yeah, I was glad how that how that all played out too. Um, and then of course you got the Star Destroyers going down. Finn and Janna are on the um, you know on the surface of the big main destroyer, and they basically sabotage one of its cannons to turn and blow up the bridge, and that kills General Pride, and so the command ship goes down, and all the other ships are going down, and Lando comes in the Falcon and rescues. Finn and Janna, and it's all, you know, victory for the heroes. Um, and they talk about how is all over the galaxy, you know, people are inspired and they're rising up against the First Order, and it cuts to a, a shot very similar to the end of Return of the Jedi, where people are celebrating the fall of the Empire on all these different planets, except in this case you see there are all these planets that have First Order Star Destroyers up in the sky, and they're all destroyed and falling um, and you don't really see any battles going on, but I, you know, it, it's assumed that like, um, people have all decided to take up arms and fight against the first order. Um, and I like that because then it doesn't leave it open for like the same criticisms that some people have had about return of the Jedi. Like, Oh, and this was back before we knew there was going to be a sequel trilogy when they were like, Oh, well, how come the good guys won in episode six? Like they blew up the death star and killed the emperor invader, but there's still a whole bunch of Imperial forces out there. Um, which in that case, I always just assumed like, yeah, the rebellion still has some fighting to do, but like, it's all downhill from here. They cut the head of the snake off. Yeah. Um, but in this case, cause actually at one point I kind of forgot about this scene at the end. And after one of my viewings, I was like back home thinking about it. And I suddenly thought about this and I got really mad and I was like, wait, they destroyed Palpatine's final order, but the rest of the first order fleet is still out there. But then you know, I had forgotten about the scene at the end where you see all the other star destroyers falling. And so they kind of explain that and basically just say that, you know, people all over the galaxy have decided to stand up against them. Um, and then we get a nice celebration scene where everybody's back on uh, on the, the resistance planet base. Um, or the resistance base planet and they're all celebrating and hugging and everything. Um, I love the reunion between Poe and Zori where, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like smiling at her and happy to see her. And then he kind of gives her a suggestive little, Oh, cause when they, I don't think we talked about this when they left Kajimi earlier, he was like, can I kiss you? And she's like, no. And he, he left. And so, um, he doesn't even say anything to her this time. Like they're just smiling at each other. And he then kind of gives her a suggestive little like, hmm, and she shakes her head at him and walks away. Um, and then of course, you know, you get the big reunion between Ray, Finn and Poe and they're all hugging. Maz gives Chewie a medal, which is nice. Uh, you know, Chewie finally gets his medal. I'm assuming it was actually whose medal would that have been? Oh, I like to think it would be Hans. Yeah, I guess, because, yeah, maybe Leia had Hans, because I was like, you know, Maz, I mean, Maz, her purpose in this movie was basically to, like, fill in the gaps for Leia wherever they couldn't, mm -hmm. like, use more stuff for Carrie Fisher, like, you know, when, yeah. when she's about to sacrifice herself and Maz, like, turns to the audience and basically says, this is the point where Leia's about to die, um, so I, at first I was like, oh, maybe she, you know, has Leia's old stuff. And I was like, wait, Leia didn't get a medal. She was the one giving out the medals. But um, yeah, so but I mean, that was a nice, you know, touching moment where like it was fan service, but it's the end of the saga. It's nice to see Chewie finally get a medal. So that was cool. Um, yeah. I will say the one thing I was really hoping for in here, because obviously in and we talked about some of the cameos with the ships and stuff, you see the ghost in that space battle. 
Um, you see it in a couple shots in the space battle and there's even a shot of it landing when they're coming back to the planet. And so I was really hoping that we were going to get a live action Harrison Dula cameo until I I didn't even notice that until I realized, yeah, it's, it's in the background of one shot, like coming down over the trees. Um, but I realized when they were like, it probably wasn't even JJ Abrams idea to like put the ghost in there. So when they were filming this scene on location with all the extras and stuff, like they didn't have Hera. And then it was probably somebody at ILM that was like, Hey, let's put the ghost in. Like they probably did that in, in post-production after they had filmed the stuff with all the actors. Um, But I mean, that would have been cool. (laughs) That would have been cool to say or to, to see in there. Um, Yeah. But still, I mean, just, you know, a nice celebration scene, nice reunion between everybody there at the end. I just really like seeing the emotion, especially on Finn's face when him ran Poe are hugging and Finn's is almost in tears. Yeah. Just being relieved that this long journey, from his point of view, defecting from the First Order, joining up uh, to save Rey at Starkiller Base, and then in The Last Jedi, not necessarily knowing what he wanted to do, fully join the Resistance or just kind of be out on his own and then fully committing to the cause and now the war is over and is running you just see that emotion on his face knowing that his friends are there with him i thought that was just a great touch to really sell the emotion that these characters are feeling right now after this huge victory so props to john boyega for bringing that out in that moment yeah definitely and again like i said i loved his performance in this whole movie and john boyega as a person is just awesome like i'm gonna miss having oh, yeah. him in star wars if this is the last time he's in star wars i mean like we said this definitely leaves it open for them to continue the story even though it is the end of the quote-unquote skywalker saga or i should say the yeah. quote-unquote end of the skywalker saga <laughs> um but uh yeah so of course you got everybody celebrating and then it wraps up with Leia or Leia with Rey um heading back to Tatooine in the Millennium Falcon and she lands at the old Lars homestead and this is a nice little touch too cuz obviously it's going back to the origins of Luke in the first Star Wars movie but there's a nice little nod to Rey's beginning in the Force Awakens too where she pulls a piece of metal wreckage out of the out of the sand and sleds down because i mean you can tell nobody's been there in a long time and it's been kind of covered over by dust storms and so it's uh like you know the the building up top is still intact but then when you look down into the little uh the underground area it's all kind of filled in with sand and so ray like sleds down a little sand hill into there um and she takes luke and leia's lightsabers she wraps them up in a cloth and she lays them on the ground and then just uses the force to kind of sink the ground down and, and bury them in the ground. And then you see that she's built her own lightsaber uh, with a yellow blade that she's basically made from the top of her staff, which I love that. And I know Paul was saying like, oh, they should have just done that from the beginning. But I like that they saved this for the very end. Um, And I like that this is like, even though Ray takes on the name Skywalker, it's sort of you could still call this the end of the Skywalker saga because she's not a Skywalker by blood, right? Like all the the actual Skywalker lineage is gone by the end of this movie with, you know, yep. Leia and Ben um and her burying those lightsabers is kind of a a symbol of that. And even though she takes on the Skywalker name um you know, you could tell more stories with Ray and Finn and Poe and still like not have it be 
the Skywalker saga. I would totally be okay with that. I would still love to see more more stories with these characters. Um, but you could start a new saga, or again, you could tell, you know just make one spinoff movie or four spinoff movies. I don't think we need another like sequel sequel trilogy. Um, but I would love to see these these characters continue on in some capacity and see uh, what Ray does with the Jedi moving forward. Um, but I think her finally having that sense of belonging, um, her finally, I mean, I, I think you could definitely say like at the beginning of this movie, she was still training to be a Jedi. And she even tells Leia, like, I'll earn your brother's saber one day. And I think by the end of this movie and defeating Palpatine, she has definitely earned the right to have her own lightsaber. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was a nice sort of rite of passage. Like she's her own person. Now she's a Jedi now. Um, She's got her own lightsaber that she, you know, again, I, I just love the fact that she starts off this journey with just the beat up old staff. And then by the end of it, she takes that and, and makes her lightsaber out of it. Um, and then, yeah, just, you know, when the, the old lady comes by and she says, you know, who are you? And she says, Ray, and she says, Ray, who? And she looks off in the distance and sees Luke and Leia's spirits, you know, watching over her. And she says, Ray Skywalker. I love that. Um, I know, you know, some people maybe have issues with it. And even my first time for all the issues that I had, uh, and by the end of the movie, I felt very conflicted, but this ended it on a high note for me. I love the way they ended this. Um, and of course, like I said, by now, I know I've been pretty critical throughout this review and there are some things that like some of these things, even as I watch the movie, don't really bug me. But then when I stop and think about them afterwards, I'm like, Okay, so that doesn't ruin the movie for me, but I just have to point out how this doesn't really make sense. But when I watch the movie as a whole, I enjoy it now. Um, and I think this ending is a big part of it. I, I just love the way that they wrap up this story. Um, and it's a definitive ending and yet a beginning at the same time. Like, this is the end of the story of Anakin and Luke Skywalker and Leia and Ben Solo, but it's almost like Rey's story is now just beginning. Um and so I think, you know, like I said, it's it's the end of the saga, but it could be the beginning of a whole new saga. Um, but yeah, just with, with her having her own lightsaber now and taking on the Skywalker name. And of course, you know, the final shot of her and BB-8 standing there and watching the, the twin sunset um, is just beautiful. I love it. Yeah, this is what really solidified me being really satisfied with the movie on the first viewing and then just absolutely loving it on the second one. I just think it's so perfect and beautiful that it all ends on Tatooine where the Skywalker saga began dating back to even with Anakin in episode one, even though, you know, he didn't grow up on the Lair's homestead, just knowing that we're on the home planet of the Skywalkers. It was just amazing to be back there again. And just Ray seeing that history that we all know from the previous movies and just how significant this location is and seeing her there i just thought it was great and i do like the idea of her not hanging on to the lightsabers but she kind of recognizes how important i think and special they are being luke's and anakin's and leia's lightsaber and bringing them back home there on tattooing i thought it was very fitting and it was cool to see her build her own lightsaber and have it be a different color. <laughs> we finally got a yellow blade lightsaber in live action Star Wars, which was cool to see. But man, when we got to that point where that old lady comes up, this is going to sound crazy, but the first thing I thought of, that's not the old lady who was 
selling that fruit to Anakin. (laughs) (laughs) So one was, but obviously it's not. But um, heck, that could be that lady's daughter or something. Yeah. (laughs) But when she asks her name and she says Ray, she goes Ray. Who? I'm like, oh come on, you got to do it. This is this is it. And she looks out and sees Luke and Leia as Force goes. And when I saw that, I knew it was coming. But until then, I was just really anxious in hearing what she was going to say. Because she couldn't have said, you know, no one still or mm-hmm. even – I don't think she was going to say Palpatine. But that was still an option <laughs> out there. But when she said Skywalker, it was just like, oh, man. I, I want to say both a relief – and then also just a big cheer moment. I Like an inner cheer. I didn't necessarily yell out loud. But inside, I just couldn't be more happy. The amount of conversations we've had on this show, me just talking to Paul on off air and just conversations before he was even on the podcast of how if Ray's not going to be Skywalker by blood, this would be a cool way to have it, you know, her be really still part of the Skywalker saga and continuing on that legacy. And to me, it just fits so well. The Skywalker line is done now. The Skywalker saga is ended, but their legacy is going to be there forever through Ray and her continuing their legacy by taking on that name. And I think her being a Palpatine even adds more weight to that because coming from that name that is synonymous with evil and the dark side and then, but her being with the light side and the only parents she really ever knew were Luke and Leia and also Han in there too, because he had a big influence in the force awakens, but the ones who really trained her in the ways of the force and were mentor figures for um, most of this period since the force awakens, it just makes total sense that she would take on the name Skywalker because they were the ones who, I don't want to say raise her because she pretty much raised herself. She's an adult, but just had the biggest influence. I think who she's going to be moving forward is Luke or Luke and Leia. And yeah. she's going to take on that name. And it's just so fitting and beautifully done. I cannot be happier. Part of me thinks that did JJ listen to some of those conversations we've had on the show <laughs> <laughs> and just did that for uh, me and Paul personally, but it just makes too much sense. I think anyway, not to do it and where you, it's that, well, I can't say it's where you please, you please both fan bases who are wanted her to be uh, just anybody and not connected to anyone because she's a Palpatine. <laughs> There's no if, ands, or buts about that. So those, I can understand those being disappointed with that. But for me, who was looking for that significance with the character, I got that was where her power was coming from, from Palpatine, but yet still having her be te- taking on that Skywalker name connects her to that Skywalker family. And that whole notion that family is you know, more than blood. And we see that with this ending with Ray taking on the name. And I just absolutely loved it. And the last shot could not be any better with her looking at the twin sons with BB-8. Obviously hearkening back to a binary sunset with Luke looking at the twin sons in episode four. Where just, it was just moving. <laughs> I just loved it so much. And just ended it on the perfect note. That's how you win the Skywalker saga right there. The lineage carrying on through Rey, and she's looking out into the horizon just as Luke did. Um, knowing that, like you said, Kyle, it's, this is kind of a beginning for her, too. We don't know what's in store for her. Is she going to do her part to rebuild the Jedi Order? Is she going to stay on Tatooine, or is she just there to bury the lightsabers? And I kind of figured that's the case. She'd probably be closer or maybe where wherever Finn and Poe are at, just knowing how close they are, too, so... 
I don't think she'd be just staying at Tatooine permanently, but it was just a nice touch that she was there and the force team playing on that last shot. How can it not be that? <laughs> Harkening back to the final shot of episode three when we thought that was going to be the final Star Wars movie. And yeah, it was just great. It just ended on such a beautiful note that I could not be happier with with the direction they took Ray and just how it all fits together in concluding the Skywalker saga. So yeah, I just loved how this movie ended. I could not be happier about it. Yeah, and see, this is why I have a love-hate relationship with Ray Palpatine, because as much as that scene of Kylo, you know, just telling her, Ray, you are a Palpatine, seems like corny fan fiction to me, I do love the idea of her being a Palpatine and choosing to reject that. And mm-hmm. like you were saying, like she's looking at Luke and Leia and going, um, that's my, family. you know, exactly. <laughs> I spent my whole life waiting for my family and this is the family that I found. And, you know, I, I spent my whole life wanting to know where I came from and who my parents were. And then once I found out it wasn't the, the satisfaction and the closure that I was hoping for. And so maybe that's not the family that I want to be a part of. Um, and heck, even, you know, you go back to The Force Awakens and Maz tells her, she says, like, the family you're looking for, or they're never coming back, but there's someone else who could. And she says, you know, Luke. Um, and I think in that case, it's more Maz just sort of pushing her to try to seek out Luke and train with him because she knows that she has the Force. But it's, you know, even then it's kind of teasing that, like, maybe that's not her actual family, but that's where she's going to find that family that she's mm-hmm. looking for. Um, so yeah, I, I love it. I thought that was a great way to wrap it up. Um, now one thing about that final shot or not the final shot, but her seeing Luke and Leia, there was initially when I saw it for the first time, like it should be all the Skywalkers there. This should be the moment where we see Anakin as the force goes and Ben Solo being there. I was actually surprised Ben wasn't there because he obviously had a big effect on her life as well. And for him to see, her take on the Skywalker name as well. I thought for him to see that would have been something he would have been proud of too. Now that he's redeemed. But now when I think about it, part of me thinks there might be more to it because with him bringing her back to life, is he a part of her now in some way too, where he's not manifesting himself as a force ghost because he's always with her since he gave his life for hers. So that's another thing we could talk about and debate on future discussions on this movie but just from the narrative standpoint i think luke and leia like i said before the ones having the biggest influence on her life and shaping who she is today it just makes sense that they would be the only two that she would see or make themselves present to her because she really didn't have any type of connection or conversation with anakin until mm-hmm. that moment at the end where he's talking to her to get up so but so I accept it for how it is, but there's a part of me that when I first saw it, that thought it should represent the entire Skywalker family there since this is ending their their saga and their story here. It would have been cool to see all of them, but for Ray, it does make sense for it only to be Luke and Leia in that moment. Yeah, exactly. Like, And I mean, obviously they are kind of the core of the original trilogy where it all started, but also with you know, they were the ones that were like family to Ray. And when she's, exactly, when the, when the yeah. lady asks her, you know, Ray who, and she looks out and just sees the two of them and goes, that's my family. Cause even if Ben was there, like, I know she had a connection with him, but he wasn't family to her. Plus technically, you know, he's Ben solo. I mean, he's part of the Skywalker lineage, but, um, 
yeah, I, I thought it was perfect to just have Luke and Leia there and not crowd it with too many characters. I mean, like you said, I want to see an Anakin Force ghost just as much as anybody. But in that scene, I don't think it would have made sense because Ray would have been like, who's that guy? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do wish that we had gotten a scene with been talking to Anakin's force ghost, especially when Palpatine reveals, you know, he says, I've been every voice you've ever heard inside your head. And part of that is invaders voice. And so maybe once he turns back to the light side, or maybe even when he's struggling with it, like Anakin could come to him and be like, Hey, you know, any voice of Vader that you've heard telling you to finish what I started, like that wasn't me. And that wasn't Mm -hmm. the end of my story. I don't want, you know, like as your grandfather, I don't want you to fin- to to follow in my footsteps as Darth Vader. I want you to follow in my footsteps as Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, so, that would have been great. <laughs> that would have been awesome. But um, I don't know. I mean, we still got a lot of awesome stuff in this movie that that you know was just nice touches and uh, nice callbacks and stuff that did feel like. You know, I, I I wouldn't even say it felt like a good conclusion to the overall saga because in some ways, and I hate to be one of those people that's like, oh, we didn't need the sequel trilogy, but like, I mean, episode six also feels like a good conclusion, but I will say this felt like a love letter to the entire saga. And I think it did a good job of wrapping up the sequel trilogy while also having some nice ties and nice callbacks to the originals and even the prequels. And, um... I don't know, like I said, on my last viewing, I just walked out of the theater with a huge smile on my face and a lot of love in my heart for just Star Wars in general. So, yeah, I think it did its job in that regard. Yeah, I really felt on my second viewing. The first one was just being completely satisfied in the direction they took the story and the characters. But on the second one, it was, man, I just love this. This is this is what I love about Star Wars. And it always has been, but just even more so now that we have the ending for now anyway of the Skywalker saga just how Star Wars is the greatest fictional story that's ever told in my opinion. You just can't mm-hmm. beat it with the characters, the mythology, the lore that it has. There's just so much to enjoy about it and that's this movie I think captured that and just ended it on a way that makes you appreciate everything that came before it and why I feel it's just a very satisfying conclusion to the Skywalker saga. So yeah, that second viewing just man, I just I love it. <laughs> it took me a few viewings for to get there for the last Jedi, but it only took two to really cement that I love this movie and just what it represents for Star Wars as a whole. Yeah, and I mean, it, obviously, it's kind of the opposite for me. I pretty much loved Last Jedi right off the bat. Um, this one, I was very conflicted after my first viewing. Conflicted, but it was a little better after my second viewing, and by my third viewing, it was like. I still have issues with it, but I love overall what it's trying to do. I love the parts that just feel like Star Wars and I I accept the flaws. Like I realize I don't I'm okay with the fact that I don't have to love everything about this movie and I'm okay with the fact that it's not perfect, but I really do enjoy it. And I feel like it's just going to get better over time for me. Um as the things that bother me, I kind of just get used to and and maybe just kind of let some of them slide. And as I continue to just enjoy the stuff that I do love, I, I really hope that this just continues to get even better over time. But mm-hmm. um, as of right now, I, I will definitely say I have overall positive feelings on the movie. Yeah. I just can't wait to watch episodes one through nine. Now once mm-hmm. episode nine hits Blu-ray and th- there's, I shouldn't say rumblings because sites are listing at the box set of the 4k release. Once that comes out, just having all these movies 
to watch in a row. I just cannot wait for that because I just can't wait to experience the entire saga and how it just flows watching episodes one through nine just have have them all connected this one giant story about the skywalker family is going to be awesome now that we have the beginning and the end i cannot wait for that so just hopefully not too long after this usually april i think is the release for the movies that come out on blu-ray so i'm march probably digitally but yeah i thought i saw (laughs) somewhere that there was that it was a march release date for that box set um well i'd be cool if it's earlier but i could be wrong yeah I mean, I wouldn't I mean, be surprised if they released that before the individual Blu-ray of The Rise of Skywalker, because then people that really want it, the only way to get it that early is going to be to buy like the $300 box set or however much it is. So that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that Disney marketing will get you. Either way, I just cannot wait to have it and own it so we can have the entire saga to watch whenever we want. It's, yeah. I just cannot wait to do that. Yeah. And I can't wait to even just watch. I want to go back and watch seven and eight and then go see nine again and see yeah. how the sequel trilogy plays out as a whole. But then, yeah, obviously at some point I'm going to have to sit down and watch one through nine and that's going to be a really cool experience. And also, like we were saying too, I can't wait to see where they take the story in the future. Again, it they say it's the end of the Skywalker saga, but obviously Ray, Finn, and Poe are all still around. Um, and, you know, Ray's a Jedi. Now there's a lot of stories you could still tell with that. I mean, obviously the the bad guys seem to be gone for now and there's not even I mean they seem to pretty uh definitively like end the first order and so it's not like there's a an imperial remnant to deal with um but evil's well, always popping of, up around the galaxy yeah, i mean to keep in the dark side yeah exactly like and snoke says you know darkness rises and light to meet it well the opposite is probably going to happen now you got just the light there's always got to be something for that light to to come up against so um i can't wait to see where they go next i know it's if we ever do get more stories with these characters it's gonna be a while um it seems like whatever movie is coming three years from now is probably going to be about something completely different but i would love to revisit these characters at some point um but yeah for now i'm satisfied with this as the conclusion to the saga that we've got um but man we did it i don't know if you can tell my voice is getting super tired um or yeah, maybe it's just for both of us you could probably tell <laughs> maybe it's just the fact that i'm actually tired like it's almost 1 30 in the morning for me but it's also um yeah i i'm tired but my voice is also just tired of talking but uh man we did it i think this yep, is easily our longest episode ever uh and it's no surprise i mean last time we did our last jedi review paul wasn't with us but also there's just so much to talk about with this movie and i feel like we're not really done yet i mean like i said no we're not there's still stuff that yeah, i could so, bring up that. some of the biggest stuff <laughs> at the we end can... we didn't get to talk about with paul and i'm sure we'll continue to have more thoughts on the movie over time as we see it more and process it more um and read more stuff in the visual dictionary and find out more behind the scenes stuff that maybe fills in some of those gaps and stuff that wasn't fully explained in the movie so um yeah i'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about with this movie in the future but um yeah i I mean we thought about you know trying to break this up into chunks or whatever but i was like nah we got to do one episode where we go all the way through and get you know as many of our thoughts out as we can on the rise of skywalkers so I hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, next time we'll probably do, you know, somewhat of a mailbag episode and read all of the comments and emails and stuff that we've gotten from you guys about the movie because I don't think my vocal cords could take it right now. But um, this has been a lot of fun. Um, And perfect uh, way to end 
a fun-filled Star Wars weekend for me because I took yeah. Thursday and Friday off from work. And it was nothing but Star Wars the entire weekend and culminating into talking about it with you and Paul today for several hours. <laughs> Just a great way, I think, to cap off what was a really fun week of Star Wars for me. I said how I wanted to savor it, to enjoy this moment because it's going to be a while since we get a movie film release like this and I can safely say I did. It's been a blast. So the fact that the movie... I loved it and that it's I was satisfied with how it ended the saga was just great. So a fun week to be had for me as a Star Wars fan. It's just been amazing. And just what a journey it's been. And I just I love Star Wars so much. (laughs) I love it so much, too. And, you know, not even just a fun week that it's been, but a fun year. Like, it still blows my mind that, you know, we've got this movie to talk about and enjoy. and And meanwhile, we've got another episode of The Mandalorian coming out next week. And then you can go back and play Jedi Fallen Order. And you can jump in Battlefront right now and play, you know, the new map from The Rise of Skywalker with the new Jet Troopers and Sith Troopers and everything. There's just so much awesome Star Wars stuff going on right now. Um, and this was just, you know, a huge capstone to what has been a big year. Um, and, of course, we had to finish it off with a bang and, and do our longest episode ever. So, um. But I think that's going to do it for now. Uh, this has been a blast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the movie. I mean, like I said, I know opinions are all over the place. And if you love the movie, awesome. I'm happy for you. I wish I loved it as much as you did. And I'm getting to that point. Um, and if you hated the movie or had a lot of issues with it, I mean, hopefully you can find some stuff to enjoy in it or um, if you've only seen it once, I definitely would say give it another shot or or a couple more shots. I think it gets better over time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but I always I love loving Star Wars. Like that was what was so frustrating for me on the first viewing was that I really wanted to love it. Um, so I'm glad that, uh, you know, that I'm enjoying it more now. So, um. But, yeah, hope you guys all uh, continue to enjoy the movie. Hope you enjoyed our review of it. Um, Have a happy holidays and a happy new year. And we will, uh, I'm sure we'll probably be back again sometime after the new year with more stuff talking about uh, more stuff on the Rise of Skywalker that we didn't get to and reading all your comments and stuff. And then, uh, you know, obviously if any news and stuff comes out after that, we'll um, be talking about that as well. But, um as always, you can check us out online, follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC, uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can check out our website at starwarstsc.com. You can send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com. Um, and we'd love to hear from some of you guys with your thoughts on the movie, uh, you know, what you liked, what you didn't like, anything in between. So um, feel free to send us an email there and we'll read a lot of those on our next episode. Um, and, uh, of course, be sure to check out thunderquack.com for all the other awesome podcasts in the Thunderquack podcast network, but that is going to do it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will see you next time and may the force be with you always. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>